I was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars, scats. Wish I had a million dollars. Wish I had a million albums. Wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish the help is like, it's like. I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels. I wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming speed. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lima bean. I wish that I could spread my wings. I wish that I had seven limbs. Yeah, that way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kind of understand it. <laughs> wish right, that I could throw the deuce like damping and get so How are you all doing today? It's your host, Brianna Joy Gray, and we're here for another episode of The Debrief. After a pretty controversial episode of Bad Faith today, the topic, did the squad betray rail workers? Obviously, this is a topic we've visited on this show before, including uh, last Thursday, I believe it was, which was the first episode after all the votes were in and the dust had settled. And at that time, we were kind of emotionally processing both what had happened and the kind of slate of excuses that had been offered up for why progressives chose the strategy that they chose. Uh, and I was really uh, glad to be joined on the podcast uh, this week by both Ryan Grimm of The Intercept and Shama Sawant, a Seattle City Council member who I knew had very different perspectives on where the blame lies here. So first and foremost, I just want to say that like, I think that everyone agrees. It, it gets obscured a little in this conversation. I don't think there's any dispute that the primary blame here lies with the Biden administration. This obviously came out in the episode, but it was clear from jump that Biden had no intention of passing an agreement, of jostling for an agreement, of agitating for an agreement that actually contained the asks that were being demanded by real workers. It was clear from the jump when he said artificial timelines and said, I need something on my desk immediately, we're not going to take a step backward or whatever language he used, that he was going to be applying pressure on the side of business and not on the side of labor. That being the case, the question that we were debating in the context of this episode was whether the squad, most of the squad, uh, minus Rashida Tlaib, acted appropriately in light of that reality. In light of the alignment between the state and corporations that we saw last week, what strategy should the squad have adopted to best advance the interests of labor? Um, I don't. I, I really want to make sure because I, I I do think that Ryan didn't get as much time to talk. I, I do think that it was clear what his argument was, but I want to be really careful to not inappropriately represent his arguments here. I think that what he was arguing. 
um, was that the squad members relied on the advice the, and counsel, the counsel that they got from a particular union, BMW uh, ED, who in consultation with Jamal Bowman's off, office, either came up with in conjunction with the squad or independently a plan to go ahead and vote yes on both the TA, which was inadequate, and a strike-crushing bill, and also the bifurcated seven days of sick leave. And my argument is that doing so is pointless because coupling the bills the way that Pramila Jayapal did meant that not a single progressive had to vote for the TA in order for the Senate to have an opportunity to potentially pass, as long shot as that was, to potentially pass the seven days of leave. And so my fundamental question is, why is the why are squad members making the choice to vote for the TA in the first place? Not whether or not I really believe that some strikes that some workers said this or that or the other, or whether or not we should listen to workers. To me, all of that is moot because the plan itself is really pointless. And if workers made a mistake and the squad said, you know, we thought it was best to listen to workers, but in retrospect, there was really no point of us doing that, that's a perfectly legitimate explanation that I would accept on some level. But that was not the argument that was being had. So in the context of our discussion, Ryan raised a episode of Chapo Trap House uh, that had come out recently, um, I think the day before. Uh, and in that episode, oh gosh, I had it open and now I can't find it. Uh, in that episode, um, I believe it had Ross and also another real worker and also, uh, Jonah Furman and they were talking through this rationale. I'm going to play that for you, uh, in a second, as soon as I find it, I don't know how I close this window. Oh, here it is. Um, so to provide context, I do think it's fair to have that context and then everyone can be on the same page and then we will get to taking questions. So here is, is it only about five minutes long? The part of the Chapo trap house uh, episode that's germane to this conversation. Okay. Wild. So if you go back and you look at the history of PEBs, it's kind of gross and disgusting. You basically just take what you. I don't know where that stopped playing all of a sudden. One second. I'm sorry about that. So sorry. So sorry. What happened that the sick leave was even in there? Otherwise, the sick leave was not going to be a part of it, right? Biden came out on Monday. Pelosi came out on Monday. They both said, oh, we're going to hammer this thing down and uh, we're not going to stop freight. And uh, we're not going to start any legislation that has any poison pills in it. And AKA those poison pills that, that her, uh, her statement said that was the sick days. That's poison pills. She considered that. That is disgusting. <laughs> so, yeah. The, <laughs> the poison yeah. pill is uh, getting a sick yeah. day. It's wild, man. It's, it's, I, I couldn't even believe it when I saw it. Like, look, you guys actually work for your constituents. There's no way. How many congressmen and women out there actually work for their constituents? Very little. 
So I give them a lot of credit in the Progressive Caucus for actually getting that thing going. And, and even though it failed in the Senate, look, this is a historic moment for us. It passed in the House to get something more than the PEB. Uh, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe that's ever happened before. That's astounding, especially for railroads. Maybe in uh, the airline industry there has, but it's pretty wild. So if you go back and you look at the history of PEBs, it's kind of gross and disgusting. You basically just take what you get. And, uh, you know, so so this was, a, you know, we didn't win the sick days. But look, it was it was a win anyways, in, in a sense. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Jonah, if you could... Uh... Speak on this. I mean, like as far as the House Progressive Caucus goes, I mean, I, I know like AOC and Jamal Bowman, they've they've come in for a lot of criticism for like separating the sick leave from the the main agreement, which is sort of a, like they, Pelosi did a similar thing with the Build Back Better thing where you, you take out essentially the things people want. And you say, if you vote for this bill, then, uh, you know, it, it, trust me, the second vote is coming. Uh, but like, you're, you know, uh, as Devin just said, and, and Jonah, like you're, you're not hearing a, a similar like level of criticism from people who are involved inside this 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 labor uh, dispute. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I'll just say part of the focus on, you know, people on Twitter, on the squad is they feel like that's their people they can have an influence on. So they're kind of, you know, looking at looking at your own crew and trying to feel like, where can I really play it? But I, I, that's not really where any of this happened. That was all. You know, we were on the, the, the fourth down goal line, no time left on the clock, and they threw the Hail Mary. The deal was if you vote for the TA, then you get a vote on the sick days. There was no deal where you vote on a TA with sick days. This was not on the table. They got the sick days back on the table through, honestly, public pressure and some internal maneuvering. And it's nice they had a vote. But this thing was cooked through years of this process. And I just, you know, Devin and Ross are two very brave members who will talk about their union leadership. I, I get to be on the sidelines and sort of tell you what other people are telling me in the rank and file membership of these unions. There's a lot of people who feel like the strategy to have put all your eggs in the Joe Biden basket for three years, say, we're going to wait till the Democrats are in power. Once they get into power, we're going to rush all the way through the process. You know, if you look at this process, they got released from mediation, like with you know, the fastest time ever. The reason they went for that is because it's Democrats and we think we can gamble on the Democrats for a good deal. They got all the way to the end where now Joe Biden is supposed to deliver and their whole strategy has been, we're not going to strike. We're not going to talk to any other Democrats or progressives or do any outside agitation because we're playing the inside game with Joe Biden. So the moment that he turns around and says, nah, we're not doing sick days. We're not doing anything. We're imposing a contract. There's no strike. They have no other cards to play. They've put it all with Joe Biden. So I think if there's a criticism to make here, it's that you can't have, you know, something notable. It's, it's in the weeds, but multiple unions didn't strike, even though they hit their strike dates with no tentative agreement in place. Multiple unions agreed to new tentative agreements just to trigger more cooling off periods because they weren't ready to rely on the membership to actually fight. And they didn't have a plan for legislation besides whatever Joe Biden's going to give us. You could have easily had a deal where there's a bill in Congress that says, you know what, if they strike, we're going to force them back to work, but it's going to be with 15 sick days, cost of living adjustment and free health care. How do you like that, railroads? The railroads would have taken that very differently if they thought that's where Congress was going to go. But the unions and the Democratic Party said, we're just going to play it safe, play it inside. And then when the obvious thing happened, they basically said we can live with it. So I get the focus on the progressives and 
and it's interesting to talk about, but there was like, there was no, no time left on the clock and that was by design and it was a and bad I strategy. He, I, I think Jonah is exactly right here. Uh, and, and what I say when I say leadership failed us is, is what Jonah's talking about. Uh, we didn't have any internal organizing to ensure that people were ready to strike like Devin's talking about. Uh, my union leadership dissuades me from talking to Devin and people in his union, uh, even though we're both Teamsters. Uh, and and the, the work to build alliances and have an outside strategy where we leverage the people that have come to the table and fought for us in the recent weeks, all this public support we've gained, that was gained because of folks like like within the BMWED rank and file caucus and because of folks at RWU, rank, Railroad Workers United. That didn't happen because of our rail unions. And so without that extra work being put in, this is always going to be the inevitable result. And that's what I say when I mean that union leadership has failed us and we need to find a way to do something different to win. All right. I want to get to callers, but I just want to say first and foremost that what Ross was saying there about union leadership failing is something that I've been kind of hinting at but not saying outright because he said it to me kind of off the record before. But now that it's on the record, it, it, it seems to me to be a problem for us to simultaneously be saying that union leadership was not prepared to strike. It made the mistake of putting all the eggs into the Joe Biden basket instead of leveraging the public support and support from potentially friendly Congress members like squad, the squad and having a real credible threat to strike. It made it, it was a mistake to say that we were going to trust that Biden was going to negotiate on our own behalf and basically accept whatever it was that he put in front of us. All of those things were a mistake, but that mistake is compounded by then turning around and saying, we're going to trust that same organization for advice about how to vote in the 11th hour once it's become very clear that trusting that plan was a mistake. Now, I, I, I'm not saying obviously there's a diversity within the group that's being described as unions here. I'm not saying that the exact same cohort of people who decided to align with this Biden strategy are the same people at the BMW union who were advising the squad and talking and consulting with Jamal Bowman at the 11th hour. I don't know how coterminous <laughs> those two buckets of opinion having were, et cetera. But it seems obvious to me that a world in which we kind of blindly or, or which rank and file blindly say whatever strategy is being advanced by leadership is a problem and a strategy in a world in which um, squad members say whatever strategy is advanced by some component of labor is not necessarily right because everyone can make mistakes. That's not a personal indictment of anybody. That's not a smear, you know, but like I don't think at any point anyone can abdicate their responsibility to think things through and have a strategic perspective, especially when you're the congressperson and you're the one that's an expert on how things work internally on the Hill, not the union folks. Um, so fundamentally, again, I just want to be so clear. What this clip shows to me is all of the mistake and admission, which is, you know, helpful and not at all something that people should be castigated for, but something that should inform us. It's an admission that a lot of mistakes are made internally strategically on the part of the union here that basically precluded them from having leverage far beyond, far in advance of this kind of final week we've had here by basically over trusting in Joe Biden. And 
all that being said, it's just very confusing to me why one would still kind of defer somewhat blindly to the advice and counsel of the same group that has, in fact, made some mistakes here. Okay. Um, there was some more in that clip that I think was worthwhile, but let's go ahead and start taking callers. Michael, what's on your mind tonight? Hey, can you hear me? I can hear you. All right. Um, I don't want to take up too much time because I know the queue is probably going to be super long, but I do want to say today's episode was perfect. Enjoyed every minute of it. Um, and I'm really glad you played that clip because I didn't listen to it before, but I'm very curious why the squad and Ryan decided to like focus on like the very beginning when they wanted to do like just do as much as possible to get it through in Congress. But like 80% of that clip was them basically saying what you've been saying this entire time. Why haven't they been organizing this entire time? So I'm really curious why their takeaway was like the other piece and not like the, uh, you know, the main crux of their argument. Um, but to get it back to my main question, I'm wondering if there was like some kind of panel with the squad and you were representing like our division of the left, who do you think the best um, good faith actor in their camp would be? My, my gut is thinking it might just be Ryan or David Schroeder. I don't, I don't really know if anybody else would even want to argue their point, if that makes sense. Oh, I'm confused. I thought you were going to ask if I were interviewing squad members. Who oh, no, well, if, if, who's the panel? Well, the squad, I'm, I'm just saying, because the squad obviously doesn't want to interview with you. So I'm just saying, other than them, who would be the best, next best thing to be able to explain their level of thinking? Because it seems like Ryan's the best bet. Would there be anybody else that would understand what they're thinking or what's going on in their, you know, in the back rooms, I guess. I mean, look, part of the problem is that we wouldn't have to do that thought experiment. It should not be so unthinkable that a single squad member would sit down and explain their thinking. Like, that's insane. Um, however, it being the case that these so socialists are completely inaccessible to any left media source, it seems, that is not literally the DSA, um, or Ryan Grimm, uh, yeah, I think that Ryan probably does do a very good job. I mean, I, I, who am I to say? Like, maybe the, they're sitting around saying, I don't think that Ryan is representing me very well. But it, it suggests to me that based on their choice to continue to, you know, sit down with him and interview with him and engage with him on Twitter and retweet his messaging and stuff like that, that they obviously do think that he's a good representative. So... You know, absent that, they have to rise. I mean, they're kind of forced to rise and fall on on him being a, a tacit representative. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, well, that was I was I don't know. I don't know what I was looking for. I would pay so much money to be to hear that interview. But I guess it's never happened. <laughs> All I mean, right. Never say never. Like, I, I, I appreciate Ryan. You know, before we did this interview, you know, we were talking about, you know, he's put in a good word. Um <laughs> And was hopeful that one of the squad members, one who had agreed to talk to me before but had canceled last minute, I don't think that they canceled because of any reason other mm. than scheduling. Um, but I don't know if you remember about a year ago, I had teased that I was going to have a squad member on and then it didn't happen. You know, that same person apparently has been showing some interest in coming back and it would be wonderful if that actually happened. Um, Fingers crossed. 
But but yeah, I mean, one one of the things that was so frustrating about uh, I think this conversation, listening back back to it today, when it was being live premiered, was that on some level, I really wanted an acknowledgement about the fundamental like machination here, wherein whatever like. I, I don't have to accept my my position does not rely on the potential success of a Senate vote on the seventh day sick, sick leave. It doesn't rely on my credulity about the reality of that getting passed. It doesn't rely on my belief that the advice came from a good uh, representative of reunion rank and file or progressive section of, of the union. It doesn't rely on any of that because at the end of the day, the entire strategy, even if I liked it and wanted it to succeed, does not require squad members to vote for any part of this bill, the TA or the seven-day sick leave. And it was very frustrating to have to talk about all those other things when my argument doesn't rely on any of that other stuff. I don't – and I know that some of the responses to this, people thought I didn't let Ryan talk enough or that he didn't get enough out – but, you know, none of that was material to my argument. None of it mattered. I mean, it's like kind of interesting stuff on the side, and I happen to think it's ridiculous. You know, it, it, it matters insofar as I think that talking about the possibility of the sick days passing made it seem like there was some partial victory or it became close and that we just need to keep fighting and that we need to reinvest in strategies that haven't been working. And I think that's very dangerous. And so I do want to push back on people's credulity there. However, my fundamental argument doesn't rely on any of that. So I think that's part of the tension and why there was so much like kind of talking past each other. But ultimately, I do think that this was a good conversation to have had on the historical record. So anyway, I'm just blabbering. Thank you for calling in, Michael. <laughs> no problem. Keep the faith. <laughs> Keep the faith. Uh, cousin Eric, what's on your mind tonight? Hey, hey. Hey, what's on your mind tonight? Um, not. Not too much. Um, did watch this episode. I didn't get to watch the whole thing, but I watched enough um, to, as usual, Shama keeps it real, as usual. And yeah, that's the difference between someone in Shama who, you know, is rooted and keeps it real versus someone like Ryan. And, and yeah, and, and stuff like this whole, like the whole rail, uh, the, the squad betraying the rail, railroad workers, of course they did. And this whole thing is why you see people like disengage from politics entirely. It's just, the, the tip, it's just like most most t- typical everyday people just can't deal with that with this much disappointment. Yeah, it was interesting. At one point, um, I we were talking about this this next thing that people should be hopeful about, according to Ryan and some of these progressive Congress Congress members, which is the possibility of Biden passing an executive order that would extend sick days to all federal employees, which would include uh, federal contractors, which would include um, rail workers. I'd hold my breath on that. Right. And my, my point to Ryan was that talking about that 
it channels people's legitimate frustrations with strategic failures in this moment into some hopefulness about something that is very unlikely to take place and therefore is demotivating and doesn't cause people to adjust the strategy and fix things in the moment that went wrong and prepare themselves for better success the next time around. And Ryan disagreed. He felt like it should be motivating to see that there was another opportunity on the horizon. And my feeling is, well, no, because it's not a real opportunity. You're only telling half the story because, of course, there has been an an executive order of this type before that explicitly excluded railroad workers because of all of the reasons we know about PSR and why they don't actually want to give sick days to rail workers because that would really eat into the rail company profits. And again, if we're not talking about that power dynamic, and, and you should listen to the full Chapo episode because they do get into, wait, is it Chapo? No, no, it wasn't Chapo episode. It was um, uh, David Sirota had an episode with, uh, I think, a real worker on the lever where they were talking about why PSR is such an important part of this equation because it's not about the money. I mean, it is about the money, but it's about the enormous amount of money that's on the line that comes from having to change the PSR system. In sick days, even a few sick days, even a little bit of sick days radically changes the timing system that so all of these profits are based on. That's why they're willing to throw some cash at people, but they're not willing to actually give them the time that they really want. Um, and so without that analysis, you're going to have people falsely hoping that, oh, all we got to do is pass an executive order. No, the same thing that prevented Biden ever in good faith negotiating on behalf of the workers with his TA is going to in all likelihood prevent him from extending the thing that he can't extend by executive order to these workers. And why am I so confident? Not just because we've seen this happen a million times before, but you know what? He's getting some bad press over this right now today. And there is no magic calendar that says he can only do executive orders on the 4th of March or every other Tuesday. If it's something that he wanted to do, he could have done it and he could do it right now, right now, right now, right now. This is an infinite series of moments in which he could be acting and he's not choosing to do so. And for Ryan to be tweeting, and this is what I said to him, I'm not, I don't, I'm not trying to say anything behind his back or anything, but for Ryan to have put out there and for all of these other Congress members to have tweeted out this as the next best opportunity and say, oh, just stay, you know, comfort yourselves, my people. There's this next bite at the apple without providing the context that it, that apple is a figment. It's this- giving people false hope that's going to be demotivating. This is how I know Ryan doesn't interact with everyday people. Because you, you just don't do that type of shit. And then, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't seen that tweet. I hope he got ratioed to hell. But <clears throat> it just goes to show him, like, bro, you don't, you've never, you don't actually talk to real people. Because you say that, given that that person's seen all this, they see they see you doing this shit. They're going, motherfucker, you sit here waving some shit in my face that you could have just already fought for. Yeah, yeah. Like, like get like get the fuck out of here. That like, I'm surprised most people in this country aren't psychopaths by now, if they already aren't. Just it's just the fact that, like I've said, like you you're watching a lot of shit just fail. Every, yeah, I mean, the everyday mm-hmm. everyday workers humiliated on a daily basis. It's it's at at some point you're just not gonna be able to take it anymore. Yeah. Then, but hey, 
Well, look, I appreciate you calling in, Eric. I know that you're down there in the trenches um, with one of the hardest jobs there are. And uh, how 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 are things in the in the world of educating our youths right now? Um, still hilarious. Um, <laughs> some parents really ain't shit. Um, you know, uh, at admin can be helpful, but also ain't shit at the same time. It's the weirdest thing in the world. But mm-hmm. it is what it is. I I deal with it. I deal I deal with a whole attitudes, whether it's from students, staff, um, whatever the case is. Yeah. Well, look, keep the faith, my friend. Thank you for calling in. I'm going to get through some of this cue, but I appreciate hearing from you. Uh, All right. Take care. Nick, what's on your mind tonight? Uh, hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Great. Uh, so this is going to be a really boring call because it's just, uh, uh, are you listening to Jennifer Briney's new podcast? Uh, oh, we're not wrong. One? Yeah, with their two uh, co-hosts. Uh, I can't remember their names because I'm, I'm a Briney stan, but uh, they're, they're smart, I guess. But uh, anyways, it's a great podcast. The reason why I bring it up is because they published an episode today that I think is the definitive take on the Twitter files and Matt Taibbi. Hmm. And uh, apparently more content is coming out from Jennifer Briney in a moment that does have to do more with the uh, just, uh, I don't know, dystopia of social media. But the point is, um, if that does come up as just kind of a a more fun kind of episode to delve into all the social media stuff, uh, I'm just throwing it out there. Make Jennifer Briney your host. Not to throw shade at anybody, but she is smarter than the average leftoid. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I was actually just thinking about her recently because of all of the Hunter Biden Twitter files conversation. And she has been one of the only people that I've seen really get in the weeds of all of the Ukraine Biden connection in a way that doesn't seem conspiratorial and like partisan. One thousand um, percent. And so I wanted to revisit that with her. But maybe this is an additional reason to get her back on the pod. So I'll definitely check out her new podcast. And thanks for flagging it. Yeah, I just think they came out, came up with a very down-to-earth way to understand why this was important and why it's really weird that people are mad at Matt Taibbi. Mm. And uh, I, I guess I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but it's called We're Not Wrong. Uh, it will uh, articulate these points far better than I ever can. A new episode came out today. It's, it's amazing. The definitive take. I promise Jennifer Briney's worth your time and money. That, that's it to your audience. Sorry. Okay, well, I can second that without having listened to it. She's just truly top tier. So thanks for calling in, Nick. You're welcome. All right, keep the faith. Bye. Howard, what is on your mind tonight? Howard, I see you're unmuted, but I don't hear anything. Hello, hello. Oh, there you go. What's on your mind? Hey, Bri. Um, Well, I got a couple things. in mind. Um, one, uh, I mean, I, I'll give Ryan credit. He, he sat there and he took criticism and he didn't get, uh, he didn't get too defensive. I, I was expecting him to get, to get a lot more defensive. Um, but, uh, I feel like with journalists like him, uh, who needs publicists? I mean, he really was making every point that, you could possibly make to um, to justify and excuse and, and and really as a journalist, I've always felt like your job is to 
spell out each kind of avenue that the squad could have taken and to talk about the pros and cons instead of sticking with what they did and, and trying to adapt the the goodness of it to whatever they did. That that kind of is the impression that I get from him. Um, and uh, until you see someone like, I mean, Kashama Swan is, is so fantastic. Until you see a politician um, speak plainly and directly like she does, it's almost like I forgot what that's like. I forgot what that looks like. And when she did that, it was really refreshing and it just kind of made me feel like um, sad that we've we've kind of gone so far to a, a very strange place politically where, you know, you can't, nobody can say what they mean anymore. Um, so, and I think I remember you saying that Ryan was a mentor of yours, or at least somebody who you relied on heavily to, uh, to, to inform yourself about the, all the intricacies and machinations of, of politics. So, um, I'm sure it was not, uh, you were conflicted about uh, how to approach uh, this conversation. I think you handled it really well and you expressed anger that I think we are all feeling without, you know, alienating or, or coming off as attacking, Ryan. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I do, look, I, <laughs> I, I felt a little conflicted because, um, you know, my girl Shama came in hard with the heat. <laughs> And I did feel a little bit of a responsibility. I felt like maybe I had abdicated my responsibility to um, protect both guests and kind of moderate more and create a little bit more room for Ryan in the conversation. And I am imperfect. And, um, you know, I think I respect people who feel like the conversation could have been handled a little differently. I mean, it was also a little awkward because of the way it started where we had to change the time last minute. It wasn't Ryan's fault. Um, but as a consequence, he was picking up his kids from school. And so we got started with Adam because it wasn't clear 100% if he was ever going to be able to join. That's why I didn't introduce him up top just in case he never was able to connect with us. And so, you know, she got a head start. We were referencing things that he hadn't been there for. Um, you know, we had kind of gotten warmed up when he came in and it was off to the races when he started, uh, you know, joined the conversation. So. You know, that's not how I would have had it go down in an ideal world. And yeah. also, you know, the way the Twitter, <laughs> the way the conversations, I mean, this kind of happened with Joe Serencioni too. And I'm not, I don't blame anybody, but the way people respond to these interviews online can make people feel, even if they were relatively, you know, okay with how the interview went, kind of reactive afterward. And I'm, I'm like processing how yeah. to deal with that and make my guests not feel like they're getting like overwhelmed or like set up at the same time that I don't undermine the legitimate feelings that are coming from my audience. And I want to respect the audience and not feel like have them feel like I'm cutting them off at the pass or throwing them under the bus. So it's all, it's all very delicate. Um, yeah. I don't know. Well, you, I think you walked that tightrope pretty well and it was almost like Kashama was your um was able to do that for you you did, I kind of like when you have s the setup that you had with Kashama and Ryan was good because you don't have to be necessarily the bad guy although you were really good at at keeping pinning down exactly what Ryan was saying it's one of your one of your many strengths um but 
uh, having Kashama almost as as um, as the uh, I guess you could call her the bad guy. I think that you know she she played a very important role because she doesn't have to worry about interviewing with Ryan in the future. Um, uh, no. Uh, kind of walking that tightrope. She doesn't. She doesn't care about walking that tightrope, and it's and it's obvious. And so she kind of got to express that anger that I think we all feel. Um, uh, so that that came out in the show without you having to necessarily. Um, you could be more of a, a neutral um, voice. Anyway, that's the way it came across to me. <clears throat> well, I'm I'm glad I'm glad it I'm glad it resonated for you, Howard. Uh, before we move on, is there anything else you had on your mind tonight? Uh, no, just getting forced to vote deja vu. <laughs> yeah, look, I will say that the the anger that I felt last week, you know, and obviously continue to feel, but that kind of like tipping point feeling, that moment of clarity, that, that whose side are you on moment, it only happens so often and it felt very familiar to me in a way that I kind of didn't expect. There was something about the consistency i want to stop short of saying anything conspiratorial but there's something about the consistency with which kind of the message that ryan was arguing and and putting out there and the message that we heard on that chapo clip there was something about the 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 kind of it, it felt i'm not saying it was but the way that it felt almost coordinated across all of the you know platforms from the usual suspects the people who are on the other side of force to vote, if you will. I don't know what we're going to call those people. I'm, I'm trying not to be derogatory, but, you know, that part of the left. I think PMC is, is pretty appropriate. I mean, maybe, but, you know, I'm a PMC. I mean, I, I just, I'm not trying to cast th- stones in glass houses or whatever, you know. So, I mean, the point is that, you know, that part of the left seemed to adopt. It, there, was this, there was this, like, half a second where it felt like everything was in free fall and everyone was rightly angry. And it seemed like the squad was vulnerable. And then very quickly, a message was supplied that seemed to assuage people's feelings of dissonance about how we got here and how the squad managed to go along with this. And that was painful to watch because it felt like that moment of free fall was a wake-up call that was so necessary. It was, it was wonderful to see. I felt no bitterness or I told you so-ness about it. It was genuinely heartening to see Anna Kasparian pop off furious and, and and it felt like a realignment it felt like we were all going to be on the same side again and then here comes this message that says no you were wrong it was right to take this appeasement approach it was right i mean look and, and it would be another thing if the squad and them had voted for this but had been screaming their heads off the whole time and i was watching them on all of the cable news shows, tearing Biden a new one, calling him out for going to the Shishi Black Tie event that evening as workers sat disappointed around the country. You know, really, you know, called out Pramila Jayapal for her insane plan to run cover and, and bifurcate the bill. Call out the Democrats as a whole for ever accepting anything less than a, T, a one TA that included the sick days. Call out Democrats for not trying to get rid of the of the night of the railroad labor act calling out Joe Biden for not pledging to veto any bill that didn't have the the sick days in it, all of those things, right? If they had voted for it, but had kept that energy up, I don't know that I would spend this much time questioning the merit of that vote, but that vote felt like more than just a vote. 
it felt like a part of a broader trend of complicity. Complicity. Yeah. And when you talk to someone like Shama, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I was just saying it's you know fool me once. Now we're at like fool me fifteen times. Fool me fifteen times. And and when you talk to someone like Shama, I don't know if it was you or the previous caller. It does. It does like remind you about what we could be hearing from these people from the squad, like the clarity of message and principle right yeah that we could be hearing and suddenly their behavior seems a lot less acceptable yep yeah anyway thanks for calling in howard yeah thanks brie all right keep the faith shelly what's on your mind tonight oh man brie well (laughs) i said kind of like the beginning in the chat i said i'll defend ryan graham if brie calls on me but not in the way okay, that let's you hear probably want. <clears throat> I have never seen a better advocate for communism than Ryan Grimm. I see more. <laughs> well, I mean, just the absolute, well, no, 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 but you can work in a committee and there's a select group of people in the background. No one needs to be concerned with the, with the machinations, but we've reported on them. Everything is ship shape. Um, the squads working in the workers' interests, like definitely don't doubt that. And then meanwhile, we still keep having the same results. So Mm. if you wanted to radicalize people, that's all you got to do. You got to get someone like Ryan Grimm against someone like Kashamas the Want, and Ryan Grimm is going to force people left. Does that make sense? Ryan Grimm... Ryan Grimm is going to force people left because yeah, just because co- his arguments make no sense. Oh, I see. <laughs> like oh, shady, absolutely the the bet. Like I couldn't ask. Like you couldn't even bring a communist on there, like to to spur people further. It, Ryan Grimm can just do it himself. <laughs> I mean, look, I think they're look the, the the episodes like this. I know they can be kind of difficult and a little messy, yeah. but I do think that they. In a world where the squad isn't heightening contrast, this is the only place that it's happening. Right. Like, so, I mean, to that, and I'm, I'm agreeing with you, like, getting the, like, seeing, seeing in real time a contrast between, like, that Chapo episode. Like, I, you know, I, 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 I'm not trying, I don't. Look, I I have long enjoyed Chapo Trap House. I have long been a big fan. Mm-hmm. I started listening in 2016 with everybody else. It was so refreshing as a beleaguered Bernie supporter back then. They're funny. They're so smart. They're they're quick witted. Mm-hmm. Like they can be deeply soulful and introspective at times. All of those things. I have no interest in having any beef whatsoever. But since Bernie, it is also true that the that that podcast, which seemed so provocative and fearless at a certain moment in history, mm-hmm. seemed to not be that anymore, and seemed to be unwilling to take a firm perspective outside of the perspective that had already been kind of hewn out as now mainstream progressive, almost as though there was this sense of collective embarrassment that many of us felt, not just them. I, you know, right. many of us felt about almost being so embarrassed that we believe that Bernie could have won. But, you know, we, they caught us. We're cynical, Brooklyn-y, 
left us and they caught us being hopeful. They caught us being optimistic. And now I feel like an idiot and I'm going to go back to just pure sarcasm and, and nothing kind of aspirational. Right. And, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of courage to put yourself out there and it's nothing anybody should have been embarrassed about. And, you know, with the force of vote moment, they were against it. And, and, you know, throughout the last year or so, I've noticed that, you know, there's almost like a cautiousness that has made them, I think, vulnerable to the messages like we heard on the show and like we heard from um, Ryan, which I don't, I don't think they would have necessarily taken all of those positions in a previous time period. Right. And, and, and that's kind of what I'm saying. Like it, it's, this is nothing against necessarily Ryan himself. It's not a personal attack. Like it's just, it's where he is sort of in the system, all the connections that he's had. It's, it's formed his ideology to be very resistant to some of, I would guess maybe the more uncivil kind of like politicking tactics, you know, and that's mm. really where it comes from. It's, it's not like he's directly malicious, but he does have an ideology that he strictly adheres to. And that informs his an analysis of how situations come through. And, and he still really does believe that our current like system of government is accommodating to the masses of people and and it's and so then you kind of keep getting this thing like well then what do you want to do you want to go watch some go watch the world cup i, I mean i don't care if you don't want to participate <laughs> in this process this vault this vaunted process that has never fucked over anyone ever then yeah. you're just a, a layabout that is not serious. It's not actually political. I mean, and then you get into all the, oh, you have the nihilist group. It, yeah, some people accusing me today or accusing us, everyone who agreed with Shama, basically, of just not knowing how things work. And we saw this with Force the Vote, too. There was the very people who didn't know that Kevin McCarthy couldn't be Speaker of the House were accusing us of somehow being um, weak on the technical details. And I'm like, say what you want about me, but I never claim to know anything about the technicalities of how things work that don't come straight from the mouth of like David Sirota, David Dan, or Ryan Grimm. So I, I, I'm not doing nothing but using the information they've already given me back to them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I, I, at no point in time is Brianna Joy Gray ever Googling or cracking open a book and trying to find out in the congressional record how some shit works. That is not me. I'm literally, I'm literally just asking, how does it work? They tell me how it works. And then I draw some logical conclusions from the facts that they give me. And so, that is, that's their importance. Like yeah. they are basically the people that have all of that stuff. Like they're, they know that stuff like down to a T. And so we go to them and we say, okay, how does government work? And they tell us how government works. And then we take that and we go, government works stupid. Right. And, and then there's the return volley. It's just that they don't ever accept the return volley from, from us. But the, one of the things that I did kind of want to mention, mm -hmm. there's this, there's an up, I would say they're up and coming. Um, it's a podcast. It's on YouTube called Do Dissidents. It's, uh, two, I think, Keaton and Russell are their names. But literally on that same night, the Wednesday night that the vote went down, mm -hmm. those two podcasters, their podcast name is Do Dissidents, had the exact same worker that Ryan Grimm keeps mentioning. Devin, mm -hmm. I can't, I, I, I couldn't remember his last name. The Devin guy. Mm -hmm. And they interviewed them. And they also did a segment today on their podcast where they kind of went over 
Kashama Sawant and like the conversation between Ryan Gurman and Kashama Sawant. And they pointed mm-hmm. out some stuff. And what they said is they were like, we talked to those guys the night of. They were absolutely disappointed. You could see the defeat in their faces. Mm-hmm. Like this wasn't ideal. Like mm-hmm. and Vance. obviously these are the these are some of the workers that are out there. So you know that they're on the boss's list of potential people to get rid of. You really don't think that they will moderate some of their language? And then Ryan will sit there and go, well, did, did you hear that? Yeah, I mean, look, in all fairness, I do think there was a little bit of um, confusion. So I think that Ryan, Ryan was saying that they, they were disappointed, but they weren't disappointed in the squad. And that the, the, and that this came out in the Chavo episode, too, that it's completely legitimate to say that Biden threw people under the bus. But the question at hand is whether it's fair to direct any of that ire at the squad. And that's why I opened this episode saying, like, I, I don't think that they are equally culpable. I don't think that if, you know, it was a it was a if, if AOC was a benevolent dictator ruling ruling Congress, that this would have been the outcome that we got. No, I like I, you know, it. however, right. I don't I do think that there's a responsibility here to look at how things could have gone differently. And that's going to require some critique. And some blame that falls at their feet it doesn't mean that they are as culpable as Joe Biden. I mean, Pramila Jayabal might be. And, and at the end of the day, everybody covering at a certain point, it's what it is, is everybody covering for the person kind of like ideologically adjacent to them is what the problem is because everyone's covering for everyone else. And there is literally nobody calling the plays as they are. Nobody from the media to the Congress members themselves. Nobody. Well, well, right. And then, and, and, and not your caller saying, you know, Kashama Sawant kind of took the role of the bad guy. And I get that because it's, it's usually you can kind of say like, oh, well, that's, that's the bad guy. Or this, it, you might see it's like, oh, that person's aggressive or hostile. And that kind of makes them the bad guy. Um, and I understand like the sentiment behind it, but the simple fact of the matter is, is the only reason why it comes off to people that someone that's advocating for the working classes comes off as the bad guy is simply because of civility politics. Mm-hmm. You know, we have like, Oh, they're the bad guy. Oh, you mean they're, they're speaking for the working classes that literally everyone, like all of these people in power disdain don't want to hear from. And then the second that they come out full fire and someone actually gives them an audience, people go, Oh my Lord, that's aggressive. That's awesome. Yeah. We're, yeah, we're mad. Also, let let the squad catch astray. Like a world in which this all happened, there was some scattered criticism of whether the squad should have had this vote, but Ryan didn't say anything. Jonah Furman didn't say anything. Chapo didn't say anything. Nobody said anything. I was just like, yeah, people are mad at the squad, and they're going to have to figure out how to gain trust back with folks, and then we all just moved on. Like it would have been less of an it would have been less of an event. <laughs> like like literally part of part of what the red flag is at this point, and what is you know, shocking to people is that there does. And again, I don't want to make any accusations that I can't support, but it does feel right. like there is a, a coordinated apparatus to clean up after them. And that isn't of itself a problem separate and apart from what happened with the real workers. Well, I mean, but this is, this is kind of, if you look at sort of like the history of this type of stuff, there are always these factions that develop and they, they, desperately try to keep the ruling elite in power. Now, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily malicious. It, it's just depending on the relations to the means of production, 
how it is that their ideology is formed, all of that other type of stuff that causes them to have those positions. There is a reason why the Social Democratic Party in Germany had Rosa Luxemburg assassinated in the streets. Mm -hmm. They were the ones that gave the order for the far right to kill the revolutionary leader in Germany. Like, they, it, it's just a natural thing. If, they, if they're thinking about their own sort of class interests, and they're the ones that have the microphone, they're the ones that have the audience, they're the ones that do that, they're the ones that have the power, but they're still protecting the same old government that does nothing for working people, that does nothing for the masses, and that bombs, kills, and destroys the masses everywhere all over the world. Yeah. And... Giving up those interests is very difficult. It's very challenging. And every now and then you have class traders, PMCs. Ingalls was a PMC, just by the way, factory owner. Um, or a capitalist, if you really want to say it that way. There are mm. always class traders. But even if people sort of kind of appear on the left, they might have those interests that are kind of just muddled. And I think we just spend a whole lot of time focusing on figures like Ryan Grimm instead of just the class analysis that you know everyone really needs to develop. Yeah, that's what really bothers me. And again, the David Zerota podcast, I really appreciated David for bringing up, like I know I sound like I'm being a dead horse, but like you know what's going to happen when your analysis extends beyond whether you trust a given politician or not. I don't care about if you trust Joe Biden or if you trust AOC or you trust anyone. That executive order is going to have to go up against the fact that there are real structural reasons why they carved out real workers in the first place. And those yep. are the same structural reasons why they've been going without an agreement for three years, unable to negotiate anything with sick days. And it's the PSR and the PSR isn't going away. And the PSR probably will never go away absent an actual rail strike, right. you know? And so when I'm sitting here saying, when Ryan is like, what are you just so pessimistic that the EO isn't going to work? Rail workers are never going to get sick days. No, I'm not saying rail workers are never going to get sick days, but they're certainly never going to get it sitting around hoping and praying that Joe Biden out of his benevolence is going to sign a piece of paper and do what he could have been doing this whole time. They're so not why are you believe, leading people to believe that's a real option when they could be instead mobilizing and actually preparing in a way that they apparently did not do for an actual strike? Well, I can definitely tell you how they're not going to get their sick days sitting on the sidelines and clapping for the fucking squad. That's yeah. never going to that's never going to get it. Like they're just representatives. They're not important people. Like I'm not going to go hop in front of the squad and take a bullet for him. <laughs> it's oh, just man. not gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have a new sound effect for you guys, by the way. Trial. What the actual fuck are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's that is gonna be such a good one. Anyway, you've got you've got such a long line. I appreciate your time, guys. That podcast that I mentioned was Do Dissidents. They go and listen to the interview that they did. I think it's about a forty-five minute interview with the same worker that Ryan was talking about with um, a partner, which I can't remember that guy's name. Um, so you can go look at that. And also they just give good commentary and analysis and it's always good to help. Devin Mance. Devin Mance was the worker's name and the podcast name was do dissidents. All right. Thank you so All much right. for Thank calling you so in. Much. Bye everyone. All right. Keep the face Shelly. Jam. What's on your mind tonight? What's going on? Bree. Can you hear me? 
loud and clear. Yo, like I was, I was real cool. I was like, cause I was hot last week about all this shit going, going down as a union member. And I finally get all, you know, like cool and everything. Do you pull out, do you pull out this heat with Kashama and everything and, and, bring, <laughs> and bring the conversation right up and got me right back hot again, man. <laughs> my, my apologies, Jack. <laughs> got right, right back into the trenches. But like, I feel, I feel it, it's, it, it's a lot like, I'm not, I feel like during the conversation, um, that, that Ryan was kind of arguing, but I mean, you pretty much said it like he was arguing a point that was like irrelevant, like to, to the, to the point that like you were, um, like bringing up. And I, I'm glad you said it too, cause I've been seeing, been seeing it a lot online saying, well, oh, well, it's going to pass anyway. So we're going to like, vote for it. Which, which didn't make sense to me. Like, well, if it's going to pass anyway, then like, if you're going to do it some type of like performative gesture, why don't you do a performative gesture, you know, like for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like for the unions, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, that's going to be, it's going to be performative, um, anyway. And I wouldn't, and I wouldn't feel so upset at the squad, like, cause you brought it up too. Like, um, I was, what I was going to say when, um, Howard, uh, I believe that's the call that I was on mm-hmm. when he said if you, if it was paired with, Something else. Say like, okay, we'll vote for this, but then we're going to put out like a letter or like a statement or something else to push Joe Biden to, um, you know, for the executive order to add in six days, you know. But mm-hmm. since it was like, since it was nothing, you know, then it seems okay. Well, like they, they, the squad is just against us, you know. And like, especially mm-hmm. as a union member, like this, this shit was different, you know. Like I'm, like I said, I was hot like last week. Like this, this shit was way was way different than any other i feel like than any other like government failure mm. they feel like uh, i feel like on um on our end like forcing like a contract it's because because like because even if because uh even if you know like um union leadership um gets captured this is one of the reasons I, I i i love working in working in the union like even if um union leadership is captured which most of them most big unions are right even if they are um like like captured and they oh, normally they always take whatever whatever like the first contract um gets put out by the big by the uh, by the companies it got to go back to the, like to the rank and file you know the rank and file still has still holds the power to say like you know what no nah, we ain't fucking with this y'all got to go got go back do it again you know so either, even if they capture it, like even if the unions capture it, it don't it, it doesn't it's not as big as a thing like how it is like in government you feel me? Mm-hmm. Like with the government, like it'll be in capture. But then to, for, then for like the workers, it's already hard enough, especially like in the type of this economy now, hard enough to get people to like to be ready to strike and like have like the will, like mm-hmm. to have the will to strike to, um, to like to push, to push back like on the contract, say no, we ain't, we ain't fucking with it. And then have like a third party come in and force it down, force it down on you anyway. Like, like that, that's going to be the case. And what's the whole fucking point of being in the union, you know? Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's one, like one of the main, one of the main things that got me so hot because we coming up with like another, like, um, my union coming up with another, um, contract, uh, pretty soon. And like mm-hmm. seeing how, like just seeing how the corporations pull the same shit, like with us and how they do it to, to every other union, you know? And I'm, I'm seeing how unionization is starting to, it's starting to slow down. You know, like the, um, a lot of the pressures and stuff is, is starting to slow down. You know, like yeah, they said, this, this shit just got me hot. <laughs> when, how did you feel? There was this moment when um, 
when I, you know, I was trying to make this point about how we could be having a bigger conversation that did get to the root of what's really going on here, which is this, the, the, the question that's not being asked as much as there is legitimate anger, even on the mainstream cable news channels about mm-hmm. what was going on. It was mixed, obviously. There was a lot of, oh, no, the holidays are ruined. But there was also a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, even Jake Tapper taking it to Pete Buttigieg in a way that was very pleasurable to watch. <laughs> yeah, um, it's been a while since Jake Tapper transformed like this. Right. <laughs> but, like, even even with the good stuff from Tapper, the question that is not really being foregrounded is, why do we have this Railroad Labor Act? Why mm-hmm. are we accepting Congress's ability to strip away this one sector's leverage? Mm-hmm. Why are we not even asking the question? Why isn't why is it not being framed? Why why is the possibility of Joe Biden rejecting this deal and punting it back to the rail workers to go on legal strike not at all a part mm-hmm. of this conversation? And Ryan kind of said, "Well, what do you want people to do after the fact? Argue that we should have gotten rid of this 1920s act? That's unrealistic. Yeah, that should piss me off so much. And it's like <laughs> well, I'm not so I'm not like." I'm hoping and praying on like fairies in the fucking forest, you know, like I'm not, I'm, I'm not delusional, mm-hmm. but you are narrowing the the arguments that you're making are narrowing the scope of the conversation and what people, what the political realities are. So Biden can't mm-hmm. snap his fingers and get rid of the act, but he certainly can veto a bill. Yeah. Like and, and, my thing. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I know you're just, just so that they're, they're acting as though Biden's hands are tied. I, I, I feel like I'm mm-hmm. being a dead horse here, exactly. but it's really important because all of these libs that are defending Biden are like, well, he had to sign some kind of deal mm-hmm. or else what? Like the world implodes. He had to he had to sign exactly. some kind of deal. The Republicans wouldn't vote for the sick day. So Biden had to sign what was left. No, mm-hmm. without someone like the left flank of our elected Democrats or a journalist like Ryan Grimm or a labor movement without somebody saying the better option, you know, labor leaders could have said. Biden either should sign the bill with the seven sick days or he should veto the whole thing and let us have an opportunity to strike. Really Mm -hmm. make it clear to the public that those were the two top two (laughs) options for workers. But did you ever hear anybody say that? (laughs) We're on the same way because I was literally just about to say that shit. Like it should have been the pressure should have been pushed. Like I agree with with. Ryan, when he's saying, um, cause I got the sentiment that he was trying to bring up saying that Joe Biden is most, most of like the heat should go towards like Joe Biden, mm-hmm. which I absolutely like fucking like agree with that. So like it should have been like, we already knew everybody wasn't, nobody was disillusioned with the fact that it was this, like the bill wasn't going to pass through, you know, like through, pass through Congress. So with that being like the case already, all every ounce of like a political power or like a social power should have been pushed towards pushing uh Joe Biden to um for for um for make this executive order in favor of the unions you know but it had but it seemed like everybody was just wanted to focus on like on, on the bill going through the house so they can throw up their hands like oh well you know well, like when it don't go through instead of pushing all like pushing all like the public pre- pressure um you know on on Biden even now like that's not the thing like we, we still can you know you still can't you know, do that. Like there's no, there's no, um, there's no real, there's not a lot of like limits on no like executive, executive order. So we mm-hmm. still, it's still opportunity like to do that. I'm not mad at, I'm not mad at Ryan for, even for like bringing up trying to say like, Oh, there, um, like there's still a chance for this to go on, but it's, it's an empty, it's empty to say that without, without trying to push people to make action, to make that, make that chance an actual reality, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, so that, that's the part that, you know, that, that's pissing, that's pissing me off about and, and, you know- it. I appreciate when Ryan says, look, I'm just trying to say what the facts are and people need to know that this is an option. Mm -hmm. But another one of the facts is 
letting people know what Biden's motivations are, what his stated motivations mm-hmm. are, what the factors are that are weighing on Biden to put in perspective that he has these, you know, the letter from the 400 business leaders who are pushing him in one direction, his history of siding with capital, like putting mm-hmm. like that is that is context that's necessary too, or else your yeah. your limited information is leading people to believe in something that is in all likelihood not going to happen. And that has a demotivating mm-hmm. effect mm-hmm. as a pacifying effect. Yeah, because like I'm, I'm not even all the way upset at like in in certain ways, like certain ways I am like at union, at something like the union uh, leadership. Because like I'm not when because I know you were talking about it like on the last um like on the last calling, uh, bringing up the point trying to say that like uh, the unions just weren't weren't ready like for a strike. I'm I'm very pissed off, like pissed off at that, and mm-hmm. like I want more people like to understand and like learn about like how how unions work and everything. I know it's going to be a little bit, it's a little bit different for them with the a railway. Cause like a lot of them might like, travel and everything, but yeah, it should have been, it should have been an organization with the community to get ready, to get ready um, for a strike. It should have been a pooling of funds and everything mm-hmm. like to get ready for a strike, and especially because the bigger, the, the larger, you know, of the groups of unions, the larger one was, you know, was down for it and everything. Yeah. That shit. Like, I'm glad to hear you say that. I was going to ask you what you feel like, what you make of this admission that they weren't really prepared to do anything and that they were kind of just counting on Biden to come through. Oh, cause I see that shit. Like, like with with my, with my union, with this past, with this past contract that, that went through with us, like it's because our contract was coming up around, I want to say it was around the same time as like, as like the John Deere went on strike um, I might be getting the timeline messed up. I know John Deere had went on strike. The our our union in uh, De- uh, in Detroit we went on went on strike against. I went to UAW, mm-hmm. went on strike against uh, GM. Mm-hmm. You know, so like then the people a lot like I'm in Kentucky. I'm at the um the KTP, the, the Kentucky truck plants. Like the biggest, okay. we're the plant that makes we make um like half, pretty much like half of Ford's like revenue comes like come through our plant. Oh, you're you making know? all those Broncos so, I see driving around. No, not the, we make we make the super duties. We make the super duties like the F two fifties and stuff. So we like build like the trucks that like a lot of construction workers and stuff use, huh, and okay. and we build like um the navigators, uh, Lincoln navigators, like come out of our uh, our plants too. Okay. So like during around that time, like the company was getting nervous because like oh shit, like the UAW just like they just uh, went went on strike uh, like up north. So it was like nervous about if our plant was going to go north. And it's a big, it's a really big disagreements between like our factions here because how companies be fucking people over, like fucking workers over, like how they do us is they introduce like a, it's a three tiered, it's a three pay tiered system. It's people that's like, that's called legacy where like they, um, hired in, let's say like around like 2000, like eight and prior where when they hired in, they worked three years and they got their full pay. Then it's people that's like in my in my um section like progressing, they they call it they call us the progressions where we came in after that. So we had to work we got to work eight years to end up getting the same to get the same like top out pay. Mm. And then you got like the temps, you know. But even though like it's temps, they basically regular workers because it's been temps that's we've been working in the plants for eight years and shit, right? So like they, so they, they initially do that. So they, when they go into, um, so when they go into, um, negotiations for the contract, like how they did this last one, um, the in progression group is the largest group. And our biggest thing was just one in like a uh, max out pay. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But you no, know, the company didn't want that because so, since so many of us, it was gonna it's gonna be more expensive for them. So what they did is, uh, I said, okay, temps after you work three years, you automatically get hired on. You still gotta do like another three anyway, you know, to get your um to get your max out. But like you're gonna you're gonna be guaranteed get your you no know, if you make it that long, get your hired in. And then they gave a bonus to the um a bonus to the people that were um that's like the legacy ones. And then um, gave like a bigger signing bonus than like normal to, to try to entice people, you know, to go on with it. So they do shit like that to pit mm-hmm. each of the each of the um, different pay tiers against each mm-hmm. other. Mm-hmm. And once you do that, it's make it easier, you know, like for the shit to like to go to go through. I feel like one of the bigger stories that people don't really talk about is why so little the why the um the vote to strike only won by such a small margin. You know, like yeah. what what was going on? What was going on? Like, why what was the union doing and everything? Why um why wasn't it more of a um why wasn't it more of a push to do it or what? Like that that the fact that it was such a small margin, um that that um won the vote to strike should let you know that all right the union isn't organizing isn't ready for a strike. That's the bigger that should have been like the bigger one of like the bigger like stories really talked about. Yeah, you know, like I said, I'm not mad as much as people. As like some union people, I, I don't like it, but I'm not as much for some people looking at being more dis like looking at Biden to um to pass it because of how he's how he's governed, like how he flipped on things that he was vehemently against, mm-hmm. like um like the loans and like marijuana, like like mm-hmm. the, one of the big ones. Like this, this motherfucker always been against it, but you know, at least at least he's not fully going, but at least he's looking like to reschedule it. So I see how I somewhat see how people got some faith in it, even though they I don't feel like they should have trusted it, but like, I'm not going to fully poo him on it, you know? Sure. No, I, I get that. And there's like a little bit of a credibility thing where I know a lot of liberals are looking at as like, you won't give him any credit for anything that he does. So it, it, it doesn't hurt to acknowledge the things that, that do happen. You know, that's completely yeah. fair. If I were him and I thought, well, no matter what I did, I was going to get pile driven by a bunch of progressives. Then so what's mm-hmm. the point? Like, I, I, I totally get that rationale. But this this piece of the story, and it's awkward for us, right? Like, I, I certainly don't feel like I can be in a position where I'm, like, wagging my finger at rank and file or ra- wagging my finger at unit management even saying, well, why haven't you organized for a strike? It's because it's a big freaking deal. You know, it's a big mm-hmm. deal, but it is the thing that they're supposed to have been preparing for. It is like mm-hmm. the job. <laughs> it is the point mm-hmm. of view. It is the source of your power. And it, it feels almost ne- it feels almost negligent. And it's, it's like squandered yeah. all of this goodwill that exists because so many other people who are in unions that are less powerful or in not in unions at all are looking to the real workers as an example. And, you know, it's it's not fair, but looking at them to fight this fight for a kind of everybody and everyone was ready to kind of fall in sympathetically and contribute and do what it took. And to kind of discover that the entire plan this whole time was contingent on hoping that Biden really was in your, was, was mm-hmm. on your side and not actually being prepared to pull the trigger. It's, it, it feels like a different kind of betrayal, but I don't know that as a community and as a public, we're really ready to have that kind of critical engagement. Oh with the workers yeah, themselves. Like, and I certainly and so don't feel qualified much. to have that conversation. Yeah, like so much of this moment is being squandered to really like just really talk about like, cause we, we since since so many people not connected to unions, 
Mm-hmm. We don't really know, like, we don't really know as a as a mass populace how like to talk about unions. We like to talk a lot about like, oh, okay, the Starbucks just unionized, um, uh, what's it, Amazon workers just unionized down here, like in Louisville, it's a, a local um coffee brand. It's kind of like a big competitor to Starbucks here. Are there like seventeen stores just unionized? We we'll talk about that and just be be done with it. We don't talk about contracts. You know, we're not we're not talking about what happens after yes the union vote. We need to talk about like okay how to get public pressure on the companies like to to, to make sure like these workers get good contracts. Mm-hmm. And we don't talk about like how the the companies are fucking people over before they get to the negotiation table, like mm-hmm. closing either like closing closing stores or firing some of the people that might end up being like negotiators and everything. Like we that's that's always being lost in the conversation when we talk about when we talk about unions, especially you know when we when we get so when we get to situations like this, trying to figure out like how can like this shit uh, like happen everybody's like confused, you know? Yeah. Instead of like actually having real conversations about like labor organizing and everything. And I love that how Kishwama uh, Swamp was talking about how the yes, union leadership and like rank and file is different. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm, we need to stop, we need to stop having so many like people on shows that's, that are, um, that are union le- leadership and have more so like rank and file people or just run of the mill, like committee men and, and everything. You yeah. know, like it's, it's, yeah, it's so easy in, in Ryan, like just to be clear, I do think that Ryan was arguing that it was rank and file who supported this plan for the squad members, which mm-hmm. is fine. You know, that's fine. I completely accept that it could be rank and file who thought that the squad should go ahead and vote for this thing. I still don't agree that it was a good plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but look, Jim, I really appreciate you calling in because it's so good to get, um, a union man's perspective on these things and your point about how different kind of tiers of workers are pit pit against each other is such an important one. Thanks. Thanks again for calling in. Always keep the faith, keep the faith jam. Dina, what's on your mind tonight? Ooh, this queue is queuing. You guys are okay. That's okay. I'm, I'm comfortable and like I'm snuggled up for the end for the night. I'm ready to get through this queue. I'm ready. Dina, what's on your mind? Can you unmute yourself, Dina? Dina, can you hear me? <laughs> All right, get in the back of the queue. I'll come back for you, Dina. Jonathan, hey, new picture. What's on your mind? Oh, uh, hang on. I'm going to try to get in the car so you don't hear a bunch of wind. <laughs> I went and ordered some after work tacos. <laughs> no worries. You sound fine to me. Well, that's because I was between breezes. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot going on there, and I probably forgot like a third of the wheels that started spinning in my head. But uh, yeah, first things first, like, I feel like Shama really gets it in her bones, kind of the, the sorts of things that I was talking about uh, in terms of like treating this situation like you're at war holding the line, uh, you know, going hard at these people and and not giving an inch, not tolerating people trying to throw the game early. Um, just like she really gets that in her bones. And at the, the short-term strategic objectives, you know, you don't have to win every fight, but you have to make it cost something for them to keep doing what they're doing. And that $15 minimum wage story that she told 
really kind of captured the essence of it. And I really wish that Ryan had been there to hear that mm. uh, because Ryan does not understand that mentality at all. Um, and, you know, I was kind of almost reminded of his, his book, We've Got People, which was a good book. But, um, you know, he kind of, um, you know, really gets like deep in these like long-term incremental strategies. He has a deep understanding of the Byzantine mechanisms of, uh, you know, democratic machine politics that's unequaled. Like I learned, you know, most of what I know from people like him mm-hmm. and, uh, there's no taking that away from him. And also like, I was a little disappointed because I had, uh, it seemed like he conceded things on David Sirota's call in last week that he was almost unwilling to concede here. And like oh, David Sirota also had, I was looking for it. I was looking. That's why I listened to that lever interview. Cause I was looking, you, you had mentioned that, but I couldn't find it. Well, it was, was a good call interview. In episode. Yeah. I mean, it was, yes, it was, it was a call in episode that, okay. yeah, that Ryan was on and Sirota kind of like got him to concede a, a critical point, which was something that seems so obvious to us, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you know, they thought they were going to be, in the room where it happened and mm-hmm. there, you know, when you combine, uh, that with, uh, you know, what AOC explicitly said in, you know, to Anand in that horrible chapter, um, you know, they think this is strategy and it's strategy kind of, um, you know, it's, it reminds me of, uh, there's a, a sci-fi book that Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote a hundred years ago, um, that involves this, group of people called the ghoulies that are big braggarts and and talk a big game but when it comes time for a real fight they flee and when they were called out by the main character as cowards they were like no it's not cowardice it's strategy Mm. and that's kind of what that reminds me of it's like they think they're gonna bring an apple for the teacher Mm. by making this this vote instead of you know going in opposition and I think somehow that's going to get them some sort of credibility that's going to get them in the room where it happens. And mm-hmm. Sirota uh, basically got Ryan to acknowledge at least that point that that's what their thinking was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think where, where Ryan, you know, basically was unwilling to confront the reality was when, uh, you know, he told him, like, they need to put that notion aside and realize it's never going to happen. And, um, you know, I almost saw him in this particular interview. Um, he reminded me of a lot of the, um, you know, one of the things the cult in uh, the cult literature says um, is when people are are confronted with, uh, you know, the kind of thing that they, you know, that sort of, in a sense, blasphemes a central assumption of theirs, they revert to. Uh, focusing on a little scrap of a, you know, repeating a scrap of doggerel or mm-hmm. a core assumption over and over again, which I've seen my brother do when I confront him on a lot of his like Ayn Rand libertarian bullshit, and he's forced to confront something he doesn't want to confront. He'll repeat a line like, um, I believe everybody can get ahead in life if they work hard enough or something like that. And I feel like that's what Ryan was doing with this stupid thing with uh well this one union told her member told her this one thing and it's totally legit and you i think made you you explained like you would a three-year-old in a way that anybody could understand that this had nothing to do with anything it wasn't the point 
And, you know, as, as, uh, my friend Luke Parcher said in, in the comments to it, um, you know, it's not really the union members don't know, uh, the dynamics of what's going on in Congress. That's mm -hmm. not really on them to make that decision. They don't have mm -hmm. all the information and, mm -hmm. you know, the yes, yes thing. They just want their thing through and you know how to do that. So it is 100% on those members of Congress, how they voted, but like he was unwilling to confront that fact. And I, I kind of like, I felt a little bad. Like, I don't know what to make of it. And, um, like I said, the things that we like about him, we love about him, but like, I just, I don't know how to break this spell over him. It's just, he won't, he won't snap out of it. Yeah. Like, it feels like he's gaslighting us, but I know he's not doing it on purpose. He believes what he says to some degree, but he can't, he can't see reason about it. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I think, you know, yeah, yeah, it's hard when you have a relationship with someone to, you know, disagree with them publicly. Or to, like, I, I was thinking of the kind of the emotional aspect of a lot of this. And I was thinking, well, I have a relationship with Ryan. I, I know I don't, I don't enjoy being at odds with him. I was very distressed during Force the Vote when we had like a much bigger conflict um, and, a, and a bigger offline disagreement. And I, it was, it was like, I was like very hurt by it. I was like, you know, I really relied on Ryan and, you know, I'm sincerely appreciative of the role that he's played in my career. And I, you know, it, it was, it was distressing. I was like upset. I was like crying, you know, I was upset. And so, like, I think about my closes and how I can be emotionally impacted by Ryan's feelings and think, well, there's no way that he's, like, closer to AOC or whatever, <laughs> you know, than, than we were as co as coworkers for a year or what have you. I'm not, I'm not saying that, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to his kids' baptisms or whatever. But, you know, like, we had, we were work, we had a working relationship and we're actually in the same office every day for a year. So I'm like, okay, well, if I can publicly disagree with Ryan and deal with that, then certainly he can publicly disagree with squad members or, or be critical of squad members. So I don't think it's just that. I, I, I do think there's something about, I think that he sees his role as very neutral and journalistic. And I, when I was a journalist, felt like I was a journalist, but also I think that we all have our agendas. And that it's more honest just to be open about it and let readers decide whether or not they agree with your agenda, but to see your bias kind of clearly and that you own it. And then they can make their own determinations about how they feel. And people feel very differently about that. I understand that. And Ryan plays, you know, his profession is a very different one than mine. He is a senior editor at a major news publication. And he can't just go around spouting off every opinion in the world, especially if it's not substantiated. But Although he is I, the guy that, you know, in his HuffPost days was uh, called by various Obama administration officials uh, a giant pain in the ass. Right. So but, but, obviously but he's, he's done it. But when I hear what he says, like, it's interesting to me, you know, when he was describing his kind of neutrality and just giving the facts, it's interesting to me because it's so clear to me that that's only half the story. And he doesn't perceive it as half the story. And he sees me kind of providing the other half of the story, or maybe he doesn't, but it felt to me like he perceives me as giving the other half of the story as me being biased. But how is it more biased of me to point out factually 
it's unlikely that Joe Biden's going to do this because of everything that he's ever done before in his life. And here's a pattern of behavior versus him saying here is an opportunity that presents that that is before Joe Biden that he could avail himself of, which is the more honest, factual thing. You know, what's what is the more opinionated thing? What is what is the more agenda based thing? And I think there's a way that like my tone or my like openness about my agenda can make it easy for the way I'm framing things to be more written off as, you know, like emotional or, or, or somehow like dri- driven by my own, my own po- political preferences and where his come off as neutral. But I think that's a really dangerous thing in journalism where, you know, there can be like, these like tonal things that make people feel like they're being unbiased. And I, I think that I look, I think that Brian, I mean, I wish he was there for this because it feels a little like shit talking and I don't mean it that way at all. But I think that he genuinely sees his 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 commentary, especially around the squad members, as neutral. He said, you know, he, when he weighed in to say the thing about um, how people – I wasn't involved in this, but there was some confusion about, like, how much money she was taking from the railroad industry. And it was one of those things where it's like railroad workers were giving to her, but people were framing it as though, like, Warren Buffett was giving to her. You know, like how Bernie experienced that with, like, um, some other industries that were, like, bad industries, but it was, like, the people who worked in healthcare or pharma or something giving to Bernie, and people were like, no, he takes from big pharma, and that wasn't the case. And so Ryan, like, stepped in to clarify it, and he got in some tiff with someone. Like, I agree. Like, he, and he was like, look, people were getting a fact wrong. I wasn't trying to defend the squad, but, like, it's ridiculous to say that she was getting money from big railroad. And I think that's perfectly fair. That's a perfectly fair correction for him to make, and he shouldn't be accused of carrying water for the squad for saying something like that. But in this case, there was a very obvious, like, co- like I, I don't want to say coordinated because like, I can't prove that, but a consistent message that suddenly was emerging in all of these different contexts that didn't all that had the, that had the disadvantage of actually not making sense. And it also relied right. on it completely shifted responsibility for a decision, a congressional voting decision to an unknown, unnamed group of workers who no shade to them, but have no real like dog. Like <laughs> you cannot say that we cannot critique a strategy on the basis of the person who advised it, allegedly, especially since we don't know anything about those people or what they said because we don't have access to those people in the same way. Moreover, and this right. is something yeah. I'm still not clear on, whose actual idea was it? Because because saying something was come, you know, they came to they came to an agreement, they came up with an idea in consultation with uh, Jamal Bowman's office and these rail workers is not the same thing as rail workers putting their heads together saying, "Oh, we really really want this," bringing it to the squad and asking them to do it. So with all of that ambiguity, it just is so unclear to me, like, why there's so much confidence being put. It's a weak story to begin with. It's a weak nothing of a story. So why am I simply seeing it parroted everywhere in tandem? Like, I don't think it necessarily needs to be coordinated because of the blessing of social media. I think they can take these. This has the air of a post hoc justification. Uh, it sounds to me like something that evolved over the course of a couple of days because uh, AOC had much less 
coherent answers and some of the other squad members had much less coherent answers to these questions in the immediate aftermath of the vote. And I feel like I watch these things evolve, these answers and this story evolve on social media in real time. And I do think whether I don't think that Ryan intended this, but I do think some of the things that he was saying and he was vetting out there in the days uh, around that uh, actual vote uh, certainly were things that were taken into consideration and became part of that narrative that, uh, you know, as Shama was pointing out, kind of unfortunately did help to, uh, you know, steal a lot of the mojo out from a lot of people who were suddenly like having a lot of difficulty reconciling what the squad did on this vote with what they believed about the squad and their potential to do good. And um, it definitely did do that, although I do think the shift is is still permanent. It's just not as far as it could have been. And it, a lot of people were were kind of fed at least enough of a cockamamie story that they could go back to, um, you know, sticking their head in the sand, if you will, uh, instead of being forced to confront the cognitive dissonance. And... I, I do think, and one of the, like, I, like I said, I don't, I can't be entirely angry at Ryan for it because I don't think that he did this in a calculated way. But if he had conducted himself in a slightly different manner and maybe asked some of the squad members, you know, as pointed to questions on why they did what they did, as he asked mm -hmm. Edward Isaac Dovier when he came out with that libelous claim about Sirota being the architect of the Tara Reid claims, mm -hmm. um, you know, and we could have had, like, this could have taken a very different trajectory. Um, but I think it's, I've come to, like, I think that I saw a lot in this interview that you did that leads me to believe that he's as much in that bubble as, um, you know, as, as some of those other people, at least in the, in the sense of where the squad and what they do is concerned. And he has a very sentimental attachment, particularly to AOC. I know you were in, you were part of that initial coverage of her 2018 campaign. Me, me Ryan, and, and AOC were supposed to have a podcast together before I left to join the Bernie campaign. We recorded one pilot episode that you can find on the Intercept's YouTube page. Yeah, I think uh, we've we've listened to it before. Uh, in fact, I think uh, clips of it were played uh, on our little call-in show. New Liberal Tears found it, and uh, you know, you it was a, it would have been a slamming podcast. I mean, I, I don't think it would have lasted. I, mean, <laughs> I don't think it yeah, obviously. lasted very long for a, bit, for a number of reasons. But look, I, I'm sympathetic to to Ryan feeling like he's gotten a pile on, but. You know, let's just look at the reason why people are suspicious of him. When Jamal Bowman tweets out his thread about why they did what he did, Ryan retweets it. When Ryan tweets out the justification that we've all been discussing today about, like, keeping the seven-day sick leave alive, AOC retweets it and adds on to it. Jonah Furman retweets the same, uh, tweets the same thing out, saying it's a dumb – you can say it was a dumb trade – the vote for the TA and you get a vote on the sick days, but the options were TA is imposed against your votes or TA is imposed with a chance for sick days. You know, Jonah Furman arguing that the only two options is the TA being imposed without even opening up the realm of possibility 
that Joe Biden does not have to pass this stuff. I mean, like, Jonah knows, and I don't think that he's trying to, like, obscure that reality. But I do think that some of these people don't recognize that their messaging is constraining the window for people who don't actually know what's going on. And and, and I don't know, like... And that's what gives me the cultish the vibes, people, almost. What, what, what they're not retweeting is... Is okay. At a certain point, Ryan knows. You said that he said something about this on Sirota's podcast or whatever. At a certain point, he recognizes that folks are pointing out that to keep the seven days alive, they did not have to vote for it. Right. Ryan could have retweeted something about that. He could have said something about that. Offered some balance. But every every move is on one side, and people notice that. All the enthusiasm is on one side. All of the messaging is coming down like a, like a very predictable stream. Yeah, you know, and I'm, you guys absolutely you can't like you can't defend people anymore. Like they got to stand on the the. Who are you gonna believe, me or your lying eyes? <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Well, and when I said something to that effect on your call-in, uh, neoliberal tears helpfully clipped it and sent it to Ryan, and I was like, well. You know, it's true. It's not like I, you know, I can expect privacy on the call-in. But, you know, he wasn't offended. Uh, he's like, okay, you know, that's legitimate criticism. I'm like, okay, well, maybe maybe think about it a little. Maybe uh, ask yourself whether it's true. I don't think he's done any of that. And, you know, basically it was me saying that, uh, you know, when he did that, that interview with AOC where he basically just handed her the microphone. And I'm like, you know what? They're going to pile on you for that and you're going to deserve it. And that's basically the the clip he heard. And I, it's at some point when the same thing keeps happening over and over again, and he gets the same criticisms over and over again, even from people that he likes and that like him, uh, like, I don't know. That's one of the reasons why it has the air of like, they're not thinking rationally about this. There's something else in their heads that's connected with these politicians. And I don't know what it is anymore. Like, I don't know what they think is going to happen or what they think these people are going to do, you know, or what they think their long game is that, you know, their imaginary long game that's never going to happen. I don't know what is in there. Like, I can't, I can't figure it out. Yeah. Well, look, I'm glad we're talking about it and people are not fixed and they evolve and we see ourselves in our own positions differently over time. And I think that today was productive regardless. So look, I appreciate you calling in, Jonathan. It was, it was a great, it was a great, great episode and a great, great uh, radar. I wanted to say as well. So uh, yeah, thanks for having me up. Thank you, Jonathan. Always a pleasure. Keep the faith, my friend. Will do. Uh, Robin, what's on your mind tonight? You with me, Robin? Yes. Hello. Hey, what's on your mind? Hi. I just wanted to um, say thank you so much for, I want to say thank you so much for um, uh, playing that, that clip that you did earlier because I called in ready to drag Ryan for filth for, you know, just a a whole bunch of things. So the clip did give some context to it. That said, um, the clip still didn't answer, you know, some of the questions that you had for him 
which was one, okay, why did the squad vote for this thing? I don't mm. understand, you know, with everything that went on, why they still did that. I don't get it at all. Um, especially given that, that there was not going to be any consequence to their vote. The second thing is, is that, you know, um, he, he kept saying, well, you know, the union people wanted it. They wanted it. They wanted this. They wanted this. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. Let's give that, you know, let's take that at face value. But, you know, Ryan's been around DC for a while. I look at DC, you know, my dad raised me to watch Sunday morning news shows and stuff like that. And we discuss these different things or whatever. So, you know, this, this, you know, political stuff is kind of my hobby. Um, But I mean, anybody that has spent any amount of time looking at politics could have seen from a mile away what you know the the train wreck that was about to happen mm. and so i don't understand how it's it's a level of naivete that i just don't believe that ryan really i don't believe he believes what he was saying when he when he's saying oh yeah well they just they just believe you know they wanted it nobody could tell the union people okay you know, even if you really thought that that was a Hail Mary, nobody could say uh, this is never going to happen. Nobody. That doesn't make any sense. Well, look, I, I I believe that you could look. It took me like a day to really realize not just at first. My position was it's so unlikely that this thing is going to pass that it's not worth voting for it. But then it took me like a day to realize, wait a minute, even if I did think it was going to pass, it's not worth voting for it because it was going to get to the Senate anyway. So I can imagine on a short timeline of just a few hours or whatever during the day before the vote, I could see a world where people hadn't really gamed it all out and genuinely believed that it, it, it was important to keep both keep the seven days alive and that you had to vote for it to keep the seven days alive. Now, that's not an excuse. I, I hold Congress members to a higher standard than podcasters trying to parse it through, you know, the night after, <laughs> you know. But, like, I, I can believe that in the, in, the, in the mix of it all when it was happening that Ryan and others might have thought that that was genuinely maybe a, a long shot plan but, like, a reasonable enough plan. And, moreover, believe that, the most important thing when there's some ambiguity about how to move forward is to simply defer to the workers. Like I, I, I don't agree with all of that, obviously, as we heard at length on the podcast, but I think that there's a good faith, you know, way that you can think all of that was true. But again, I hold the Congress members who are paid to understand how this stuff works to a higher standard and for them to have, you know, deferred to union members for a plan that made no sense is not like giving union members some like dressing down. It's not on them. It's on the, it's on the squad to have figured this out. And it's, it's scary. Like at one point Ryan said, like, you know, I just, you know, I don't want the, I'm not, I'm like paraphrasing, but it was very close to, I don't want Congress members to think for themselves. I want them to follow the workers. Right. Which I, I understand like the point of that sentiment and how like, we shouldn't be status obsessed. Then the people who are closer to the ground understand what's going on. Like, I understand how that can feel like a good statement to make. But when I heard it, I thought it was like terrifying because <laughs> people, people know their lanes, 
you know, like I'm not going to sit here and be like, I'm not an elitist. So I want, I want, you know, I want, you know, the, the, the administrative staffer at the hospital to do my heart surgery. Like, no, the administrative staffer should do administration. Right. She <laughs> was trained in heart surgery. She do the heart surgery. That's no disrespect to the admin staffer. <laughs> like I don't want the heart surgery, heart, heart surgeon to be processing my Medicare payments either. um so like i i I think that that's a little bit it gets into this weird kind of almost virtue signally place where it's like i you know i don't have to think i don't have to turn my brain on because i'm just trusting workers like no like you're a journalist squad as as congress members you still got to use your brain yes i totally agree with all of that and then there was one other thing that i wanted to bring up because it it seemed like it went by really quickly in the podcast and I wish that there was some more time spent on it, but I seem to recall that there was a, a moment in time where the uh, rep- I, I don't know what her uh, right title is. Con- uh, Councilman Schwama, um mm-hmm. was talking about how, um, you know, she, she was advocating for a third party and it sounded like, uh, Ryan Graham was saying that that was silly. You know, it's part of that whole thing about, well, you know, um, you know, uh, and then she was like, well, you don't have a, uh, you know, at first he was saying, um, I don't have an opinion on this or whatever. And then she went back and said, well, you have opinions about all these other things, but you don't have opinion on that. And he broke down and said, okay, fine. If this is mm-hmm. silly, was he specifically talking about the third, uh, having to go for a third party being silly or did I miss hear what he was saying or the conversation that was going on and if and if I wasn't mishearing it what are your thoughts on that I thought it was an admission it came really early on right right Uh, early early in Ryan's part of the conversation shoot after he joined the conversation I thought it was a kind of admission that he thought that the strategy like that the vote ultimately was bad like silly like the the progressives made a bad move in in voting for it okay but it was, it did happen quickly and it wasn't super clear. Um, but yeah, like I think that ultimately he acknowledged that even if it was just to quote save face, he would have advised progressives to act differently because he acknowledges that nothing was actually gained from voting for it. It was going to go to the Senate anyway. Like the seven days was going to go to the Senate anyway. Okay, Why so that he... wasn't kind of like the end of the conversation? <laughs> Right, right. I okay, don't so, really know. <laughs> okay, so he, but he was not to your, from your uh, understanding, he was not saying that uh, a third party option was silly. Um, I don't, I don't think so, but I'd have to go back and listen. No, no, no worries. Um, you know, that's all I wanted to talk about. I just want to say, you know, thank you for taking my call. I, I love listening to you on Rising, and I love that you you know, elevate black voices on rising. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Robin. Keep the faith. Thanks for listening. Um, I forgot Dina. So I'm going to go and grab Dina from the back. My bad, Dina. What's on your mind? Hey, Bree. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? What's, what are you thinking about this evening? Um, so I wanted to respond to the episode today, react to it, but Mm -hmm. then Jam was talking about how, um, this whole issue of people unionizing, but then not being able to 
with the contract negotiation being much harder to get than the actual unionizing. Mm. Um, and so talking about um, like how do we put pressure so that um, that sort they don't just, well, it's kind of like the railroad, um, the railroad negotiations have been going on for three years already. Um, so that's like the biggest tactic. That's what Starbucks is doing right now, which is just um, pushing things back. And um, so um, one way that unions actually do that is something called strategic research, um, which is basically where, and like um, most big unions, they have a, a whole research department that does this. Um, so basically what you do is do a power analysis of the company, um, or I guess in other cases, it's going to be like a nonprofit or whatever it is. Um, and you find out how the company makes money. Um, and then you do with that, like power analysis, you figure out how to mess with their ability to make money. Mm -hmm. And that can be through key relationships that can be by messing with their supply chain, um, and messing with their profit centers. Um, and so what that does is, um, obviously it's a supplement, like it's an addition to traditional worker organizing, mm -hmm. um, and like picketing and all the like standard like ways that unions have what unions have done for like centuries um what it but it's part then it becomes like a comprehensive campaign and um which has been like there's um kate bronfenbrenner at cornell um she's like the one of the biggest like labor academics um, and she actually did a whole study um, historically um, of different camp union campaigns um, and you know whether or not they were successful and I mean it's I mean you know this with your intuition but like the more um, angles uh, the union has uh, and like pressure points it can attack um, the it's like way more likely um, that the campaign will be successful. Um, and so like an example that I actually just saw very recently today is, so the UC strike that's going on right now. So I mm -hmm. saw that a bunch of the workers are kayaking to the private island of a UC mega donor um, who owns the island and lives mm -hmm. there um, mm -hmm. to put pressure on him because that is, uh, in a way, that's like a profit center for the the um, whole UC system, and also a key relationship that they need to have um, in order for their institution to keep running. Um, and yeah, so it's like I saw that, and I was like immediately like, yes, like that was a strategic researcher who figured that out and mm. like t t turned that into. Um, organizing. Um, and so just for everybody in the audience also, there's um, at Cornell, there's the summer school, there's a program that's two weeks where they basically teach you how to do this type of research. Mm. Um, and I did it, um, I think two summers ago. 
Um, so that's why I know all about this. Um, so I would really recommend if people are interested in it um, to go check it out. Um, it's just called Strategic Corporate Research Summer School. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. I, that sounds yeah. familiar from when Jane McAlevey was on the podcast. No, did she talk about those doing, I think she called them power maps? Um, no, I think those are different. Or okay. Actually, maybe... Maybe it is the same thing, but yeah, it's like, it's really, there's like a whole system to how you do it. Um, they teach you that in the program. Um, and it, I, it would be cool to, I don't know exactly who, um, to interview, but getting a strategic researcher, uh, would be really interesting to get their perspective on all this labor stuff that's going on. Um, Absolutely. Cause I, I, for the next step for me is I really want to know more about why, uh, you know, the unit wasn't prepared to strike. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the rank and file was very much emotionally prepared, you know, like psychologically prepared, but not there the structure apparently wasn't there. So I want to know what that means to be structurally unprepared and mm -hmm. how something like that could happen. Yeah. I think the main thing is just that the union leadership didn't want to strike and so they didn't prepare for it mm -hmm. but that also and then also i think that like well the like militant rank and file caucus that ryan was talking about i mean just like in uaw the the reform um slate is like being has it's kind of taking over the uaw leadership mm -hmm. um i mean that's probably the direction that it's going to go in but at the same time this also goes back now to my thoughts on the episode um which is if what ryan is saying is true why is a militant rank and file caucus telling congress people to break their own strike because that doesn't seem very militant to me and that's concerning so like ryan's conclusion from them saying that to like Jamal Bowman or whatever, is that, okay, so Jamal Bowman should do whatever they say. My conclusion is, like, what the hell is going, like, what the actual fuck <laughs> is going on um, with this reform caucus um, asking Congress people to vote yes on, well, I think like, that. What he would argue is that, and I think he did argue this, was that there was never going to be a strike. So it's, misnomer to describe this as a strike breaking vote and that they were all being very realistic about the fact that for various reasons including that you know biden was going to you know prevent a legal strike um that he was going to pass something you know the fact that the unit itself wasn't prepared for a strike that no strike was actually going to happen moreover you know, the vote, you know, the TA was going through anyway, you know, the strike, there was no strike that was going to happen. Therefore, they moved to a different mind frame of what can we get out of this? Now, as I've said a million times, I still think that's stupid because voting for it still doesn't get yeah. anything extra out of it. However, that I think that's what Ryan would say. And that it's like not fair to characterize it as a strike, like voting, voting to break the strike. Mm -hmm. But it's okay. It's not voting to break the strike. It's voting to take the union's power away. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, and so, that, like, that why distinction is, this... is like not made clear because of the vote? Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I think. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so I don't understand. Like, I want to 
talked to this militant rank and file caucus that supposedly told Congress people to vote yes, yes. Mm -hmm. um, because, and I also, I feel like he said that that was what they said in the Chapo episode, but the clip you played, I don't know if I didn't hear it, but I didn't hear that any of them say that, that the, that it was explicitly from that caucus to the Congress people. Yeah, I think every discussion I've heard of this has been very, the verbiage has been vague <laughs> enough yeah. to not make it really, like, whose idea was this? And yeah. was it a demand? Because, look, my, my, my most cynical read is this. I can't prove this. This is pure conjecture. I'm just lying right now. Like, I'm just making stuff up. <laughs> but my, my suspicion is a part of my cynical brain is saying it was actually the squad's idea. Yeah. They did consult with this union about it. They said to the union, look, this is what we think our plan is going to be. What do you think about that? And the union defers to the Congress members and says, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, I get the logic of wanting to keep this thing alive. If, it, if it's better for you because, you know, it make, keeps you in better good graces with Pelosi or whomever to go ahead mm -hmm. and vote for this. And it's no skin off our back because the thing is going to get passed anyway. Go ahead and vote for it. We won't be mad at you. Like when I talk to Ross, like my impression is like they're, they basically are like, I'm not trying to make your life harder squad members So do what you got to do since it doesn't matter anyway. Yeah. And so that doesn't sound very militant to me. <laughs> like right. that's it's, not, that's not militant rank and, and file not, talking. It's also not the same thing as this, as the rank and file wanting this, pushing yeah. for it. Well, I think that also that also has to do a lot with like Ryan's class position, because I feel like he doesn't trust himself to like like we all like working people just instinctively like we get it. Like, obviously, this is fucked up and they're breaking a strike and they're taking power away from a union and they should vote no on it, even if some one caucus reform caucus and one of the unions tells you to vote yes but like because he doesn't trust himself enough to like say that because of his class position he's just like oh like congress people aren't supposed to like make any decisions they just have to be like they just have to do whatever the unions tell them to do um and i feel like that's kind of part of where it comes from is that kind of insecurity of being disconnected from the working class. Um, and so it's kind of the same way, like it's the same kind of identity politics where like guilty white people will defer to like the black person in the room. Yeah. Like, I'm not like, look, it's this, this whole thing gave me vibes of, you know how I'm kind of allergic to the word organizing it's not because mm -hmm. I'm allergic to actual organizing. It's because there is this way that like this virtuous concept, sincerely virtuous yeah. concept is brought up to basically stop questions being asked yeah. and stop some kind of interrogation as to whether a strategy is effective or, you know what I mean? Like, and it feel if that's what it felt like, it's not obviously Look, I, I think that Shama did use some poor word, word choices here and there and, and I mean, kind of like characterized um, this group of workers, perhaps uncharitably. And I think that's completely fair for Ryan to push back against. But at the end of the day, it, like, it kind of doesn't matter. Like, they can be, everything Ryan can say is true. 
about these workers and it doesn't matter. They're just yeah. being brought up, not because you have some authentic belief that because of who they are, they have the best strategy. It's, it's a way to deflect having to interrogate whether or not this in fact was the best strategy now that we're investigating it after the fact and against all evidence, it clearly wasn't the best strategy. So why yeah. are these people being brought up into this conversation? Well, I, I feel like it's this whole, like, it started with, like, the fetishization of organizing. Then it's, like, the fetishization of labor. And now, mm -hmm. like, the new thing is the fetishization of these reform caucus within the union. Mm -hmm. And where it's, like, they're automatically the only authority on this and you aren't allowed to have your own opinion about mm -hmm. it. And, the, and also, like, if you just under, if you just call yourself, you know, a reform caucus... Like, you can always hide behind being a reform caucus to, like, in the same way that, like, union leadership hides behind being mm -hmm. labor. And, mm -hmm. like, um, yeah. So it's just, like, it's just an inability to like, think for yourself. Um, and I guess just to close, like, that's why I really appreciate you because um, – it's like you just are the only person who seems to like reason through things and um yeah just um yeah no i i just appreciate you a lot and um i love this episode i loved shama and i personally i loved how casually snarky she was with ryan <laughs> like she was just like making her argument and then just in passing like <laughs> giving him a little jab um yeah thank you um and yeah, well, it's, it certainly thing. was it certainly was entertaining <laughs> yeah. i it was, was it was fascinating to see her uh in this in this form I, yeah i'd never <laughs> seen her i've never seen her that heated um and yeah it was glorious <laughs> yeah look I, I really appreciate everything you've had to say today dina too your analysis has been great so i'm glad i didn't forget about you and i'm glad we were able to get this damn app working yeah me too all right take care keep the faith yeah keep the faith okay bide not biden long time no chat what's on your mind tonight Whew. just when they yeah, i think i'm out they pull me back in you know um <laughs> so what an episode uh revealed a lot and yeah, long time no talk. I hope you've been well. Um, still been following the show, uh, and a lot of good episodes. But but there's, I'm about to talk some shit. Is that okay if I just talk a little bit of shit for a little? You can bit? talk your shit. I would just like to say a disclaimer. I am not, I am not co-signing any any of the shit that's about to get spake. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I take full responsibility for the shit that's about to be spake. Um, <laughs> okay. Brianna Joy Gray is responsible for none of it. Shoot, shoot, uh, shoot your shit. But, okay, here we go. Um, so uh, politicians, first of all, Ryan, Ryan, if you're listening to this later, Ryan, hey, uh, I, I really kind of like you, man. I, I, you're, you know, you're, you're an acid guy. I'm an acid guy. Uh, you like fish. <laughs> I'm more of an Umphreys McGee guy, but that was kind of a phase. I like... I think you're a cool guy. You write a lot of good articles and you have a good knowledge of this shit. So I respect a lot of the work that you do. But that being said, the, it baffles me. 
absolutely baffles me that there seem to be some basic misunderstandings about what the job of a politician is, okay? And a politician's really got two jobs, really only two motherfucking jobs, okay? The first job is to listen to your constituents. But the second job is actually more important, and that's to do stuff that's in your constituents' best interests. And the listening to your constituents is necessary to understanding what they want, but the doing what they do, what, what you need to do to actually be in their best interest, that's on you. And as a politician, you do politicking. Now, we, we could go round and round in circles about the particulars about who put this bill up, whose idea it was, whether the representatives, whether the workers were really representative of the whole will of the workers who came up with this plan, uh, whether the workers themselves actually came up with this plan, none of that fucking matters. Because if the idea is bad, if the politics are bad, then as a politician, it's on you, on mm. you to explain to people why the fuck that won't work and what the repercussions could be, the broader repercussions could be for destabilizing your movement. And that's the point mm -hmm. that, I, that I, I, I find so crazy here is that, you know, and you've made this point a bit tonight, and it's the one that I can't, it's the one that Ryan Grimm should really understand. Because Ryan Grimm is one of those few people in, in the Washington sphere or whatever, who some of the particulars and the minutia about how government actually works. When it comes to things like explaining a filibuster or, or, or understanding uh, just these details of what committee does what and how you actually get a bill to the floor and, you know, the schoolhouse rock type of shit. He understands that. It's Sirota. So when, when he's being selective in putting forth some of these solutions, like the Biden executive order, because one of the things that you, and you've mentioned it, one of the things that uh, uh, Grimm said is that, well, you know, since this vote for the sick days failed, uh, the next hope is in the Biden executive order. And like you said, we know that if Biden wanted to make an executive order giving the seven sick days, he would have done it already because there's no real time restriction. There's nothing stopping him from doing it, but public pressure. And if public pressure isn't enough to get the seven day sick day bill through, then why the fuck is it going to be enough to get the executive order through? Mm -hmm. it's, it's these types of, like, when you are selectively leaving out uh, information about how the strategy that being decided upon is bullshit, and what you're doing is saying, hey, professional politicians who should understand who, it's literally your job to understand how all of this shit works. It's literally your job to understand the most effective way or to strategize as to the most effective way as to deliver for your constituents, how to package the bill, how to do the ins and outs, how to politic. It's literally your job to do that. To instead for us now, or for Ryan to offer the excuse that, hey, uh, some workers came up from uh, the railroad and came up with a political strategy and now professional politicians are going to say, yep, this was the best political strategy that we had. And we were just listening to the world of workers. Look, if I'm, if I need my car to be fixed, I go to a mechanic, right? It's a mechanic's job 
to know how to fix my car. I don't like, if someone comes in and they're like, hey, I'm a really good, uh, I don't know, like lacrosse player. I think you should fix the car like this. And I listen to them and I fuck up the car. And then I say, you know, I was just listening to the lacrosse players about how to actually get the shit, you know, fix your car. It makes no sense. And that's essentially what Ryan's trying to put forth here is and and for a politician and to say something like and, that and, yeah yeah and, and then yeah, he goes and he, he kind of he, he he kind of suggests that if you don't want to listen to the lacrosse player it's because you disrespect lacrosse players and like yeah. no i oh, respect do you have them any at respect lacrosse. For the lacrosse players no Right, you know, look, sometimes the lacrosse player is going to have an insight into why your car is making that sound because they had the same car and it used to make that same noise back in 1984. Like sometimes they're right. Right. But like I'm not going to automatically just abdicate all of my common sense because the lacrosse player said a thing. A lacrosse player can tell you, hey, there's like a lacrosse ball or whatever that's stuck in the exhaust. But you are the one as a mechanic <laughs> who has to figure out how to get it out. You sure. have to figure out how to get that ball out. So it's, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, and the thing that really got me heated, honestly, Bree, and which really made me reevaluate some shit, because I saw, I saw some of that Twitter beef between Ryan and R, RBN, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Compton J. And when I first saw it, mm-hmm. I, I was looking at that and I looked at some of the back and forth and I can't remember the exact, uh, nature of all the tweets and I'm not going to pull them up and recount them because it's Twitter who, you know, it's only so serious. But I remember thinking when I was reading it that like, well, Compton J seemed like he kind of jumped the gun here and on certain particulars, maybe, but when you see shit like this and then you see Ryan, this, this, I'm just going to say it, Ryan, I do look, I, I would say this to any friend. But you deserve a this motherfucker right here. You really do. This trail. What the actual fuck? Are you? Are you? <laughs> I'm dead. What the actual fuck? He, he deserve every part of it. But you, he had the audacity to say some shit. First of all, he said, uh, shit's not going to change since 1923. Like, first of all, motherfucker, we're here for a revolution. I don't know what the fuck you're here for. But... We're going to fight like shit can actually change, period, because a lot of people who are living in the squalor of the reality of today don't have a choice of whether or not they get to fight for an impossible dream, because all they got left on the motherfucking plate of hope is that dream. Mm -hmm. So you could shut the motherfucker up with that, number one, Ryan. But number two, when he had the audacity to say this shit, when he said said something like, well, do you you really think that they're not going to get sick days eventually? Mm. girl yeah when when he said here's the thing okay ryan listen what the fuck is eventually when the crisis that they're dealing with is now yeah okay the problems that are caused by their lack of sick days are happening now today literally has he not listened for someone they've been happening they've been been living this horrible lifestyle for years and for someone who's claiming to, that we should listen to the workers? Have you not listened to the shit that they've actually been going through, Ryan? Have you not listened to the people, the, the motherfucking conductor who had a heart attack yeah. on, on a goddamn train that he was running because he couldn't, he knew he was having some issues, but couldn't get a sick day off approved. He even went to his, the people and said, I need a sick day. I need to go get approved. Couldn't get it approved. 
died after knowing that he had some problems, unable to go to the doctor, and he's dead. You want to tell that motherfucker and his family eventually? You want to tell him eventually? How about you listen to those workers? The selectiveness with which the the audacity of some of these motherfuckers, man. Like, and I think I'm still not convinced Ryan is bad faith or anything like that. But ooh, this kind of shit. What else? It's like what you said. Do you want me to to trust me or, 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 uh, you know, don't trust your lying eyes? And, and I was very impressed with Shama Sawant because she understands, uh, pretty intimately, it seemed that like some of these conditions, which have led people to turn to Trump are, are the same conditions, which should and could be leading them to socialism, but for the fact that when they look at the people who, who, uh, style themselves socialists or style themselves to be representative of the people they're getting sold out. Mm-hmm. Those are the people selling them out. And God damn it. Like Ryan, Ryan, the people are going to, when they rise up, they're going to kill people. They're going to fucking lose it. I don't like, I, I don't know if like, I'm still in Chicago and you know, I'm in that PMC. You know, I go to a, a, a building every day and I go up and rich people fight over money. And I say, mm, that's not in the contract, blah, blah, blah. You know, shout out but, to all my corporate lawyers out there. Woo, hey, woo. Shout out corporate lawyers. <laughs> hey, hey. Uh, but like, what's crazy is you, you still walk on these streets and more and more homeless people are showing up every fucking day, you know, and like you'll talk to them and it's like, yeah, I was a forklift operator but this shit shut down, you know, it's diff- like the diversity of people who are becoming homeless nowadays should freak people out. It should legitimately be freaking you out because this isn't like the old, you know, back of the day when people could just be like, Oh, it's always drugs or it's always this or that it's capitalism. And if we keep providing cover for these decisions, even if there are reasons to, potentially explain it. And I don't I, I guess I don't want to shit all over it because the one explanation that kind of, I guess, barely makes sense, but the idea that basically by putting a standalone vote on something like sick days, what you can expose is that Congress has had the power to change this policy all along. Because if they have a standalone bill to do it, then it shows that they could have done it and that, they, that, that, that power is in them. So maybe it inspires people to put pressure on them. But the thing is, that starts to get a little too fucking wonky donkey at a certain point, right? Because I think people understand that Congress has that power. They understand that Biden has that power. And the thing is, you don't need to have that vote in order to explain that they have that power. So That's it just starts, that, that argument, that, it starts yeah. to like, If they had just... Like, I honestly, I wouldn't even have minded that much about the actual vote of it all if the rhetoric was there, like we were saying before. If they were making the, if they found out other ways to make a distinction between what the outcome could be and what couldn't be and the role that Joe Biden played in all of this and the role that so many Democrats played played in getting the TA to pass in the first instance, all of this was enabled fully by the Democratic Party. But the point of this whole maneuver was for Democrats to be able to say, yes. oh, gosh, shucks, we would have done the right thing, but for Republicans voting down the sick days. 
Like that's the whole point of the whole maneuver yes. is to make this seem like it's Republicans' fault and not everybody's fault. And the squad is complicit in that, and their votes were complicit in that. So again, I agree with you. If, yeah. if they had just opened their yeah. mouths and said some shit, I wouldn't be laboring. I wouldn't be belaboring this like little vote that nobody really cares about anyway, and, and didn't matter how they voted, so I wouldn't care that much about it. Yeah. But like they're the ones that are pointing to this as basically the sum total of their revolutionary, you know, uh, 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 contribution to the moment is that they voted to get the sick days across the finish yes. line, which wasn't a thing, you know. And so if you're going to point to that as the sum total of your revolutionary contribution, well, we're we're going to have some words about that. Yeah, and and they do that. They point it out as a sum total while simultaneously explaining that narrative by the possibilities of other revolutionary acts. They'll talk about, you know, it's been the same since 1923. You really think it's going to change? We have to. We have to act like it's going to change because we are out of options, Ryan. We are at the end. We do not have the time to be fucking around. Because yeah, we're I found that to be so demotivating. Right yeah, it, it's it's goofy because <laughs> a motherfucker don't say shit like that unless they can go back into like a house and take a little nice nap on a bed, you know. And and look, I don't think everyone who needs to be a revolutionary needs to live in like squalor, in like shitty conditions or anything like that. Because the point is, everybody should be able to go home at night and sleep comfortably on a bed. That's the revolution. Everyone should be able to go somewhere at, and call it their own, to go to a hospital and just get treatment, to walk in. It should be, you know, and, and just those are things that people should have. But when, when and look, a couple people in the chat, man, have been mentioning to like access and you know, shit like that. I do think part of this, and I don't know how conscious Ryan is of it or not, and it really doesn't matter. It does, his personal psychology doesn't matter after a certain point, right? It's about like, if he's afraid that he's going to lose access to some of these people, whether consciously or not, it's affecting the way he acts. It's affecting how he runs cover. It's affecting what uh, 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 solutions or what, what explanation to accept and not. And I do think Ryan's at his best whenever he plays the role of like, look, I want to explain this, explain what their reasoning is, and then back the fuck off. But then don't be retweeting mm. Jamal Bowman's shit. Yeah. Don't like, be retweeting Jamal like, Bowman. Get the fuck out then. Quote, quote tweeting AOC's tweets and, and saying like, oh, look, AOC's responding to her critics. Like, I don't think I'm telling to like. You know, Ryan, Ryan, he like texted me, look, aren't you happy that AOC is responding to her critics? Like that, that's why it starts to feel like PR. Like you're, why, on, wait, first of all, why would I care about, like, there, no. there's nothing in this that is responsive right. to me or anything that I'm saying. And, and also the bar is this low, like she recognizes that there's a criticism and he gives a bullshit response. And that is supposed to be the progress that I'm championing. Like, no, the, come on. Like doing things like that, yeah. like is Ryan texting AOC with my tweets? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, is he is he texting AOC saying RBN made a good point? God, 
Yeah. You know, they, look, maybe he is. Maybe he no, is. No, he's texting her. Hey, you know? I, I really like that tax of rich, that tax of rich dress you wore, or whatever. Well, look, you know, I, it's look, like I, 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 I'm not. I'm not gonna say that. I just. I don't I, like. I think that whether or not he intends to do it, there are very obvious reasons why people perceive him to be running cover for the progressives. And mm-hmm. if he doesn't want people to think that of him, there are very easy things that he could just change about his online behavior. That's it. Yep. Yep. A hundred percent. And I don't want to take up all the time or anything, but um, look, you're spot on with this. The, the, the last thing I will say though, too, is uh I am still in the camp of trying to get you into politics because, and I, I know you hate hearing this, but I want there to be a record of it. I, I, look, uh, we, we cannot change anything without power. And I know that's only one avenue for power. Uh, there's a lot of different avenues for power. There are a lot of different avenues for power, but all of them require some kind of hands-on active engagement. If if the sum total of what we are constantly doing is here talking about how fucked up this uh, the, the the cover that Ryan Grimm running with this is then where where do we go you know nothing like I, I, there needs to be like there need to be active pushes and i do think you, you know I, I saw rika here earlier first of all shout out rika you're the shit i i love you rika uh, Rika has talked before extensively about not just organizing the union, but what do you do afterwards? The importance of negotiating through your and what happens after that. And I think we need to have more. First of all, everyone on this call, if you're a worker of any kind and you need like form a union, get in the union. It's time. You can do it. You're, you're, you're smart enough. You're, you're so awesome and you're probably you're so beautiful too you look so good all of you look so good form a union but get in there uh you can learn the stuff that you need to learn while doing needs we we cannot have this sort of aversion to power anymore um because if if the sum total of our hopes are in aoc or even rashida talib this is the she is the loneliest motherfucker on the planet (laughs) <laughs> of like politics in that squad right now. And that's that's like one of the best that we have who's in it's if that's it, then we're in trouble. We're in trouble. They don't care if all we're doing is uh complaining. They're fine with that. They've been fine with that for the entirety of our entirety of our history. We we have to actively Take it. We have to take it from these motherfuckers. And you have to have that attitude of it's time to take it. Okay? Because even if it's it, you get even if someone gets into office, if you get into office, you mess something up or you do a bad job, you've done your job because we're voting you out. Get out. It's this this idea of people holding on to power and using not taking risks and running cover for people and everything. This is how we get to and remain where we're at. Take the shit. Well, look, bye. I'm going to interrupt you because, you know, we're, I'm so glad mm. to have Ryan in the chat so we can all stop talking our shit <laughs> and actually just constructively continue the conversation that we obviously had on today's podcast. So welcome, Ryan. 
Uh, you're gonna have to unmute yourself using the mute button at the bottom. Oh, there you go. Yeah, thank you so much for joining. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for. I know it's gotten a howdy, little. Howdy, Ryan. It's getting tense on on the How Twitters, and I I don't want there to be a Joe Cicerone situation where you know I know it can get a little overwhelming and my audience can be a little intense. Love you guys, but no. you know you are. Um, no, so not, what what do you want to? Don't worry about it at all. What do you what do you want to say? What's what's your take on well, kind of the response to all of this? I was in your little green room for just a couple minutes so I could respond to a couple of things you said. One, I sent you AOC's re- reply tweet because you've got to be honest, like you specifically and your audience and the, this whole world are constantly and with good reason complaining that she's not engaging with her critics. Like that's like one of y'all's number one complaints. So Ryan, don't come. Why, so why be like? Why? Because we don't need her right, like, just kind of randomly with the critiques. It was with the critiques. She's explaining like why she voted yes, yes. But, like the but critique Ryan, was you should have voted no, yes. She's like, here's why I voted yes, yes. But the but the like, opera- well, why don't send me that? But Ryan, you gotta we, pick, pick she often she often says reasons why she does things. The critique isn't. You know, we weren't clamoring for her to say, oh, we didn't support force of vote because we were holding out for a $50 minimum wage. Look, she always gives those kinds of rationale. Our our frustration is that we see we we perceive the rationale she's offering as transparently insignificant insufficient. And we don't actually have an opportunity to engage her directly with follow up questions that explain why it is that her reasoning is flawed. So she gets away with even the most, you know, cursory explanation just thrown out there that it goes unchallenged because she doesn't put herself in the position to actually have it substantively critiqued. And when you when you forward it the to me or you retweet it or whatever, yeah, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. What, when you forward it or retweet it, what it feels like is an, an and I, I don't and I'm not saying that you necessarily mean it this way, but it feels like a, an an endorsement of whatever her position is. That that echoes right. the kind of uncritical echo, uh, the uncritical space that right. she's in that allows her to get away with that. What I would love is, you know, like, did you think her rationale was sound? And and Bri, if I can add just one thing, and then I'll I swear I'll shut up. Also, the reaction to when she gives some unsubstantive or uh, a a uh, response that doesn't make sense and is not uh, scrutinized for its substance. Then to, for us to be told, well, she engaged. Well, she responded to criticism. Isn't that what you want? No. What we want is her to engage with the substance of the criticism in a meaningful way that's not bullshit. And once well, you're being was, told okay. that it's bullshit over and I mean, once you're being told something uh, is a substantive critique over and over again, but you know that she's not actually responding to it, it, it starts to feel like gaslighting. The main, the main response, though, was, and look, this represents the complete breakdown of, of trust, and there's, there's blame on all, on all sides there. But the main response was, we don't believe you. We don't believe that you worked with workers on this. We don't believe that no, they Ryan. had anything to say about that. Sorry, I'm go, sorry. Go, go, look I'm at, sorry. Go, go look at the replies. Go look at the replies. Well, what and about I, we don't I, believe well, that well, Wait a minute, Biden. Wait a minute, Biden. Gonna... Pull, pull your audience right now. Like they're, most of them, I bet, think she lied. Like they just but... are going to say they straight up lied. So, but Ryan, Kishama, it's, it's, Kishama yesterday was like, that's not true. It's bullshit. It's, it, so let's, I, I think that Shama, none of us 
can make an, a judgment about what is true. And I think to the extent that things that she said seem to kind of discredit that narrative, that wasn't necessarily appropriate, and I don't agree with that. But now it's it's you and me, Ryan, and I think the argument is, my argument is, not that any of that wasn't true, but that it was immaterial. So what do you, and I think that's, we said this, I said this several times right. during and, our episode. And there's, there's where you and I disagree. Like, I think if the, if workers with who have some plausible case to be representative of a broader swath of workers are telling you that this is the thing that they want to, that they want you to do, that you do it and you just t- take, take the lumps for okay, it. So like, I'm gonna make an but absurd, we, dis- we disagree. I'm going to make an absurd comparison for the sake of demonstrating a point. If the workers, legitimate workers, a radical caucus of workers, a plurality of workers, all of the things that would make their opinion weighty in the average person's mind. If they put their heads together and said, what would really be meaningful for us as a caucus is if you wore a pink crown to take your vote tomorrow or later today. And AOC then turns around and says, look, this is what they really wanted is for me to vote yes, yes, while wearing this pink crown. And I just had to respect the desire of these union workers. I think that we could all appreciate that that makes no sense. and seems random. And it's like, okay, I guess, but that has no bearing on whether or not I think the right strategy was pursued. That's, I'm fine to amend it to say, like, within some level of reason. You'd be like, okay, what's your reason? And you, got, and you started the call in by playing that clip uh, of, the, of, of the worker who was in touch with Bowman's mm. office explaining, like, what their, what their reasoning was. And, like, if you're Bowman, I think at that point it's like, okay, you know what? Cool. But Ryan, I, the, pro- yeah, the I think problem should, is, I think what they should have done is done a much bigger campaign with the with the workers out front, and and not. I think they relied too much on their own uh, credibility and their cred, and which they don't have anymore. Ryan, why would the workers? Why would it matter to workers? Okay, if the rationale, like I, you know, if the rationale is keeping the seven days alive, that's what the Chapo people said. That's what you've said. If the rationale is keeping the seven days alive and the squad members' votes had no bearing on whether or not the seven days went to the Senate, why should I be invested in the union members, some portion of union members, wanting the squad to vote in a way that had no bearing on whether the seven days would be kept alive? And why shouldn't I be wondering, skeptical, critical, of why everyone involved from the union members to the squad members seem to be putting forward a plan, a voting strategy that has no relationship to the intended effect. I mean, what do you, what do you, you mean you don't agree with a strategy? Is what you're no, saying. I'm saying if your strategy, if the investment of the unions, if the, if the thing they really cared about was the Senate being able to vote on seven days. Mm-hmm. And whether or and, not the squad voted for yeah. the seven days in the House, the seven day, or the TA in the House, the seven days is going to the Senate because they're tethered together. And no matter what the squad members did, both were going to go to the Senate. The whole, their, their rationale for not voting it down, remember, was that it was going to pass anyway. But there's a double-edged sword to that rationale, right? If the TA is going to pass anyway so their votes don't matter, vote, the voting for it doesn't matter, then the then the seven days is going to pass anyway, so voting doesn't matter. The vote, their votes don't matter the second these things are tethered. That being the well, case, yeah, yeah. why should I 
why should I credit the strategy at all? I, I have my own brain, Ryan, and the strategy just doesn't make any sense. That's funny. Like, and I've and I've said like, uh, if they if a squad went out there and like like Rashida Tlaib voted no and then voted yes, like that's fine. It's like, but it's just that's that's so tr that that particular thing was so trivial in the global context because it was becoming it's it's becoming law. The effort was to get the seven days vote. That's what they were focused on. Yeah. It, sure. Fine. Like, uh, like, so yeah, here's the thing, right? like the, in, a no vote. in some ways, the, the other, you're... Yeah. yeah, so go ahead. No, I mean, the, the other, the other two, two points real quick, because I, I can't stay on for too long. Um, two other points. One, you said, like, I could do a couple different things and like, and I could change the way that I'm perceived on online. You, you know me well enough. I don't care. Like, I'm going to tell people what I think is the truth and, and they can listen to it or they can not listen to it. Like, I don't, I, I don't care. And so I, and I'm not, and I do know, like, it is quite clear what I could say to play to the crowd. Like, I get it. Like, I'm not, an, I'm not an idiot. I know how to make, I know, you know, I, I could, I know, I know, I know what people want to hear, but I'm not going to say it to like shape myself so that it changes my perception of people that people can take that or they can leave it. On the question of access journalism, like I was 40 years old. You were there that night. I was 40 years old the night AOC is elected into office. What kind of career uh, says I am going to like be a journalist who challenges power for 15 years uh, so that I can be in position to like eventually then have access to like th four backbench members of Congress, like, and what am I even going to do with that access? You, you see my stories, like 90% of them have nothing to do with the squad. So and, uh, people keep throwing this around. It's like, and, and I, and I get it. They're trying to look for some explanation for why I don't agree with them on, on X issue. But anyway, so the, the wanted to respond to those two things that I heard, but anyway, is so, there any, anything I, else you wanted to? I, I humbly submit to you, Ryan. I don't necessarily think you, I, your sense of what you would have to say to like play to the crowd, play to my audience, play to this like section of the squad left. sucks, squad betrays. Squad I, I respectfully, like, I don't yeah. think that you fully actually do understand what they actually want to hear. So many members of my audience, they've said so tonight. They've said so in the comments. They deeply value what you bring to the table as a journalist and as someone who has infinitely more knowledge of what goes on the Hill than any single person in this room. And what they are articulating is a frustration that while you present yourself as telling just straight facts, no chaser, per our friend Teslin Figaro, <laughs> um, that in fact there is a shadedness to it that you don't necessarily perceive. And a kind of a benefit of the doubt that's built in to some of your analysis that tends to lean toward the squad. And so if you go back to this example of your tweets about, um, you know, this whole Michigas, when you, in some ways, I think you actually made it worse for the squad. So when you, when you, when you say, oh, look, ASC is engaging. Again, not my, not my problem. Right, right, right. I'm, I, 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 don't, I certainly don't think that you're trying to do, make it worse for the squad. But in effect, what, what you've done is you've drawn attention to AOC's rationale, which I got to say, just objectively is weak. 
because their votes and again, and that's good. Like you, you all can think that, right? But, right. but Ryan, but you don't say that. But which you, you didn't say. Look, this is AOC's rationale, and also it's worth pointing because out I knew this, that even because I also because I knew this. Like I had been talking to workers through the whole week, and like that's why I was so surprised at the what end. What do you mean you knew this? I realized you knew what? toward the end of the What's week. What's the this? I was like, oh shit, people don't realize. I I I I knew that workers had been. Like, no, but no, no, that's not what I was going to say, Ryan. With the squad on this the but whole that, time. And, that, and I'm that's like, not oh, what I was going to say. This. So then when AOC, when AOC said that as well, I'm like, hey, look, she's pointing out what I've but, been but, saying. But Ryan, like, that's not the point. That's not the point. You could have said this is AOC's rationale for why she voted for this thing. It's worth noting that although she articulated a desire to get the seven votes, to, to get the seven sick days to the Senate, her votes weren't actually required to do so. Make of that what you will. That is, in fact, a neutral statement. That is, in fact, a perfectly neutral analytical statement. But when you say this is AOC's rationale in an unquestioning way, when we're relying on you with your more pointed understanding of how this process works, and you and everyone else is accepting, Jonah Furman, Chapel, everyone is just accepting that rationale. What we need from you and with all of your knowledge is to be doing that analytical work to say, oh, her rationale objectively, not because I like her or I dislike her, I'm rooting for her or I'm not, objectively just doesn't make any sense. As, so and I, either, I mean, by I, the way, go ahead. I could have yeah. amended it by like the, you know, Jamal Bowman and the Progressive Caucus with Jayapal, you know, cut a deal with Pelosi to get these, get these two votes. Uh, I could say, I don't know if that requires every single person. Like, I don't know if every single person has committed to voting yes. Like, obviously, the people who organized it, like the Progressive Caucus chair and Bowman, are committed to voting yes. But, hey, AOC could vote no yes. And then she could say, well, the unions wanted me to vote yes, yes, and then you can can fight it out with her. Jamal Bowman did not have to vote yes. Jamal Bowman did not have to vote yes, yes for this thing to get to the Senate. Right, they, but they in order in, they had to pledge support in order to get Pelosi to agree uh, to put the seven day sick day up. Because like, why is she going to put it up if they're not going to agree to vote yes? And this is where your and this is where your folks are correct. That why like why does Pelosi want progressive votes on this? Like when she doesn't need them to pass it, and she wants the mm-hmm. votes on it for cover. For the rest of the exactly like, Ryan. So right. why so, are the so squad they, members so complicit in this? To get to get the seven day sick vote. But That's it's not gonna pass. Now we're now we're back, yeah, right, Ryan. Right, exactly. So it's you not gonna pass. You can disagree. You can disagree. You can disagree and say they shouldn't have done that. They should have told the workers. You know what? We're just voting no on this. No, we're not. We're not going to put the seven day sick thing on the floor. By by the way, Ryan, I'm not sure about that timeline because. They announced, Jayapal announced very early in the week, long, the days before this vote, that the, that the things were going to be linked, that the, the TA and the whatever, the, and the seven days were going to be linked. So I no, don't on understand. Monday, like, on Monday, no, on Monday, on Monday, Pelosi said there's not going to be any changes allowed. Uh-huh. Uh, Bowman said, let's, let's, Bowman said Tuesday, let's do changes. Tuesday night uh, is when they when they finally agreed to link them and to do and to and to make changes okay. like, so pelosi pelosi backtracked on that so tuesday night it's linked which means 
correct me if I'm wrong. What is, is there some, there's some like laser dot on all these Congress members heads that makes it so that they have to vote for it once there's already a public commitment to linking these things together. Once the caucus has linked. That's what I'm saying. Like if they, like, yeah, you, could you betray, could you break, break, break it? Yeah, sure. Cause like Pelosi didn't have to put the seven day six leave vote on the floor like she and did in not fact, have to she do that. shouldn't have and and i and i would and, argue right right great so there you are like that that's fine that's a good argument go ahead make that argument it's curious though it's, but ryan like but it's confusing position, when do we force votes when do we not force votes but, like when are votes valuable when are they not valuable well the thing is everyone's pretending like you got to force the vote in the senate why not force the vote in the house why is the why is the forced vote in the Senate the big deal and not the forced vote in the House? There are hundreds of of Congress members in the House. No, they hundreds of the Democrats they in the House. They absolutely wanted in the House. It was in the they had to vote in the House. But no, it, only got they're, two, they're, it got two hundred twenty one votes. There there are hundreds of, of 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 Democrats in the House who are ultimately going to the the, the very fact of they're not being able to them not being able to put to, agree to a TA that included the sick days is the indictment enough. That's that's the juncture at which there needs to be a conversation. And that's the point at which Democrats can no longer pretend. I'm sorry. I'd put the juncture at at Biden putting it on the floor in the first place. But, yeah. Well, well, sure. But it's all part and parcel of the same thing. The reason why they can't get an agreement on a T.A. that includes the seven days is because Biden's made it very clear that that's not the agenda. Yeah. So getting it any any farther along that point gets it farther and farther away from the source of the responsibility and provides cover intentionally or not for the Biden administration fundamentally being opposed to the workers' demands. Right. And, and every like yeah. Yeah, and, and every part of this, the squad's participation, the the pretending this Jayapal manipulation, which I think is so underhanded and sick, frankly, and everybody playing along with this game is all getting closer and closer to the ultimate conclusion, which is what? What did the media report happened? The media reported that because Republicans voted down the seven day sick days, the poor workers that we all love deeply in our hearts don't get the seven days and aren't Republicans horrible. That's the media narrative that that all of these squad members enabled and all of the other Democrats, of course, as well. But yeah, I don't but think they're worth the, anything. Think anyway. about it. I, I, I'm sorry. Here, here, here's, here's where I'm critical of your, of your media analysis. I think you're way, way overly optimistic about what you think like left media and, and the squad is able to generate, uh, you know, what was the media like leading up to it before the squad intervened to do the, the seven day sick vote? It was all, just constant fear mongering from mainstream corporate media about what would happen if this thing doesn't go through. There's yeah, th- there's it, no corporate media that all of a sudden is going to be like but no, Ryan. Blaming, blaming. And Jamal there, Bowman at the end of this like lashed out at Biden and lashed out at Democratic leadership. Was there a peep about that on on corporate media? No, because what what did they care about? They wanted this ended. They wanted to make sure that this strike was averted. They, they they were interested in a little bit of sick day coverage once this once once it was hitting the floor. But there's no world in which, like what you get Jamal Bowman and AOC doing speeches on the on the House floor, and then right. all of a sudden CNN is like, yeah, you know what, the rail workers should strike. I don't care what CNN does. Jamal Bowman and well, AOC need to be giving. Who? Wait a minute. Who, wait a minute. Jamal Bowman and AOC need to be giving that speech in the House floor because that's the right thing to do. Period. Not covering for Joe Biden. They did. They did it, and nobody covered it. 
they did those Can speeches. you send me the link to the speech of Jamal Bowman and AOC on the House floor saying that the Democratic Party and Joe Biden betrayed workers? I'll, I'll find you a bunch of comments from them. I don't, I don't know if they... And, and I would love to hear how they rationalize their participation in voting along with it. For sick days, it was very easy rationalization. This it's should never... Ryan. Biden, this is what they said. They said Biden should never have sent it to them. The workers rejected this. Biden should not be forcing it on them. Now that Biden is forcing it on them, we're going to try to add these sick days to it. Are you shocked that the mainstream media didn't pick up on that and that instead they focused on Oh, gee, we got to avert this strike. It's Christmas time. Jake Tapper. You got to learn what your assets are. Jake Tapper. After it was over. No, After it was over. After it was over, Jake Tapper. The squad could have participated that after, in all of that, after it was over, if they hadn't been complicit. I don't, like, the timing of it. Look, if we all agree that none of this was ever going to go anywhere. Then the before and after it is over, or before versus after it's over, is is also immaterial. The question is: Is the are the American people are going to walk away with the lesson that the Democratic Party betrays workers, and that they should be held to a higher standard, or are they going to walk away with the lesson that it was just a bunch of Republicans and we came so close? And also, by the way, Joe Biden, because he's really deep down a good guy, is probably going to pass an executive order to fix it all anyway. I think a ton of people uh, came away from it saying that uh, the Dem- that Democrats betrayed workers here. I think anybody that only listens to left media, left YouTubers, left podcasters, came away with it thinking that it would have happened if not that, that workers would have gotten everything they wanted, if not for the squad. Like I, I see people no, now nobody in my mentions that, today. Ryan. To to this day, I have people in my mentions saying that the that if not for the squad, we would have Medicare for all now because of forced to vote. Like. You don't know what this focus on this. Like, Ryan, like it, I, it, I don't it doubt that somebody vote. somewhere said that to you, but that's that's completely unfair. No one no one was acting like they were magically going to snap their fingers and Medicare yeah. for All was going to materialize. And if you listen to a single speech that was made at a single one yeah. of the Medicare the for All conferences, the people, that the, the people that I'm sorry, Ryan, that you hang out with and that you're friends with deride, mocked, made fun of protesters and disabled people at those conferences, that's what happened. But if you actually listen to what happened at those conferences and listen to the, the what Jimmy Dore said at the at the panel roundtable that we had we were talking about the fact that at very least we need to be pushing and using our platforms to agitate and bring focus to this issue as much as we can we didn't and now aoc and the rest of those squad members haven't said the words medicare for all in two years that well the head of the people's party is still out there saying that they that they have i a don't plan care to no one's listening to them apparently except for you <laughs> like Ryan, come on so. you you can't you can't cherry pick People to be mad at, like there, there are there are people writing my names on bombs and sending them to Ukraine and and telling me to pick fields of cotton. I'm not I'm not saying that's Sam Cedar's fault. I'm saying like every everything that negative I ever read on the internet is is the is the responsibility of somebody I disagree with over force the vote. I disagree with Jimmy Dore over a lot of things, and he's gone wild on me on the internet before. But I I, I will focus on the things that I have simpatico with. And when I have disagreements, I have disagreements, and let let the last let the rest lie. C- come on, Ryan. You, you, you're know. talking how, to me. How, how do we get on that anyway? Yeah. I, I, well, you 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 brought up this force of vote, and your feeling is that people are putting to, oh, yes, too yes, much yes. blame at the what, what at having a maximalist approach people, to blaming the squad. What message are people going to take away from this? Yeah, I do think that if you if you polled like the audience of like left YouTubers, it'd be like who who betrayed 
uh, workers here in order of importance. I think it'd be like the squad number one would be. No, and, it's, and it's not. Like, and, and, and a lot, and I've heard you say it, you deserve credit for saying this, that like Biden is the one, like the union leaders put their faith in Biden, which was, which was stupid and corrupt. Uh, and then Biden betrayed them. Like the, I've heard you reason, say that, but, but like reason, you don't hear that much out in that universe. But, but well, I, I submit to you, Ryan, that we are all saying that. Other, like Biden reason, is getting the, other, the blame. The reason to talk but, but about the, the EO is to show the gap. The, the the reason to say that unions are pushing for an executive order is a. I'm a reporter. A union source told me that it's a fact. But b. To expose the gap between what Biden can do with his own pen. And what he's not doing. But Ryan, you're not exposing the gap. If you're not exposing the gap, if you're not also saying the part about how and why Biden is so unlikely to do it. Moreover, and I got to just address this point. The reason why people are focused on the squad and not Biden is because we expect Biden to betray us. We don't expect AOC to betray us. And that is why, yes, they are more important because they're the ones that have the platform to be able to heighten the contradictions. It's not Joe Biden. No one thinks Joe Biden is going to do jack shit. Okay. If if you think that that's what's more important, that's fine. Like, as a political reporter, like that's not they're not my top priority. But like they're not. Jake, Jake Tapper's got Biden unlocked. To your point, Jake Tapper is very competently skewering Biden on MSNBC or CNN or whatever the heck channel he's on. But what's not <laughs> happening is, look, you. I understand that you know it was a tough it was a tough exchange, and maybe it felt like from your perspective that Shama brought more energy than was warranted. But for the average person and bring, the she workers- She can bring as much energy as she was. I, and, and I don't mind when people criticize me. The thing that set me off was her saying that the AIDS workers, she, at first she didn't like even believe that they existed. Then she's like, it's, it's just some conservative member who's maybe some records, like some- No, she said it was a conservative like, like she, she just view. kept- Well, to, to no, be clear- a conservative it was a... member, like a conservative union member. Like, no, it, she, she just like, we played she just it back. Discounting. Well, anyway, no. she like it was the coming after the that, war. That, that's fine, but that's off. not the like, point she, I'm she trying to make. As much energy as she the, wants the, to the make. point I'm trying to make is the clarity with which she was talking about at the end of the day. That you you maintain the clear lines of who's on what side by voting this kind of thing down, and all of the machinations and everybody thinking they're too smart by half. I, you might not agree with it. You might see some things differently. You might respond to a different kind of rhetoric. But I'm telling you that if AOC and them don't want to get this kind of smoke, they would take some lessons from the clarity of approach that Shama demonstrated on that call. Because that stuff matters to people. There have been you, you accused you know us of not talking to workers already on this call. There have been several people who have talked about what the perspective looks like from them and their unions. And how they resonated with what Shama was saying, because well, the, whatever it, hope, whatever approach. The railroads. Remember when AOC said that uh, she talked to two hundred two, and everybody's like, "Because it's ridiculous." Why does? Because, but then why are you? Why, why are other? No, no, no. Not to speak? I, like, I'm not saying. So, oh, I talked. So... No, because Ryan, I'm not saying I talked to someone on Colin, and therefore I voted for a railroad strike. I, I voted for the a, a railroad TA. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, oh, Jam told me that he was frustrated with what was going on, so I decided to vote for a TAA that railroad strikers in a union he is not in already voted down. That's what AOC said. That's why it's ridiculous. What I'm saying is that 
many people who are in are in unions and working people generally speaking respond to the tone of Shama's messaging better than AOC's messaging. That's the point that I'm making. And come on, Ryan, you you cannot believe AOC just should have stayed quiet. My advice to AOC is just to be quiet. Be quiet. Because all of these rationales she's giving are so transparent. This is how she got in trouble over force the vote too. Nobody forced the vote. It shouldn't have been heaped on AOC. The blame should not have been heaped on AOC. But AOC is the one that opened her mouth and thought that she could best Justin Jackson in an exchange on Twitter, thinking perhaps that he wasn't as informed or knowledgeable that he was. And the series of excuses that she gave as to why she didn't want to force the vote blew up in her face, especially because not two weeks later, after 1-6, she very competently demonstrated her understanding of the value of forcing a vote on something. She just seemed to believe that it was more valuable to the American public to force a vote on an impeachment that was never going to happen than to force the vote on Medicare for all, which is also not going to happen in the short term. No one is denying that. But she also knew that impeachment wasn't going to happen, said so in her series of tweets, but still thought it was valuable because we needed to be having a public conversation about why Trump was a bad guy. And, and, and she's got to live with that. As a reporter, I want people talking. So we'll, we'll okay. disagree on that. She, she can be talking, but she is then going to have to own the consequences of her putting out all of these cockamamie rationales all the time. That's just the way it is. Look, yeah, I would have more respect for her if she just said, look, it was everything was happening very quickly. It seemed like ultimately our votes didn't really matter one way or the other. So I went ahead and voted for it to make peace in the caucus. I appreciate that that might not have been the right idea. But let's, let's – That's not true. What? What's not true? Like what if she actually was talking to unions, talking to workers, talking to both? Right. Nothing that I said there denied it. that. Like nothing that I said just there – precluded the possibility of her talking to unions. I, I don't like she can talk to all the unions. She can talk to the best, most righteous union that's ever existed on the face of the planet. That is also a rail workers workers union. And they could have vociferously said, I want you to do this AOC. It doesn't make the plan make sense, Ryan. It's, it doesn't that's make fine. sense. That's fine. But it, but it's, a, but it, it's, I think it's worth putting it out there as an explanation, particularly because Shama's point was like, they're scabs and they need to be kicked out of DSA because betraying workers and unions is, is the is the worst crime. And it's relevant to that indictment if you are working with workers. You understand my point there? Like you can yes, disagree with the that, strategy, that is relevant to that point, which scabs. is why I think it's fair for Shama yeah. and me too. Like I don't think it's fair for you to think that we should take on your face value or what Jonah Furman said. There's literally like three sources here for all of this information. It's you, AOC, and Jonah Furman. And and so it doesn't and seem Jamal especially Bowman. credible. I'm sorry? And the worker himself. And Jamal Bowman. Right. And everyone seems to be coming. You said that Jamal Bowman, that it was Jonah Furman who put J- Jamal Bowman in contact with the worker. So it's like Four people here that are all in the mix that this is all coming from. So I, I'm not saying I'm not saying even anybody's lying, right? But I'm just saying there's been a very murky story here about whose idea this even was. Was you, you tell me, Ryan? Was it Jamal's idea or was it the union's idea first, or was it Jonah's idea? Like who, uh, who actually came I, up with I the talked, idea? I talked. I talked to. Well, I'm actually working on a, a story that'll get the TikTok of it, uh, it but it it was. It was Devin. It was the guy who was on Chapo. It, so they met. Both it was that one guy's idea, or did was what, office. 
Well, the, so was it his involved. idea or was it his idea with the caucus? Yeah, well, he, 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 and, and he goes back to the caucus and they'll come back and they'll like do some sick things. And Bowman's well, like, cool. So he took the idea to the caucus. Right. So, so he came up with this idea in some collaboration with Jamal and then took that back to the caucus like and they quickly. said, okay. So it's, it's not like, it, yeah, very quickly. It's, it's not like there's some big vote or anything. So do you see, thing. Ryan, do you see how that doesn't really sound like an organic thing that the caucus was invested in and pushed onto the squad? How it seems like it was a squad idea that the caucus no, said, okay, no, that's because, fine. we're fine no, with because that. If, no, because if that doesn't work, like if, if that's not a way that workers are allowed to like engage in the process, there is no fast way that they can engage in the process. Like this, this caucus was years in the making. In, in developing right. itself in, and, into, and you made that forth. point to me so and why all of a sudden gonna are have, we you're gonna have people but you're gonna have people who play point on that like you can't have every single individual doing it right ryan so but like, that's or, why shama is correct to not then try to act like the viewpoint that's being represented there is actually reflective of any but like a small fraction she, of people she's 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 fine to say that but she can't say that like that they don't exist that's fine but she is perfectly fine to say that it's not representative we have we cannot claim it, it, it may or may not be. be better it would be better for her to make that claim if she had spoken to railroad workers who had a different view but fine she can say whatever she wants yes it, we, we don't have to speak to anybody to know that a handful of people is not representative of of uh, over a hundred thousand real workers, Ryan. We we don't. Again, Shama's Shum, like I can use my brain, but then, and, but and then we can all use our brains. Are they not allowed to? But then, so then, okay, fine. I'm, anyway, okay, but Ryan, Brian, Ryan, this is so like good how, that how, I, like, I see and, people and later, saying they want to get engaged. Later, they want to be asking like questions. All right. Give I, I just want to make sure that the right, callers. Actually, okay. got, got, like, give me, let's do like ten ten more minutes because I got to finish a newsletter. Okay, so I want to bring some callers into the mix. So Nick. Um, what's on your mind? Do you have a question for Ryan? Hey, Bree. Yeah, sorry. Hey. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say that, you know, I'm a union worker and uh, a UPS teamster. And we were put in a really similar position to the rail workers in, uh, in 2018. Uh, Kasama uh, referenced our 2018 contract fight a couple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we had a... a um, a uh, shitty concessionary, uh, concessionary contract that was uh, forced on us by the union, and we voted it down by um, a similar margin to what the rail workers did. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was our union president at the time, James Hoffa Jr., who um, invoked uh, an obscure part of the uh, Teamster contract to um, uh, to say that our vote didn't count. Um, and we were going to get the uh, contract force on us anyway. Mm. And I'm also part of a, a, a reform caucus, Teamsters for a Democratic Union. I think it was also referenced in the in the episode. Um, mm. And uh, that that stolen vote really changed the internal uh, politics of the union. And we were able to kick the Hoffa regime out and reflect, um, elect new reform leadership who was mm. ready to strike in 2023. Um, but I just want to say that it's just um, – it's a very, very, very ba- basic principle uh, of unionism, of leftism in general, that workers have the right to strike. And there's just absolutely no justification for um, voting yes on imposing an unpopular contract uh, that had already been voting da- voted down by the workers. 
Um, if TDU, Teachers for Democratic Union, had you know struck some deal, if if it, like if uh, Congress got to weigh into to our contract in the same way, and had been able to um, um, launch some some last minute uh, Hail Mary, it says okay, um, we want Congress to vote yes on the uh, concessionary contract that um, uh, we already voted down, even though that gains us nothing. And um, in order to get some other demand that we really had no shot of getting in the um, uh, anyway, like I, Teams for a Democratic Union would not be the voice of God, would not uh, justify the, the votes of uh, of squad members who were elected to do exactly the opposite of what they're doing. Yeah, I mean the clarity there, Nick, with you know this this basic principle that you don't you don't vote for a contract that the union has already voted down. That's that's kind of the clarity that Shama was bringing to it, and I do think that that is really obscured in some of the conversations we've been having. I mean, Ryan, what do you say to that? Are you still with us, Ryan? Uh, Ryan, you're kind of glitchy on my end. I can't hear hear you. Can you, Ryan? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Oh, Ryan, I heard you say, "Can you hear me?" But that's the only words I've heard you from you. you. Yeah, you I'm there? there. You sound clearer now. Huh? No, I I I I hear that. Like, I think that that's a completely reasonable strategy. Uh, yeah, I, but I thought, I think like Nick would also want to know like that, that there were workers, you know, from a reform caucus that were involved in this thing. And that's my job as a reporter is to like, let people know all of the different contexts and he can then, and cause they, they work like they, they've been inspired by TDU, like TDU has kind of guided, uh, their, their development as a, as a militant caucus inside of BMWE. And so, like, now that this news is out there, people can, like, go to TDU. People could go to them and be like, hey, you know what? Um, next, next time, like, let push, push a no yes on this. Like, to stick by the principle that, yes, even though this contract is getting forced on us, don't put your – don't get blood on your hand. You're, we don't want our allies with blood on their hands. So right. I, think it's totally, I think it's totally legitimate. I, but, mm-hmm. I also, but I also think it's, like – it's my job to like in, inject this context so that people like have the full story of what's going on. And that's why I'm still working on the story, fleshing out like all the details of like how this, how this caucus was born, how it got in touch with Bowman, up to how it got in touch with Bowman and through, through to the end. But you're, what do you say to that, Nick? Well, I, I I'd say Ryan, you're, you're, you're not like, it, we, we appreciate the, the, the clarification and the, the, the bare facts that you can, uh, that you could share, but but you're not just strictly a, a just the facts journalist. You you, you also uh, have opinions and you inject opinions, and I, it seems very clear right right now that you are justifying uh, the the squad's move, and and you're saying it's, that it, it was it, it was perfectly legitimate for them to do what they do because uh, the demand it, supposedly came from a reform caucus. It's 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 very hard uh, to like draw a line between just justifying and explaining i think like i have said like oh, i've said it like a whole bunch of different times now if i were on the floor there 
I would have, I would have said voted no for that, re- like for that reason. But I, I understand like why in the moment they voted yes. Well, Ryan, just a bit ago, you said that you you felt like having the thing shackled together, the TA and the, the seven days shackled together was conditioned on the, the, the squad voting yes, yes. And that right. they never would have been able to get the thing through to the Senate absent them having done that. But now it right. sounds like you're saying that if you were in their position, you would have voted yes, no, which seems to kind of expose the extent to which they were not it, it under would, any real constraint to go ahead the, and vote yes, yes. I think the constraints are limited because Pelosi's a lame duck and because Hakeem Jeffries hates them. So, like, you obviously you can't strike deals and and like vote differently on the floor. But like, I think they easily could have been gone up to and be like, look, Nancy, look at the look at the board. You've got 230 votes already. Like, I can't I can't do this on principle. Like, I I know we said we'd be with you on this in order to get the seven day six, but I, I can't. Is 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 the perspective that Nick is articulating here, which. I think a, a number of workers, maybe even a number of workers in the caucus that you're writing about have this idea that there's a fundamental betrayal in anybody, including the squad, voting yes on the TA that's already been voted down. Is that also a part of the story that you're writing? That that they, do they feel fundamentally betrayed? Yes, that the there ca- is this the kind of fundamental principle, labor principle that you just don't vote for TAs that have been already voted down for the union if you're a friend of labor. What, yeah, what, one, of, one of the workers I talked to uh, did say, like, I wish they would have voted no. Like, I'm glad that they got the seven-day sick day. I understand why they did what they did. I would have preferred that they vote no. But he, he didn't say it as, like, that he felt like it was a, a fundamental betrayal. Because they, they as and Nick knows this, too, like, as railroad workers they they know that they have the hammer of the of the rla hanging over them all the time and they don't expect that they're going to go get to go out you could hear it in the chapel episode and honestly it was sad it 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 was sad that they were clearly arguing that guy um that you keep referencing Devin, was clearly arguing from a posture of i don't believe i can win and i'm not i don't i'm not like mad at him about it like i'm not trying to beat up on the guy about it but it does strike me that that is not a constructive posture. <laughs> it was a very demoralizing posture. It was the kind of posture that gets you in a position where your union hasn't even prepared for the possibility of a strike. Yeah. Yeah. But, and like, that's fucked up, Brian. <laughs> yeah, that, he, that's we're like, all creating that, an atmosphere that yields the likelihood of less positive results. Yes. We're setting so, people up for yeah. failure. This and that that union started internally organizing for that reason in around at around in around 2014, uh, and then in 2020, that that was that was all cut. They lost all that funding, and they're now they're doing it just as a volunteer effort, and they're scattered all over the country. Like you, you're right, it's like miserable. Um, Nick, I want to give you another chance to weigh in if you have anything else to say uh, to Ryan before bringing up maybe one more caller before you go, Ryan. Okay. Just one more. We'll keep it brief. Okay. Nick, did you have anything else on your mind or should I move on to Charlotte? Uh, just that, um, I mean, you, 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 Ryan, your reasoning on this is, is just all over the map. When you when you said on the podcast that you, you don't want um, Congress members to, like, uh, uh, think for themselves or reason anything <laughs> out and just to, like. Yes, but me, I, I want to I maintain workers. that right for myself. That's right. 
right. It, yeah, that's it, unfair. It, it, so actually, under that reasoning, I should just eat it. And uh, but yeah, no, that's that's a fair point. Yeah, it, okay, it, thank- it's just things like ahead. that that make me. Uh, um, that, that's fine. You can move ahead. Thanks, Marie. No, no, you're great. I'm sorry, I'm just to cut you off, Nick. Just that it, it's it's that kind of contradictory reasoning, and, and just coming from every angle you possibly can to to justify and defend this vote that that makes people like me think that you're just uh, you know here to run cover for them rather than just you know uh, seek out the facts. Yeah. Okay. Well, th- thank you. I really appreciate um, everything you've had to say here, Nick. You are a very well-timed yeah, thanks, Nick. Um, uh, caller. Charlotte, uh, what's on your mind? Quickly, so that Ryan can get to bed. It's late. Hi. Um, long-time listener, first-time caller. Oh. Um, it's, it's lovely to talk to both of you. Thank you both for taking my call. I have of one course. question for Ryan, and then I'm hoping to switch the topic to a little bit of science fiction, so we will maybe <laughs> let him go for that part. Okay. Uh, but I guess, Ryan, if, if you don't mind me asking, as I listen to you, I, I'm wondering, has there been a time where where you have felt disappointed by the squad or by you know AOC, for example? Has that happened for you? Yeah, I'm, I, I feel like they've gone away like for long stretches of times when, when they could have been like significant, uh, you know, significantly involved. Um, they have like been, I think AOC has like done one retweet on Julian Assange. Uh, maybe I think Omar has put out a statement, but like, otherwise they've been totally, they've been totally silent on that. Um, they, on the, uh, on the, on the Capitol police funding vote like that, that one where they like switched and voted present um, on the Iron Dome vote uh, where they didn't didn't hold strong on that. Um, yeah, there have been a there have been a number of instances where like I thought they could have taken a, a, and on a that, tougher, sir, st- tougher ahead, stand. Oh, on that foreign policy note, what about the votes to arm Ukraine? I, I, what's weird is I had Omar on rising, um, and she broke news there saying she was going to be against it. Um, and then, you know, has, has, you know, basically not been since then. Um, I was disappointed that they weren't, that after that progressive caucus letter got, um, rescinded that they didn't like, I think only Bowman and Rokana said, you know what, I still stand by this letter. The others just kind of did that Homer Simpson, like backing into the bushes. <laughs> um, so yeah, that would, I, that, I think that's another place where they just haven't like articulated a, you know, what's the left view in, the, in uh, Congress. And that goes for Bernie on that one too. Yeah. I mean, Ryan, would you ever consider... You know, would you see it as not neutral or too partial to cover it in that way? You know, left flank is silent on Assange. I mean, there was a moment where a lot of leftists were talking about how Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and, and horrible folks like that were more vocal on some of these issues in the squad. Would you ever consider, you know, doing a media criticism I, piece like that? I feel like I did one on, on that and on Ukraine over at Rising. Um, 
but yeah, yeah, no, those are, yeah. And I did one when they did the police funding thing, um, did one on the, uh, on the Ukraine letter that was withdrawn. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's only so many hours in the day, but yeah, definitely. Well, look, all, all I would say is that with whatever article it is that you're writing, it would be, I think, constructive for readers to hear you say, this is, this is what happened. This is what the squad members rationale were. Of course, it is also true that the rationale stated didn't require them to vote on the thing. All of those are true neutral pieces of information, but very few people understand. Yeah, and what's good is I, yeah, what's good is I have, like, I have a yeah. worker on record who's, you know, makes that point. Because the thing is, you're supply like, intentionally or not, you supplied a lot of people whose instinct was to defend whatever the squad did with a rationale that seemed cogent to them without supplying the information that would have made the rationale seem suspect or at least not neutral. Like that you can have your feelings about the squad one way or the other and that the rationale was not kind of didn't, didn't determine whether or not they had done a good thing or a bad thing. And the same way that the, you know, some number of union members agreeing with them doesn't actually determine whether or not it was a good idea or a good strategy. Mm -hmm. And I, and I do just hope that whatever gets written and published doesn't, you know, it, without painting the full picture, it does provide cover. Like it does serve people who want to not have to think critically about the decisions that have been made, who do want to punt to some virtuous party, like a union member. It allows them to do that. And so that, I think that's the main thrust of people's critique is that you're kind of perceiving what you're doing as straight facts, but the, the facts from our perspective have a bent to them. And you'll acknowledge a more holistic picture in a conversation with us, but that's not what's getting highlighted and retweeted 9,000 times and all of that stuff on Twitter. And that's all. That's all. Right. But it's right. And I guess my only point here is that it's not the, the story of this rank and file caucus is not, it's not trivial. It's just, it's not like a, it's not like a side thing that is inconvenient to people's arguments one way or the other. It, it's like a really, it's a really cool story. It's, and it actually reflects like exactly what, <laughs> what Kashama wanted. She was like, well, the rank and file needs to get militant, needs to get organized. Ryan, please, please don't do this to me. You, you, Shama wants the, wants to see if 50,000 voters, if 50,000 rail workers are for this, given that there's 100,000 rail workers. I know it's more than that, but approximately. She wants to know that a majority of rail workers, that a real meaningful movement of rail workers wanted this outcome. Not that this one guy no, named no, Devin. None of, them, none of them wanted the outcome. No, no, no. They wanted this vote outcome. Because the, the question is, why did they vote this way? That she, is the, that but is she the know, But Shama knows that you, unions well enough to know you can't do a, a vote of 130,000 right, you know Ryan in a, right. in a single okay, day. Okay. We're not, we're not going to do this again, but Ryan, fundamentally. Yeah, yeah. Let's, 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 the, let's, let's pause it right there. But, but the, no, the critique on the internet is why did the squad vote this way? It's not what does everybody think and blah, blah, blah. It's why did the squad vote this way? And you put out there and AOC put out there, we voted this way because the union told us to. That is not true. Some portion of union members said that apparently this was something they were okay with, but that is not the same thing. And so if you're only – you're only – substantive defense of why you voted this way was that a small number if you can't if you can't take the poll 
If you can't reliably say this is actually reflective of what the union wanted, then you cannot rely on that as an excuse for why you voted the way you did. Right, you so have gonna, to come up with I'll an alternative de- rationale. I'll fill out the details for you and we'll see, okay. see, how you, see how you feel. All right. Well, look, we'll definitely be following up. We appreciate you joining and submitting to this, Ryan. I know it's not easy. You've been a real trooper. It's a good time. All right. Take, All keep right. the faith, Ryan. Of All course. Right, get keep some the sleep. Faith. <laughs> All right, Charlotte, let's hear your um, sci-fi question. All right. And, and hopefully it'll cheer you up because, listen, I have to admit, Brianna, I, I am a therapist. So <laughs> I before we move on, I do feel I should ask you, how are you feeling? You know, I <laughs> uh, last weekend bought some materials to learn how to make a black Manhattan and so far, I've only made one Manhattan and have eaten a large number of these uh, candy cherries just straight out the jar. Right. I think tonight I'm going to move my ratio back over from just eating the cherries as a snack to maybe making myself a stiff drink after all of this is done. However, generally speaking, I've been watching some good Aubrey Plaza movies and feeling okay. Well, and I'd like you to know that I've put off finishing Wednesday, the series tonight. I have two episodes left just to be part of this call in. Uh, and it's still been a real pleasure. I don't know who the murderer is. And that's because I've been sitting here till 11, 11 at night. Everyone make a wish. No, no spoilers. LOL. Well, no I appreciate spoilers, that's a big, guys. That's I a big sacrifice. Monster is, but I'll find out tomorrow. Um, <laughs> speaking of sci-fi monsters, I guess I just, it's just a very, just a brief moment, which is that I got just like many of your, your listeners, I got real fired up today by the, you know, and I'm re-fired up. I was falling asleep a little bit, guys. I'm an early riser. Tomorrow morning, got to go right to the dog park. But I, uh, I'm fired up again because Ryan Grimm joined. Um, I didn't know if he had the heart to ever have felt disappointed by his squad, but apparently he did. It was a good question. It's the it's the therapist in me. Um, it, it was a good answer, but you know, so. But I was really fired up earlier, and I, was, I just want to say I was so fired up, I thought I'd come home and clean my whole kitchen. Uh, but then it turns out my man had cleaned my kitchen, so I Aww. went upstairs and cleaned my bedroom. Well uh, done. And I cleaned all the, all the clothes off the floor listening to, listening to your, your episode today. Um, and then it made me think, okay, so this is a Star Wars reference, which is unfortunate because I'm more of a Star Trek person. And mm-hmm. I, had you mentioned that your brother's more the Star Wars one? No, he's a Star Trek one as well. I mean, he he is a dedicated sci-fi person and is well-versed in everything. But let me tell you, when we did that Star Trek episode, mm. uh, I think two Christmases ago, and Virgil was, like, very anti-Star War- Star Trek and was talking about how good the Mandalorian yeah, was, my brother Ooh. talks about that to this day. He's like, that, that asshole Virgil and the Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> like, relax, Brandon. <laughs> it, that um, was a shocking take. Um, I remember <laughs> because because I don't like talking about Star Wars because I I'm a Deep Space Nine fan mm-hmm. and I don't feel that your love of Deep Space Nine gets enough like back talk on this because I'm not sure everyone fully gets it. <laughs> so will I just say that before I make my quick Star Wars reference, Deep Space Nine is obviously the greatest series 100%. of all Star Trek. And 100%. I just want to point out the best part that no one ever talks about, except I feel like you were getting it once on a call, and I have a, an excellent memory. Um, when Gold Dukat transitions into a Bajoran yes. at the end of that series, it is, I mean, it's the greatest 
thing that's ever happened on television. His arc is so good. His oh, redemptive arc is so good. <gasps> I don't know it's what I'm doing because I make, you know, my partners get on board with stuff. Like everyone who starts to date me has to immediately watch the color purple. It's like a whole thing. And I have in the past made people watch a good deal of Star Trek. But I think as we're getting older, as my partners are getting younger, they have less <laughs> of a tolerance for like old time, old, the old pacing of television. Especially and that first season. Right. And I think That's the first slow. episode of Deep Space Nine is actually terrific. I think it's like one of the better first episodes of the series. It's got Picard in it. You get the drama of the, oh, uh, the orbs and the space aliens. The wormhole aliens and the death of Cisco's wife and it's like drama and pathos and terrific. And Cisco but, is such a Shakespearean actor in that episode. It's just yes, pure Shakespeare. Yes, chews up every scene. Kira comes on the drama with the occupied territories and the, like it's like so mm. much good plot set up in the first episode. But I have been told by several uh, gentlemen who I have forced to watch it that it is not as thrilling as I think it is. Yeah, same. Anytime I recommend it to people, it's a no-go. They never make it through. Yeah. You got to make it to the Dominion Wars. That's where I really get invested. I'm into the wars. Less, and that's why we love it, Brie, because yeah. it's a space station. It's stationary. Mm-hmm. It's about war and politics, not exploration. Mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. as into exploration. I'm into the war and the politics. I would never have said that about myself because I am into exploration, but the, I think it was just so well written. And and it wasn't just about like war, boom, boom, fighting. It was about Odo's search for his origins. Oh it was about like a whole other part of the galaxy that humans had never been to. It was about like a race of soldiers that was kind of enslaved themselves and like occupied a real world, a re- weird role and had to fight for their freedom in the midst of all of this. It was about us having our own battles between our own species and having to unite to defeat a common enemy across the galaxy. I mean, it was like a lot. And uh, favorite character, Odo Garrick. Go. Garrick. He's amazing. Talk I like the, I like Odo's species lends interesting plot, stuff to interesting plot, plot lines. And I love Rene Aubergenois, rest in peace. But like. Garrick. Garrick. Garrick's mm-hmm. just more fun on screen. It was like a stick in the mud. Yeah, I've realized that the more times I rewatch it. But quickly, just to wrap up for all your poor listeners, just that, um, okay, as a non-Star Wars fan, because I didn't have any brothers or anybody, and no one told me that girls could, like, like Star Wars, so (laughs) I didn't uh, watch any until, like, recently. But I have been watching Andor. Where are you at with that? Okay, it's so good. I was watching it and I was home over Thanksgiving, but I don't have Disney, so I have to wait yeah. until Christmas to watch the rest. Wow, about- you're in for a treat because that final episode is so incredible, and you and Shama talking today reminded me of it. So I can't even tell you where I am because I started to tell Robbie where I was, and I accidentally spoiled something for him by oh, well, like, indicating in the plot where I was. So I won't I won't get into it, but I'm a, I'm a little over halfway through. I'm really it only gets better. It. And it, my brother, it, my brother's seen it all. He was re, he was rewatching it with me, and he agrees that it's terrific. So I will definitely be following up on that as well. And when you get to the final episode, remember that. So basically, you know how Aunt Petunia from Harry Potter is in it as the mom. I don't know that I know who Aunt Petunia is. So oh, she that woman from Harry Potter. Potter? Yeah, I am 37, so I don't have that kind of Harry Potter knowledge. I gotta I'm say, a, I'm I'm 32. I'll I'll admit it. So yeah, um, okay. <laughs> she's the mo- adoptive mom of 
uh, Diego Luna. Mm-hmm. She has a very incredible speech uh, towards the end. And when you do see it, remember, I was thinking the whole time listening to you and Shama talk, you guys were channeling her. And it's the best part of the whole series. So I can't wait for you to see it over Christmas. Okay, I'm looking forward to it. Look, thank you for calling in, Charlotte. I hope this isn't your last time, first time caller. Definitely, definitely not, although, you know, I'm going to have to change my whole bedtime schedule, but it's worth it. <laughs> it doesn't, thank you. It for, doesn't always go you. this long. It's not always this late, well, but I'm going to push through. Well, I don't have to wake up for everything. Rising tomorrow, so I'm going to push through. But thank you for calling in, Charlotte. Thank you. All right, keep the faith. Okay, Chantel, we're, we're doing a marathon now because I, I see you guys playing room for a Feeny, but I haven't already established that I'm skipping around and that doesn't feel fair. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to push through and get to her, but we all have to be like cooperative. Wait, where did she go? Did she leave? Did I, oh no, there she is. Okay. So we all just, we all got to like pull it together. So we're not here to 2am trying to get through this queue. So what's on your mind, Chantel? Hi. Well, I'll, I'll say good morning because it's it's morning time where I am now. And Jesus Christ, Bri, I have to be up in four hours and 45 minutes. I'm sorry. Minutes. I'm so sorry. I'm glad we got to you, though. Thanks for hanging in there. Where are you calling in from? Uh, I'm calling from Trinidad. I don't know if you can tell by my accent that I'm not an American. Yeah, okay. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Chantal, <laughs> to do this to you. That's okay. And also, I, I want to say uh, there's been a shout out to the corporate lawyers, but I want to give a shout out to the government lawyers like myself that, you know, <laughs> we're, well, we're, we're there. We're struggling too. <laughs> oh, what is that? Oh, so yeah. Pause. Nice sound effect. Just nice sound effect. Yes. I also meant to hit the last caller with, wait, not this. Wait. I'm on that path. Wait. This. Oh, <laughs> uh, I actually. I actually grew up watching um, The Next Generation. So my mom is a big um, fan of the original Star Trek, and she just goes on and on about Captain Kirk. But I'm just like, come on, it's Picard. <laughs> I grew up I watching that. that from, yeah, um, you know, so that that was just my thing. Um, I just wanted to say, well, it's the first time I'm calling in. Um, you know, I'm, as I said, I'm not an American, so I don't have, like, a, a dog in the fight as mm-hmm. such. But... You know, as I have a keen interest in American politics because, unfortunately, for better or worse, what happens in America, you know, affects everyone else. And um, but besides that, you know, I'm a big supporter of labor and unions, even though there's no union for attorneys here in Trinidad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just wanted to say quickly, because I know there are probably a whole set of other people that are waiting, you know, um, I really enjoyed the episode. I was listening to it while, um, you know, just on my computer doing some other work. And, you know, Ryan Grimm really, really sometimes can get my goat because I 100% agree or at least feel like in his attempt to be neutral. And I know he said he doesn't care what other people think but i really do think he he comes across as as running cover for them which is unfortunate but at the same time i have to say i really respect that he's willing to engage with with people that he's Mm -hmm. not afraid of quote-unquote hostile spaces that he will come on and he will engage i mean rokan is the only one that that i've seen um do that everybody else sorry to say but you know, they're just kind of cowardly. So just, you know, he, he took a, um, you know, as a, we say here in Trinidad, he took a lot of pecong today. Um, so, 
you know. Was a lot of pecan, like the nut? No, well, it's just like a saying. I'm not even sure if it's a nut. I don't, maybe it is, but we just, we say like, you know, you took a lot of pecan. Pecan. <laughs> so you took, you know, yeah, you, you, like we, if you're, you know, teasing someone or if you're really getting on someone, you know, you would say like, yeah, you, you took some real pecan boy, but, you know, oh gosh, at the same time. It. <laughs> yeah, we we respect in Trinidad. We respect people that that can take their their pecan because it's not easy, and it's you know sometimes <laughs> you want to try to use that in a sentence. Because I'll be out here, they'll be they'll be banning me from Twitter for some kind of hate speech because I said somebody took the pecan. <laughs> but it sounds charming when you say it. Yeah, I, I think it's the accent. You know, people say Trinidadians, and we speak, we sound like we're singing. So maybe we make it sound nicer than it really is. Um. But I, I would advocate, though, that you add on um, another bit on your soundboard, because I, I did laugh out loud when um, you were speaking in the episode. And I think you were making the point that, well, you know, um, like if one black person somewhere says something and you're just like, I don't give a shit. And I, I, I really appreciate that. I think it should be on the soundboard because I, I feel that way. I feel that way a lot. I don't give a shit to the soundboard. Yeah, that, um, that definitely needs to be added to the soundboard. Um, last thing, you know, um, I'm, I was glad to hear because the thing that I really took exception to when during the episode when Ryan was saying that, you know, well, I think that you should listen to the workers. And I, I mean, my mind went to kind of ridiculous places that may not have been like maybe fair analogies, but I was like, wait a minute. So when you look at somebody like Bernie Sanders, who, you know, in the early 1990s was one of the few people that was standing up for gay rights, like even when it wasn't popular. So, I mean, what, what's the, the natural implication of that? Like, okay, if the majority of your constituents have a view, but mm -hmm. you also have to have principles of your own so mm -hmm. that, you know, if, you know, people could be telling you, a hundred people could be telling you to, to do this, but if you've been elected and you ran on having certain principles, you have mm -hmm. to have within yourself like a, a guiding ideology to be like, okay, listen, I'm not saying you, you, you don't, you know, um, take their views into consideration. You do. But at the end of the day, you still have to. Chantel? Chantel, it was taken off says, you, you still have to. Yeah, you still have to. Hi, you hearing me? Yeah, yes, you yes, still have to. Yeah, you still have to, to vote, you know, in accordance with your principles. And I'm sorry, but I agree 100% with Kashama Sawant, you know, you just, you just don't, I don't care, like, you know, if, and again, it sounds like a certain portion of, of a union. To me, all you need to know is that the majority of, you know, rail workers already voted that, that shit mm -hmm. down, mm -hmm. you know, so the, the, I don't know who else you need to, to listen to. Certainly, I would think you wouldn't want to listen to a less representative sample because you already know, as I said, the majority voted it down. So you reflect the will of the people. And it just so happens that if you vote no, no, you're actually in keeping 
with socialist principles. You don't vote down a strike because, I mean, mm-hmm. it blows my mind. Like a lot of the times, you know, I look into somebody who's not an American and I look at some of the debates that, you know, go on in particular, like the, the, the fact that America doesn't have universal health care just it's so hard for me to comprehend. You know, I mean, we have a hybrid system here in Trinidad. I mean, in the sense that you can get um, private health care if you want. Um, but there's also a public health care um, system. I mean, mm-hmm. I would argue that it's not as good as private health care. But, you know, it's just. I, I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to ramble, but, you know, there's it's just hard sometimes to look in and to understand. And I just can't understand, you know, if the squad, you know, given what they were elected to, you know, bring the ruckus, it's it's just so hard for me to, to comprehend, like, all these justifications. And it's just like, no, it's paid sick leave. It's mm-hmm. so basic. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're ill, you should be able to take time off and not worry like, oh, my God, you know, if I don't work for these these couple of days. I mean, in Trinidad, you get a minimum 14 days sick leave you also get something 14 days casual leave like if you're a a government worker mm-hmm. you know i mean if you're if you're ill you're ill i i'm sorry i just don't see how with the greatest of respect to uh, all the squad which i'm sorry i i don't think at this point given the history of the votes they've taken i, I don't really have that much respect but you know i would say for the for the greatest of respect to ryan Grimm because you know he is willing to engage. I just, I don't see how you can justify that kind of vote. I really don't. And, you know, I feel so sorry for those real workers. And I, I really hope at some point something changes. Something's got to change because that's just unforgivable. Your point about Bernie Sanders and how we all admire him for having taken unpopular positions in the past, being ahead of the curve. Is such an important one because that's the critique at the base of this like popularism conversation that's been happening for the last year with, you know, Shore and all these people where they think that you can kind of just poll test your way into winning elections and that that's what the Democratic Party can do. And, you know, as a progressive, we often cite the fact that a lot of our ideas are very um, poll really well. And we say that as a rebuke against folks that say that progressives can't win. But it doesn't mean that we should be just blindly following every poll to the end of the earth, because what does that mean for people who want to say we should tr- throw trans people under the bus, for instance, because that's not a popular agree. issue. you, you got to be able to use your noggin and have some basic like social justice, humanitarian principles at the end of the day. And, and I do also yeah. think that part of the, 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 the strategy that Democrats have used to seem like the good guys, even when they're the villains, is to rely on this technocratic bullshit. And you heard it in the conversation. You know, I'm not saying that by, uh, that Ryan was trying to obfuscate, but the, the people who are really entrenched in the technocracy, they're saying things about this and that and the stratagem. And when, when Shama says something really clear, like uh, you just don't vote for a TA that the workers have voted down. You just don't vote just- for a TA that the voters have voted down. And when you say you just should have sick leave, Obviously, you should be able to not go to work when you're sick. It cuts through all the bullshit in a really stunning way. And I think that's why Bernie has been so effective. That's how he talks. And I think it's a lesson to us all about like when to engage and how to engage. Yeah, you know, it's like another another position of Bernie's that, I mean, I, 
you know, it's not popular. It won't pull test well, but it's the right thing, in, in my opinion, is, you know, um, persons like convicted felons having having the right to vote right. after they've done their time. You right. know, that's that's not popular. And if, you know, you were to poll constituents, they would probably tell you, you know, um, you know, they 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 don't agree with that. But you got to have principles. I mean, we don't have that here in Trinidad. You know, you, you do your time and you come back out. You know, nobody loses any any voting rights. Um, I think there's a certain section of the population that would love for, for people who have been convicted and still lose their voting rights. I don't agree. Um, but, you know, again, that to me, that's just another perfect example of something that's, you know, your your constituents may tell you no we don't um we don't want you to do this but you know you, you got to have principles you know you got to stand for something i mean and you know what if your constituents are, are are really vexed then you know what they'll they'll vote you out of office but i mean i seem to remember one aoc saying that it was better to be a one term congresswoman mm-hmm. you know than to just stay and and you know just get reelected and just get lost in the morass and you know, have your principles eroded over time. Yeah. yeah. Y'all remember that quote? Yeah. <laughs> she's she's yeah. going to be living that one down for a long time. Look, Chantel, yep. Chantel, I'm so glad we were able to get to you before you gave up on us and went to sleep. Thank you so much for <laughs> staying the course because your commentary has been really insightful. Oh, well, th- thank you for, you know, um, giving me the opportunity to call in. And as you said, keep the faith. Keep the faith, my friend. Good night. All right. Have a good night. All right, Carlos, you're up next. What's on your mind tonight? Hey, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty well. Eager to hear from you. Yeah, uh, I was getting pretty hyped. I've been listening to everything while um, doing a 12-hour shift today. Um, very fortunate to be part of a union. Mm. Um, I don't do – my job is not as essential or as dangerous as, um, as robo workers. Uh, but I've had, I've had, had my, my sick hours cut, right? As part-time mm-hmm. workers, we only get two hours a month and full-time workers get four hours a month and they had already. Sorry, what are you supposed to do with two hours? You're supposed <laughs> exactly. to be sick for two hours and then rally. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, uh, I mean, it had already been cut. We, we used to get just, uh, like a set amount every year. That got, that got cut to eight hours for full-time employees, four hours for part-time, and then it went to four and two. Now, the thing is, we always have overtime here. Like, it's always available to us or forced upon us with mandatory, right, with mandos here. So even a part-time worker can work more than 40 hours a week, but that won't affect how many sick hours you're going to get, mm. you know, the following month. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of, like, issues that even we have. But if, if we decided to go on strike, our union isn't that big. We're um, like a third party. We're contracted by uh, one of the major airlines out here. Mm-hmm. So if we decided to go on strike, our job isn't like, quote unquote, as essential or we're not as big to where the major airline couldn't find a substitute for us. Mm-hmm. But if the robot workers go on strike, like that's going to bring the economy to a halt. Yeah. It'll probably, without question, will be the biggest uh, moment in like modern labor history right yeah. now you connect that with everything that we've been through with COVID, right mm-hmm. as workers mm-hmm. i mean that's essentially the spark that, that that we need to really revive uh the american working class right to revive that movement 
Yeah. Right. That solidarity amongst us. So the fact that we have people here who, and I'm trying to be so not respectful to Ryan Grimm, but respectful to you and, and the space that you have here. So I'm not going to get like uh, too messy about it, but <laughs> the fact that he's lived, you know, relatively comfortable life. He's just some white guy to me. I've never seen the, the charm in him. He seems the, the man has no charisma. That's as offensive as I'll get. <laughs> but one of the things that really got me thinking is what you mentioned about the whole Twitter coordination thing, right? Where everybody started retweeting each other and like commenting amongst each other. And it brought to mind, um, you know, my views on the whole force to vote thing mm-hmm. were a little bit more complicated. I felt that, again, I don't want to be rude, but uh, as a great white savior of ours, Michael Brooks said, you have to be almost Machiavellian, right, with this. So I wouldn't have fought for, uh, you know, I don't want to d- dive into that, but I think the, the real move would have been to do everything they could to dispose of Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House, mm. just to show a, a true force. But regardless of that, right? I'm, I was so, out, look, a, uh-huh. if, the, if the plan and the alternative of trying to get a, a, a vote on Medicare for all is just to get rid of Nancy Pelosi point blank period, I also see that as in the service of the goal of Medicare for all and would strongly right. support that plan. <laughs> exactly. But uh, what got me thinking was about how I believe it was Ryan Grimm who, who interviewed uh, Jayapal over force of vote. And yeah. she's the one that started spreading the whole misinformation that if they withhold the vote, that the republic that there would be a Republican speaker. Yeah. And then we saw other people. And by the way, Ryan didn't, and he acknowledges in our subsequent podcast episode, didn't check her on that in the moment. Exactly. And he acknowledged which, that he should have. Which, like, I'm willing to like just say, okay, you know, it happens, right? Like, it's in the moment, whatever. But then the fact that Sam Cedar and Jake uh, Uger started, like, parroting this talking point, this mm-hmm. straight-out misinformation, like, just mm-hmm. lying to their audience mm-hmm. about this very basic and fundamental aspects about, like, uh, government. Mm-hmm. That's what got me suspicious. And then you started mentioning this whole coordination on Twitter as well. And there's no real point of getting, like, oh, there's a conspiracy or something going on here. But it's just, I mean, this guy just keeps getting just more and more suspicious, just a stench on him. Um, but I, I try to give him some slack because I try not to give uh, too much hype to the Jimmy Dore kind of avenue of yeah, things. Look, we, so I try we laid to give it out for him. Yeah. We, we don't, I don't have to make an accusation. The evidence is, is there. And mm-hmm. it's like these patterns that at a certain point, you just got to contend with. People are going to mm-hmm. draw natural conclusions. And you see yeah. how this little, to- this particular talking point about how, well, the unions wanted it is being spread around. We see how when you press on it, it becomes, it goes from being the union to one of the unions to mm-hmm. a caucus within a union to a guy in conversation with Jamal Bowman who took it back to the caucus within the union. Right. Yeah. And, and, you I gotta, and it, it's, whether or not he wanted to, that stuff is serving a purpose. It's serving a purpose for everyone who doesn't want to criticize the squad, which you don't have to criticize the squad, but you could simply just be quiet and not criticize the squad, but it's to shut down other people who have valid critiques. And that's a problem. Exactly. And you mentioned like just, I don't know about the whole access journalism, but maybe it's connected to it. Just the fact that he has this close association uh, to AOC, like the way he was speaking to um, to Watt today, or his just facial reactions is very dismissive kind of attitude towards her. 
Uh, I'm like, oh, he would never act like this in front of AOC, right? I mean, he would never ask her hardball questions to begin with, but he just wouldn't act like this. When really, uh, so what should be like the figure that the left needs? Like, forget about the squad. It should be her. Like, she's she's the one actually doing stuff at a you know more of a ground level, but has actual principles. And the mm-hmm. fact that he got her to the point to to go off like that, which is great. Like, I'm not for respectability politics. Right. What so, the actual fuck? Like, are you saying? <laughs> exactly. And it's like, ah, oh, it was so great. Um, like, I'm, I was just really glad that finally, like, the stench on these people. I mean, I'm a blue-collar worker, working class, first generation. I, as soon as I hear these people speak, like, I just, it, it, it's, it's repulsive to me. I mean, I'm so glad that everybody started seeing that Sam Cedar is equally as spineless and as uh, career-motivated as the rest when he refused to support uh, Gonzalez when she was at the, the, you know, had all the support of the major, um, like, DSA and all those groups, right, over his good friend, uh, the revolutionary Greek Naomi Knotts, Kant or whatever her name is. And it's just, like, moments like that, I'm like, all right, like, are people finally starting to see that we can't trust these guys? Like, like, but it, whatever, the guy's going to be around, he's getting paid, he's making his money. Of course, he doesn't care what anybody thinks. His family's secure. Uh, even if, you know, there's a strike, he's not really going to feel the, the effects of it, just like most of the P- PMCs didn't feel the effects of COVID. They just got to stay at home and work on the PJs. No offense to you, Brie. But <laughs> uh, what, the other thing that I did want to, like, hit is um, this whole, like, the militant union, like, sub, sub subsection or whatever that he was trying to, like, mm-hmm. you know, save face with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just kept thinking about, like, man, this is why we really do need a vanguard party. And uh, I know you had a previous caller who did mention, like, that he's doing a great job at turning people towards communism. Oh, Shelly. Yeah, mm-hmm. Shelly. Which I was laughing because I was, like, thinking, like, Brie, you, you know, I've recommended um, uh, Sinson before to you, just uh, the basic principles of Marxism-Leninism. Like, mm-hmm. just once you start embracing it, I think your patience, despite the personal connections to, to the type of the Brian R- Grimm's of the world, just kind of dissipates. Uh, but I just really feel that we need a vanguard party. So what's like a great representative of that'll be where it's like, Hey, my principles won't allow me to basically be coerced by misguided members of the working class. Like I'm part of the blue collar working class. Like I'm telling you, like (laughs) there's a lot of like regressive and just outright right wing, uh, ideology amongst us. And it's Mm -hmm. because of the schooling system. Many of us barely made it through high school. Like, it's just part of being, uh, you know, uh, socialized in, in the United States, right? Mm, mm-hmm. But we can't allow, like, these political figures to, like, embrace uh, tailism. Like, we just can't be left from behind like that. So even that excuse, you know, uh, or maybe that the reality that this quote-unquote militant group was advocating for this, uh, it's just unacceptable. And I really encourage you, I'm going to let you go because I really do want to hear uh, your funny, uh, funny talk about this, but... um if I could just really recommend, uh, if you could ever have a uh, Brett O'Shea on from the Revolutionary Left Radio, Brett his work, O'Shea. yeah, Revolutionary Left Radio. His, his work is great. Uh, he also does a uh, Red Menace and uh, Guerrilla Podcast, Guerrilla History. Uh, he's got a bunch of podcasts. I'm like, man, like, uh, 
uh, and this white boy gets it, you know. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, I will check in with Brett O'Shea. If there was any yeah. question about the race of Brett O'Shea, <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. You have answered it. <laughs> all right, thank you for calling in. It's been a real treat talking to you, Carlos. Appreciate you. Have a good night. Bye. Keep the faith. Have a good one. All right, Cole, what's on your mind tonight? Cole? Hi. Hey there. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> I'm doing all right. What's on your mind? Um, well, first I want to say um, <clears throat> I really enjoy your show. Uh, I've learned a lot from you, and you kind of helped me, like, I don't know, you have a way of just talking to people that is very reasonable. Like, when I was years ago, like, when I first got in the Bernie, like, I'd kind of blast people with information. Mm. <laughs> and obviously that's can kind of turn people off, you know? So, um, I'm also like, it's just like weird talking to you and like real life. Cause I've been following you for like years. So it's, I'm kind of like nervous. So. Oh, well, um, don't be, I mean, you. you know, we know each other, you know, we've been talking yeah. together in our heads for years, apparently. Yeah. Well, no, it's just, so it's just crazy. I'm like, Oh, I'm actually like talking to you now. Um, but, um, as I was saying, you just, you're just very good at, communicating and uh, I just you know you do really good work so I just oh, want to thank you, you for that. that um of course and so basically I mean I have a few things but I mean one of them is like this dude um Sam Baker and Freed I mean is he gonna get away with this <sighs> so because I don't know it's it's like he is yeah I mean, the so we had a guest on today, Kevin Cirilli, who's got really great energy. I like when he comes on um, Rising yeah. a lot. Uh, I asked him, you know, because the news was that, um, what's her face, uh, on the finance, Maxine Waters on the finance committee wasn't going to um, subpoena, uh, what's his face, um, to testify. Mm-hmm. And I asked, you know, is that indic- in- indicative of, of them basically not wanting to come down that hard on him. And apparently the answer is no, that there's a belief that he will voluntarily testify. Um, maybe it has to do with him wanting to do so remotely because if he leaves Bahamas, he thinks he's going to arrested. Who knows? Yeah. But, you know, there has been some reluctance of Congress members to be that critical of him. A lot of them are yeah. mixed up with him. They've received a lot of campaign donations from him, yeah. et cetera. And that's like how it's done, you know, when you're when you're that rich, it's like you spread your money around. So like it's kinda like when I used to listen to NPR, like back in the day. <laughs> I listen to NPR. And mm-hmm. they're always like brought to you by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Yeah, it gets, <laughs> like it's really real. bad now. Like I I have listened yeah. to a segment that was like weirdly business friendly and then immediately it's like this was sponsored by you know, like Chevron and uh, yeah. J.P. Morgan. <laughs> this is this is NPR you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, they lost me. They said I remember after the first debate between Bernie and Clinton. Uh, I don't remember who 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 was. They were talking about who won the debate, and literally the person said that they think Clinton won because she looked the most presidential. Yeah. And I was like, I'm never listening to this crap again. <laughs> like, come on. Um. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just so like, I'm, I've gotten so negative about cynical, essentially, um, that mm-hmm. I'm just kind of like, I think this guy's gonna get away with it because I just feel like, 
I mean, it's hard to tell. Like, is everything just getting worse? And I know, like, you know, mm-hmm. every generation says this, and they're just like, you know, it's it's all relative. But it really does seem like the whole structure is kind of just crumbling, and it's just like on stilts. And it's like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, there I was. Think, I was reading I an article you know, today. I forget, where did I read that? I went, and let me not lie. I wasn't reading an article. I saw the article on Twitter, <laughs> and I yeah. read the tweet about the article. Um, that was talking about, um, you know, rising violence and hate crimes and, and, and tying it to um, the, the kind of lower life expectancy, lower economic expectations for white males yeah. in particular, and how yeah. that's bumping up against like public perception, like their, their self-perception of like what they should achieve, what they expect to achieve in the world their yeah. historical status in society and whatever you think about that and whether there should be that entitlement that exists. And so that when there's a decline in the status of living for that group in particular, it causes more dissonance than it might for other people. And yeah. how is the society we should deal with that? And like when you see stuff like that happening and these like big demographic trends, no, it's not just like we feel like it's getting worse. It's not just a vibe. It's really getting worse. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm a millennial. Millennials feel yeah, like we are aggressively getting the shitty end of every stick. It's yeah. never been good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just like I went to college. I did a whole thing and, you know, I'm still, I mean, I'm, I, I end up having to move back to my parents and everything. It's just like, I don't know. And a lot of us are doing that. And like, I don't know. It's just tough because yeah. I do see some, some of us are doing all right. And like, you know, I, I don't want to have personally, I don't want to have kids, you know, Yeah. but like, it's just it's tough, like, moving back home and then, like, seeing that there are some other people that are, seem like they're progressing and, like, you know, have a family. And I'm just kind of like, I don't know. It's just weird. I'm just, it's tough. <laughs> no, I get it. I mean, my my brother's living at home right now. Like, it's very, yeah. I mean, like, I know that people, it's, it's demoralizing because, you know, the, we know what, we all know what the social expectations are, but, like. Yeah, I try to I try to tell my brother like I hope you don't feel like I there's any judgment coming from me because like it's completely understandable when you look yeah. at people's lives in these situations like the path to this place is not riddled with like a lot of mistakes on their part or like bad choices or anything it's just like life yeah. is not working <laughs> it's just yeah. not working the way that it used to work yeah I mean like I feel like I've, I've done all the things I'm supposed to do and everything so it's just kind of like I don't know. It's... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I I guess I shouldn't have gone to college for for vet tech. <laughs> like, it's probably not the best career choice. You know what I mean? But at the time, I was like, well, you know, make it work, and I like animals. So. Well, what's, now, what's even... the job market like in vet tech? Is it just not there's, hidden? If there's a lot of, I mean, I haven't done it in like two years um, because I just was so burned out because I was doing like emergency stuff and like working overnights and basically we're like severely underpaid and overworked. Uh, I'm not saying that's how it is everywhere, but I know in a lot of cases, like I worked in like a big hospital, big emergency 24 hour place. And it's just, you know, with student loans and everything, mm-hmm. it's just, I mean, that, that is, that is definitely a feels that needs to unionize. You know what I mean? I don't think there's like, I don't know if there's any vet tech unions and um, yeah. And I mean, I don't know if you're familiar. It's basically like a human nurse. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm not saying it's the same thing, but um, 
Yeah. It's, but, uh, it's, you know, it's a lot of work and I went to school for it. And, you know, I guess, like I said, like maybe I shouldn't have done that. That was a mistake. It fucking you know? sucks, dude. Like, it's not fair. It's not fair that we're all supposed to just, like, be penalized forever for decisions that we made when we were 18 years old. You know, and, yeah, and like the way you just feel so stuck because of the student debt aspect of it. People who have no compassion for how student debt ruins people's lives can like, what did, what did the, what did the oh, Trinidadian God. woman call it? <laughs> take, take the pecan, I don't know. like whatever, yeah, like I, they can yeah, yeah. kick rocks. <laughs> I know. I know. And like my, okay. I mean, I love my dad's death, but he's one of those people that's like, nope. Nope, you shouldn't forgive student debt, you know what I mean, because of taxes and all that stuff. You know, it's going to increase our taxes, and they should have made better decisions. I'm like, I went to vet tech yeah. school. <laughs> like, I mean, what, do you, I mean? what does like, he say to you when know, you it, are like, what about me? Crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I got in a, a huge argument with him, and I kind of actually, I was kind of like, kind of fishing for it where I was like, I made like a little comment just to kind of see what mm-hmm. he would do. And then just like, and just goes nuts. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I don't think I said, um, I don't think I necessarily mentioned me, but I was like, I mean, he's kind of like weird. Cause he's kind of like got a lot of left wing things going on. So, I'm sorry. I don't mean to talk to you like you're my therapist. No, look. I need a therapist. Well, but, you guys, I treat you guys like um, you're my therapist. So turn about a straight guy. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, you know, he's the one who got me, like, told me about Medicare for All, and, you know, he was into Bernie and all these things, but, like, it seems like he's gotten so disenchanted with the left or, like, the Democratic Party that he's just made him, like, irrationally further right. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And he's not even the only one. Like, I, my buddy, um, he, you know, I, I disagree with him on some, some stuff. Like, he decided to never get um, vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, for COVID and just like, basically, uh, I guess he got, he plays uh, music for a living and he lost a lot of gigs Mm. because Mm -hmm. of that. Um, and so it just made him very angry and also like people, you know, I don't know (laughs) it's tough to remember like just two, three years ago, what people were like, but on both Mm -hmm. sides, like Mm -hmm. people were pretty hostile towards each other. And he got, you know, a lot of that um, from people saying he was a horrible person and all yeah. stuff. And it kind of just makes these people, like, double down on, like, the right yeah. wing. You know what I mean? Because right wing's like, here, come to us, you know? Kind of like these railway workers where, like, clearly they got screwed, you know, by Biden. Yeah. And it just gives the right wing just, they're like, come yeah. over here. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's so frustrating. And I'm just like. I don't know. I try to explain this to people and they just like try to shut me down. And it's just, I don't know. I'm like, but I see it in real yeah. time, you know? That's shaming stuff. I wrote an article about this. It was like one of the first articles I wrote for, for current affairs. And I stand by, I keep coming back to it. And it was based on a, speaking of therapy, a psychological study about relationships. And at the time I was going through a breakup mm-hmm. and it was talking about people's like, like whether they respond to criticism productively, it has to do with whether they internalize things as like shame or guilt. And that guilt is a more yeah. productive emotion where you say, I did a bad thing. I feel guilty about it. And so I'm going to change my behavior going forward. And shame is totalizing. It says I'm a bad person and there's something I can do to escape my personhood. So I'm going to be more likely to reject the critique altogether and just double down. Yeah. And, you know, telling people they're yeah. bad people over stuff, 
Like it just is so dumb and it's completely yeah. virtue signaling and it makes the person who's making the critique feel good and it does absolutely nothing to advance the cause. And I've been trying to make this argument with libs forever and they just will not get yeah. it. Like I know it feels good. Like shame people in private. Like get I together know. with your friends yeah. over drinks and kiki about how dumb you think everybody is. Like I do it. Like blow blow off steam. Yeah. But in real life For sure, yeah. Keep absolutely. it together. <laughs> like be cool. Yeah. And that's what I feel like there's just so much, I feel like virtue signaling, uh, especially since COVID and everything, you know, kind of like, being like, oh, I got vaccinated. So I'm a good person. Mm -hmm. you, you didn't get vaccinated. So you're not a good person. I'm just like, this is not helpful. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is not how you convince people to get vaccinated, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Or you, you win people over to come over to, you know, I don't know. It's just. Yeah. Well, look, yeah. well thank you for Sorry. fighting the fight in the trenches. And, you know. I know those conversations are hard, but I appreciate you sharing how they're going with us because as someone, I was talking about this um, with Robbie on a Thanksgiving episode we did on rising. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, you know, I don't have quite the same test kitchen as a lot of um, <laughs> my white friends do. Cause there's a lot, there's more political yeah. diversity in their families than there is mine. So like, mm -hmm. thank you for, for sharing what's been going on and um, thanks for calling in. I yeah, hope to talk to you again. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening. All right. Keep the faith. All right. You too. Keep the faith. Okay. Jose, you're up next. What's on your mind? We're getting close, guys. We're getting so close. <laughs> Can you unmute yourself, Jose? Yeah, yeah I, I think I did. Yeah. What's on your hey, mind tonight? I'm a big fan. Uh, just want to say uh, thank you because uh, I had um, that interview that you did with uh, Shane mm -hmm. Kruger. Uh, it was like the best hour of my <laughs> life uh, watching it. <laughs> Uh, so I, I want to thank you for that. <laughs> Anytime. Uh, but yeah, it, it was amazing. I don't know what his obsession is with Jimmy Dore is, but uh, he needs to get that checked out because yeah, that was that was weird. Um, but uh, the reason uh, why I'm calling is because I'm actually one of those uh, uh, Trump mm -hmm. voters that listens mm -hmm. to you. And um, but I also I I I, I I'm no longer a Trump uh, supporter mm. after all the uh eight years right um but i understand why people voted for him you know and, and the, the truth of the matter is people keep getting screwed yeah. over over and over and over again and you know I, the republicans are evil and i grant you that a lot of them are but at least they're upfront about it yeah you know? unlike the democrats they'll just they'll, they'll hit you from the back and then you can't really cover you know versus republicans they'll tell you straight up what their plan is you know they want to cut medicare and they want to do all this all this nonsense um, but there's at least you have a chance to fight them. You know? So tell me, tell me um, more about like what your kind of political journey and transition has been like. You know what what has caused you to kind of no longer want to be supportive of Trump, and do you think you'll end up voting independent or for a Democrat, or depends on the Democrat, or just a different uh, Republican? Uh, I think it just, it just depends on whoever is on the ballot mm -hmm. really at this point. Um, but I, you know, when I was in in school, I, I was listening to the Young Turks mm -hmm. a lot. Um, so I I grew up actually listening to them. I formed a lot of my political beliefs based off them, and I voted for I happily voted for Obama, you know, um, twice. And I come from a very poor neighborhood in in California mm -hmm. in Oakland, um, so I really thought that voting for Obama uh, that he was going to help out the black community, and in turn that was going to help out the Hispanic mm -hmm. community because the the two communities are so intertwined. Mm -hmm. Um, but I didn't see that happen. You know, if anything, things got worse in California. Mm. 
like a lot mm. worse. Um, they didn't necessarily get better under mm -hmm. Trump, um, but I, I did notice a huge difference. And, you know, and, and when Trump came along, you know, he just said some things that made sense. He was like, you know, we don't have we're sending all this money over to foreign countries like Ukraine, for example, mm -hmm. uh, for military aid. And they're not doing their share. Mm -hmm. and, and and these things were like, oh, shoot, you know, he has a point, you know, like I want Medicare for all for everyone. You know, I want everyone to have health care. But how are we going to do it if we keep spending money in bombs and, and stuff, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I think that was, and then having Hillary Clinton, like just straight up sidetrack uh, Bernie, you know, yeah. uh, that was, that was hard to watch. You know, that was hard to watch because I, I remember I was telling, uh, I got a lot of heat for this, but I was like, you know, uh, you know, I was like, Hillary Clinton, this is it's not a good person. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think she's mm -hmm. a good person. You'll get no, you'll get no argument from this crap. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm like, that's what I'm really thankful to, to have found you guys. Cause I feel like, okay, now I find a community that kind of represents a little bit more of, of what I'm all about, you know, I'm so glad that's to hear that. Reasonable, that. You know, my instinct Jose, yeah. has, has often been that like, I, I really, I really relate to the idea of not having a political home and kind of making decisions based on like who was obviously bad, like running away from who was obviously bad. And, and uh, people can say that that's reactionary or that's like the, not the best way to go about making decisions, but like given how terrible our two party system is, I, over the years, I've become a mm -hmm. lot more sympathetic to folks who make those kind of, let me tell you, after this rail strike, I will confess that in a fit of rage, I did say out loud to someone, fuck it, I'm voting for Trump. <laughs> now, I'm not going to, it's hard, though. but I was it's, pissed off. It's, it's just, it's very hard because it's just, they're asking for seven days, like seven yeah. days of sick time. Like that's, that's nothing. And they're making millions. And, and I heard, I saw a video of Bernie Sanders speaking out about it, but I was like, dude, this is too little, too late, bro. Like you should have, you know, you should have been speaking out about it. So I don't know. It's it's so disheartening. And you know, uh, I know how valuable unions are because I, I'm part of a union and actually help form a union in a hospital. Mm. And their tactics are very simple. It's just divide and mm -hmm. conquer. You know, corporations. That's what they do. When we were forming the union, they went to different um, to different staff members and different. And they were like, "Oh, we're going to give you guys a raise, but we're not going to give uh, anyone mm -hmm. else a raise." So it's just trying to divide divide us, but Honestly, I think the best thing to do is to be pissed off because that, that's how you, you know, you form unions when you're pissed off. You know, you, you strike when you're mad, you protest when mm -hmm. you're mad and, and change comes when you're pissed off. And I think people are getting there. Mm -hmm. um, but but I think if, if anything, I think it's because I honestly feel that both parties are horrible, um, but at least Republicans get called out more honestly mm -hmm. versus Democrats. They get this complete shield from the from the media and that's what we're talking and, about today um, right like the past that's that people are mm -hmm. giving to the progressives you you saying that people strike uh, people form unions when they get pissed off i think that's spot on and part of why it upsets me when people in this in the moment when they're rightfully angry when they're rightfully so angry and there's all this energy that could be directed in a constructive way there's some folks who are offering up solutions that are meant to mollify people and that aren't actually real solutions. That That's why this feels so dangerous. Yeah. Like people are mad because the government just suppressed a strike. They should be mad. Don't tell yeah. them, oh, but Biden might yeah. be a good guy later and do this executive order, especially when you know he's not going to fucking do it. Let them be mad and let's see where this goes. Yeah.
Yeah, exactly. I mean, we we can't keep waiting for the white knight to come and save us because he's not coming. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're not coming. The the cavalry. This is the cavalry. This is this is all we yeah. got. You know, we the working class. The only thing the working class has is the working class. You know, we can't depend on on these. You know, out of touch politicians that most of them never worked. Uh, you know, a, a real uh, like a a, a mm-hmm. job in their life where they had to be accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's hard. It's, I mean, the only thing we could do is just stick up for each other and that's pretty much it. And then that's why I I can't stand the young Turks anymore because I feel like all they do is just divide people. Mm. Like they're no better than Fox news or MSNBC. Mm. And that's why I really like the hill rising and breaking points in in your, in your podcast, Mm. because I, I feel like, okay, these are things that, that, uh, you know, like I remember you said one time, like, I don't really care what happens. You know, I care, but I don't care. Like when people talk about uh, political, like um, when people talk about like all these issues that are like non-essential, mm-hmm. you know, like, and it's like, I, I don't really care what, you know, what happens at a church or what happens at, at, at a school that, you know, that's, you know, I, I don't care. I care about the major issues. That's what I care about. You know, like these, you know, the fact that these people can't get seven days, six yeah. times. That's just that's just crazy. That's just insane. It's insane. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just encourage people just be pissed off and and organize and and stop waiting for somebody to come and save you because they're not. You know, this is it. You know, we we have to mobilize and we have to stand up. Um, and I think if anything, COVID helped out a lot because I think people realize like, hey. Uh, you know, this isn't worth it or this isn't worth yeah. it out. You know. Jose, I'm really glad you called but, in. I gotta say, I. I am callers like you, you know, people who have kind of gone through the political trajectory that you've gone through and people who aren't necessarily, you know, like the typical kind of DSA leftist or whatever, like that, it it reminds me of what a responsibility, like being chill, being cool, not being overly ideological or judgmental, how important that is, you know, and it reminds me of the responsibility I have here on these platforms. And I'm just, I'm, I'm like so heartened to know that like there's people that you are in the audience like you're the one who i want to be talking to to be honest like i'm not trying to be preaching to the choir all day and so just thank you for having such an open mind and for listening and sharing with us easier to listen to you because it's you know with the young or like with other uh podcasts they just make you feel stupid like oh you're you're a dumbass you're an anti-vaxxer or you're a dumbass you know and and i never felt that with you and 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 that makes that open that gives me an opportunity to open up my mind and be like okay what is she saying and does it make sense and and even though i don't always agree with you but i, I i'm able to listen to you and that and i need so i need pushback you know i need my ideas to be challenged but i don't want to be insulted at the same time <laughs> I don't know. yeah yeah um, but thank you great thank you for everything you do you keep doing uh, what you're doing and and honestly uh, you know like other people say if, if you ever run trust me i'll be putting ballots out in like <laughs> in, in so any quarter, so. <laughs> yeah. i appreciate the support jose i will fly out to whatever county you run in I, you know <laughs> you guys there. are you guys are very, very sweet i appreciate it thank you jose keep the vape all right Have a you good too bye bye uh, all right, Columbia, what's on your mind tonight? Hey, Brie. How are you doing? We are Look, we are at the four-hour mark, and we have 
I know. I'm okay. Gonna I appreciate that. Claudia. I'm going to be, I'm going to try to be, I'm going to try to be quick. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to be quick. Okay. So listen, I just want to say that <laughs> I listen to podcasts. I read, you know, whatever. I'm just, I, I've been, you know, paying attention to all this stuff for a long time and I'm getting so frustrated because I just want us to organize. <laughs> and like, so this is my proposal and I want to know what you think. Um, I, um, what do you think about if, and I actually just called into the lever podcast yesterday with the same, or a couple days ago with the same proposal. And I just want to kind of see if we can figure something out. Um, what do you think about like building a coalition with outlets like, you know, Bad Faith, The Lever, The Real News Network, Breaking Points, Jacobin, Citations mm-hmm. Needed, whatever, you know, like all of these, all we have all of these listeners and all of these watchers and all of these readers. And we're all just kind of, I mean, I think we all try to do what we can, you know, like today I was just at a protest in front of Chuck Schumer's house, you mm. know, so like, you know, everybody does their thing, you know, like everybody tries to do what they can. But it's just like, you know, we're all just so fragmented. And I just am wondering if we could have like build a coalition with, you know, with all these lefty media people and get the because the lever actually just did this. They just um, sent out a bunch of emails and got everybody to um, give money to the railroad railroad worker strike, uh, the, you know, the railroad workers. Mm-hmm. And um you know, they were doing this thing where they were like, subscribe to the lever. And then all of the money that goes, you know, this week to the subscriptions will go to the railroad workers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I was like, oh, there's something I can actually do. I mean, I was already a subscriber, so I didn't, whatever. But, um, but I was like, oh, this is like an action. You know, this is like an action to do, you know? So I just feel like this coalition of all of these lovely people that, you know, Katie Helper, all of these people are amazing, you know, Um, you know, Maximilian Alvarez is fantastic. Like just, there's so many of us, you know, like, I mean, there's just so many of us and there's so many listeners and so many readers and so many watchers on YouTube, you know, watching YouTube and we're all just in our fucking houses, like in our apartments, you know, and I'm like, can we just like, so if we built this coalition, right. And we asked, you know, and like, or or like, you know, you all, this, this media ecosystem, this lefty media ecosystem, like built this coalition and you had like an advocacy arm, like, you know, like that all of you would like send out, you know, actions to, to all of these listeners and readers and, and watchers. And then, you know, you could say like, call this lawmaker, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, here's a direct action that's happening or here's a picket line that's that people can go out and support right now, you know, like just these, you know, and then um, it would just be better for us because we're just so like, we're just passively listening and watching. And I'm so sick of just like, you know, this just going back and forth and bitching and this infighting and all of that. I'm just like, I'm so tired of it. And, And I just, I just feel like, and I know that you're really into like exploring the third party thing. Like I, and I totally respect that. Listen, I'm older, I'm 52 and I um, voted for Ralph Nader in 20, no, when was it? 
Oh my God. 2000. 2000. Mm -hmm. No. Was it 2000? I don't know. Anyway, I voted for Ralph Nader. And so, you know, I'm all down with that. But at the same time, you know, this, this two-party duopoly that we have is, you know, it's, yeah, you know, just the argument of like what we have and we need to pressure the, you know, I don't know. I just think building a third party from the bottom up is just going to, it's just going to take forever and we're so disorganized and we're not. And so I was just thinking that, um, you know, if we just focused on the squad, because I don't give a shit what Republicans do. I don't really give a shit what corporate Democrats do. I really think we just need to focus on the people that are supposed to be, you know, doing what we're doing, you know, what we care about and implementing those policies and fighting for those policies. So if we, I'm sorry, I'm going to stop talking. I'm just like, I'm just want to get this one thing out. And if we, if we, um, if we, um, I don't know. What do you think about all this? Sorry, well, I, I, just I like, think it's so a wonderful right idea. Now. I mean, people have proposed it before. I, I, it's, mm. it's just, I, I don't, I don't know what to do about it. I, I look, I, mm. I, I'm in a place where I'm struggling to figure out how to hire someone to post Instagrams <laughs> to take mm. that off of my plate. <laughs> And, and to answer my email, which mm-hmm. I fundamentally just don't check anymore. And so I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a little bit overwhelmed, but I yeah, agree that it's sure. a thing that should happen. So I don't, I don't know. Like when someone brought up the other, other week, um, that Maximilian and some others were thinking about doing some kind of, um, telethon to raise money for the real, uh, a potential railroad mm-hmm. strike or potential wildcat person. strike. You know, I'm like a hundred percent on board. I can, I, I, yeah. I want to show up for those kinds of things as well. I'm a little more unsure about who is going to actually plan it. And I know that everyone else feels similarly right. stretched thin. And I, that's why I've been so appreciative when mm-hmm. like Crystal has done things like organize the panel for Assange and the panel for mm-hmm. uh, Donziger and using all her resources mm-hmm. to do that. I mean, I, that's, like such an amazing lift and that she was able to extend herself in that way. I think that we should be able to do that on a more systemic basis. And I think that maybe the answer is like, we need to have more coordination with an org. Like I wish we all were part of socialist alternative or that DSA Mm -hmm. had that more of that orientation and was more connected to all of us. And we were all kind of pledged into Mm -hmm. some kind of central hub, but I I certainly agree. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I would very much want to participate in whatever that looks like. But I think a lot of people are probably just like, I don't know how to start it. And it, I think, it, frankly, mm-hmm. I mean, people who are in the chatter who are organizers know this. So often it's like people, there's like an expectation that everyone just picks up something extra. What we really need is to hire people who can dedicate full time yeah. and pay to like do this yeah, work. Like, what if you guys, what if you guys took like, you know, a portion of your, you know, of what you make in doing all of this and creating this content, um, you know, everybody and pulled it together to hire like, you know, one or two people. I mean, I have no idea. I'm just spitballing, but like, no, I think it would be great. I think it's going to be more than one or two people. people. I think it's going to require a lot of people. And I think that we can fund it. I think that that's completely fundable, but again, someone has to administer it. Like just someone has to, has to plan it. And that has to be so, you know, Unless one of the content creators wants to stop making content, it's going to be someone new. Right. 
You know what I mean? Right. And that's why I'm inclined to right. say, well, let's go to but someone. Maybe that's where you hire somebody. Yeah, but that's why I'm inclined to say, who are the organizations that are already doing this kind of work? Because otherwise it's mm-hmm. pulling someone from scratch mm-hmm. and vetting that person. And mm-hmm. I, I'm already thinking, oh, Jesus Christ, the administration of just finding that person is a whole mm-hmm. thing. But, like, I think mm-hmm. it's a great idea and someone should do it. But I think there's a lot of people that are listeners and watchers and readers. Like, this is what I'm saying. Like, we're you guys are giving all this, you're doing all this great content. But it's like, we're all just listening and watching and reading. And we're not, like, you know, and like I said, I'm not dismissing, like, the individual actions that people take. But I'm just saying, like, we're all just, like, absorb, taking in this content. And, like, we need, like, maybe maybe the person that, you know, takes the ball and runs with this. It's like out there is one of the listeners, you know what I mean? Maybe, but that's, that's, I mean, no one's stopping that uh, from happening. And some of you have already done stuff like that. You've coordinated and gotten together in real life. Mm -hmm. You started podcasts together. You've Mm -hmm. done, you you know, Mm -hmm. knocked doors and organized together. And, you know, that's Mm -hmm. incredibly heartening. It's just, you know, I I don't, I'm not trying to pass the, pass the buck. I just, no, I know. I, I, people have brought this up on a recurring basis and I'm very supportive of it, but I don't know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, maybe, yeah, maybe it could be like where there's, I'm just thinking right now, maybe it could be like, there's a directive or something that goes out for the week. And then every single outlet, every single, you know, podcast, every single YouTube channel, every single whatever puts that directive out. So there's no like, hub or organization like official infrastructure but there's but there's you know those you know you guys are just saying oh to this you know in in this coalition that we have this like you know lefty media ecosystem that we have here everybody's gonna focus on this this week you know what i mean like i just feel like the the readers and the listeners and everybody we just want to be we want to do stuff you know what I mean? I mean, I'm yeah, I think there definitely like, can be more messaging coordination as well. I mean, it's very frustrating. Like sometimes you want to get mm-hmm. eyes on something. Sometimes you want to get, you know, some energy behind an event that's happening. And because mm-hmm. there's no coordination and because like half of these shows hate the other half of the shows, that's just not possible. But mm-hmm. it would be, it, you know, I know. I think, but that's where I think I'm, that yeah. you're, I think you're right on with that Columbia. And if anybody has any suggestions or if, if there's people who want to like yeah. weigh in on that, you guys should link up link up in you know i wish we had like a maybe like a slack or something where ideas yeah. and stuff could be deposited i feel like you had a slack there's a force to vote slack show? oh that's right that's the one i was on that's right um but also yeah and just in terms of the third party stuff like i don't know i just feel like we really if we all just like you know harass the squad and like push them and push them and you know and I'm, t- I'm talking I'm saying squad loosely I'm just saying like the people that like I want I want I would love to push the anti-corporate democrat the the democrats that only take money from small donors I would love for them to form like a you know a sub caucus um you know underneath the progressive caucus you know like an anti-corporate caucus or something so it's like we should all just be focusing i I don't know i just feel like if we all just put all of our energy on pressuring the squad you know and or you know like i said the the anti-corporate democrats um to form a caucus you know i don't know i just feel like we need to just focus on them and just because we're not going to get anything i got in an argument with chuck schumer like a couple Mm. weeks ago and we're never going to get anything from Mm -hmm. chuck schumer it's just not going to happen um but i do 
just laser focus on the people that say, I take $27. Like, I don't take money from super PACs or corporate lobbyists, you know? Mm -hmm. And we just focused on them and we said, look, we have your back. You know, and we just, I don't know. I just feel like there's, in, I love the force the boat thing. I was totally down with that whole thing. The problem was, is the timeline, it just wasn't, it wasn't organized enough or it wasn't organized, you know, with enough time and it wasn't planned. It wasn't methodical. It wasn't like, you know, it was just kind of a reaction. There's so much reacting to these things. And like, I just feel like it would be amazing if we could just have very clear directives and very clear laser focus and a really clear strategy to push, you know, because like I said, we're not going to get anything from Chuck Schumer. We're not going to get anything from Republicans. We're not going to form a third party. We can't even friggin' do what you and I are talking about right now. Like, mm -hmm. so like we have to just focus on these anti-corporate Democrats or the ones that claim to be anti-corporate and just push them to do the right thing. And like, you know, remember when um, there were candidates that I can't remember, there were candidates that were like, you know, associated with certain organizations like a DSA or something. And if they didn't do DSA's bidding, they were in trouble. Like, you know what I mean? Like they were in trouble with those organizations. Yeah. There's just um, no accountability so anymore. That's, it's an ongoing problem. So look, I, look, I appreciate you calling in Columbia. And I think that all of the points you're making are sound, um, and so I think the only thing to say about that is that we just got to do it. Um, so I think yeah. I see, I'm seeing a lot of people supporting everything that you're saying in the chat as well. So I hope that there's some linkages can be made. Oh, cool. And at some point, I mean, this is not, a, I don't you know that we, we can start planning and organizing that right now. And the, at the end of this four hour chat, I'm afraid, but at, <laughs> at some point, you know, maybe we should have a separate call where we can get it more into the nitty gritty, but I appreciate you calling in. And, and that's I think that's cool absolutely idea. right on ideologically. Thank you for everything, Brie. Good to talk Good to, to you. Good to talk to you, too. Keep the faith. Bye-bye. <laughs> Raya, real quick, what's on your mind? Can you hear me? I can. Awesome. Uh, how are you doing at uh, hour four and uh, nine? I, I'm a little tired, but I'm hoping we can just push through. <laughs> I'll be quick. Um, I just want to emphasize something that Maggie was saying in the chat to the previous caller um, of it's important to look at like what Re Revolutionary Blackout Network are doing with mutual mm -hmm. aid and in your local community. Instead of putting our effort towards pushing for something even necessarily new at this mm. moment, like there are so many initiatives, especially on local levels that like absolutely you can do in your day-to-day -day life that doesn't require a ton of coordination, like just going out and finding mutual aid in your community to start working, to start organizing on that level. So I just wanted to kind of emphasize that a yeah, little bit sure. um maggie was saying that but um i called in because i saw one of your tweets that characterized this as a debate on the future of the left and i wanted to pick up what, on what ryan said at the end of the podcast which he pushed back on when he was in the call-in but about like wanting politicians to just reflexively do what they're mm -hmm. told um and I took immense frustration at that because Shama is the perfect opposite example of someone where you are driven by your principles and integrity to those principles, not based on 
strategies or all of these kind of machinations and this is how we're going to make this little incremental change and we're trying to make deals with Pelosi and all of those various things. So I kind of wanted to have that kind of conversation on what our political project is in demanding from these so-called progressives, these so-called people, politicians that are representing our interests, because, like, it's so clear with Shama, with her integrity and her principles, and you do not cross the picket mm-hmm. line as a leftist. Mm-hmm. And I think the function of the left, which they totally undercut themselves from, whether intentionally or not, but the ability, their power that they could have within Congress is not by making some backdoor deals or incremental itty bitty changes or deals with any of these people. It is providing that clear example of what the right principled thing to do is to draw attention to the bullshit from both the Democrats and the Republicans and their huge followings on Twitter, on social media, all of these things. They need to be doubling down on what the principled right decision is and amplifying that and calling out and being antagonistic and not to pick on the previous caller, but it's kind of like we don't need another caucus within a caucus or a subgroup within a subgroup. And like, we need to be, I think, as a left demanding this aggressive militant position on the basis of these principles. And obviously I'm over electoralism and I'm over these particular people we have in Congress because they're not going to do that. They won't do that. But look, I I don't know that Claudia was necessarily, I don't know that's necessarily how I would characterize what she was advocating for, but I, I do agree that the, the point, whether or not you agree with electoralism, the point of the people that exist, the whole point of the squad and all of them, and one of the main points of power that they have is highlighting those contrasts. And they're not doing that. And I do think that what mm-hmm. Columbia was saying about like media coordination and stuff can help to highlight positive messages when they do do the right thing and when they do highlight contrast or to highlight the things that we think that they should be doing that otherwise get drowned out by either the mainstream media or like the more establishment left media. So I think mm-hmm. that these things can work in tandem. But I, com- I completely, completely agree with you about the goal being heightening these contradictions. Um, and that is precisely why there's there's so much positivity directed toward Shama. Like even I was listening to her and I was like, oh yeah, it really is that simple. It is easy to get lost in the weeds, but like, no. And when you, when I hear people like Jose call in and he says, well, you know, I've been disappointed by all these parties and what attracts me here is, is this kind of like simplicity in, uh, to the messaging mm-hmm. and the kind of moral certainty of the the demands, like people just need sick leave. Like it's as simple as that. That's a reminder about mm-hmm. how attractive that is and how we shouldn't ha- like, st- like second guess that and, and get caught up in some of this mm-hmm. minutia. So I, I'm, I'm in complete agreement with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On that point, like given that Rashida Salib was the only squad member in the right position, plus all of the recent thing with like Katie Halper and, um, Palestine Mm -hmm. and all of those various things 
do you think there's an opening there with Rashida Tlaib specifically for, I mean, obviously hard to get them on the podcast, but do you think there might be an opening with her given the recent kind of alienation she's experiencing from the squad? I'm going to DM her. I noticed recently that she follows me and I'll DM her and I will submit a formal request. I've never submit a formal, submitted a formal request to Rashida Tlaib. So it it is premature for me to say that she won't come on the podcast. I'm going to do that this week and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Because I think we're all dying for someone to show that they can actually do something positive. Like if she's going to be a principal, then if she comes on these things, we will be there for her. Yeah. So yeah, I think that is an important piece of it. And I, and I wish all of them would realize that I wish all of them would realize, like, I'm not out to get AOC. I'm not like, I don't have a personal vendetta against AOC and she should know that more than anything because I spent the whole first part of my journalism career covering her in a kind of fawning way, to be honest, in retrospect. Um, And we were all rooting for her, you know, Tyra Banks voice. We were rooting for you. (laughs) And it would feel a lot better for them, I think, to have us at their back than at their front. And it wouldn't take that much for that change to happen. But they're going about it all the wrong way. And I think that Ryan thinks he's facilitating our relationship and is saying like, oh, look, they're responding and all of that stuff. But like, it's actually having the opposite effect. So if they're listening, you know, you heard it here. Like, we're not trying to be antagonistic, but we need you to be a little bit more, a lot more responsive to what the people who got you elected are saying. We just need you to do one right thing. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. One right thing. Uh, The the chance of a generation. (laughs) Just one right thing. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, thank you for hosting a fantastic, very important conversation. um, Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate you calling in. Keep the faith. Have a good night. You too. All right, Chris, our penultimate (laughs) guest. Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Oh, wow. What a mitzvah. Okay, Afini. <laughs> Chris, I don't know if he went to bed, changed his mind, or just messed up um, the call, but we are we are to Afini. How you doing, girl? Speak peace. Ciao. You know, I was watching, first of all, I, between all the meetings I had today, and I had a training today, but ch- any second, any break I had, child, I was on that damn Bad Faith podcast, child, <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> so, you know, I have so many things, like, clearly I've been here this whole entire four hours. I love all of you so much, and I know that's, so there were some folks that were waiting for me, that's the only reason why I'm still here, because I know y'all was waiting, and I was waiting for y'all too, so here, <laughs> here we go. I got some sticky notes. I had to write some shit down. So I'm going to try to. Yeah, I'm sorry. I saw you on Twitter. Like, I was like, oh, poor Feeny now feels like she has to stay the course because people were asking for her. And she probably didn't sign up to be on this damn thing for like four and a half hours. But I'm glad you're here. So hit us with it. I mean, you know, I love you. So I was, <laughs> and, and it, it, this was such, like, there was so many rich and amazing conversations, um, like comments and things that were said during this four hours. So I definitely feel full. I feel fed. So, you know. Yeah. We, this was mutual. It was mutual. <laughs> but, um, so I just want to, I don't know if Jam is still here, but, you know, I just really want to respond to what he was saying about how we need to be focused on Joe Biden. Um, yes, we need to be focused on Joe Biden, and we also need to be mad at the rail companies, and we also need to be mad at the squad and the CPC. Like, 
we can do all those things at the same time. So, I mean, I think that a lot of this shit that we're doing right now, like, oh, well, this person we mad at, that's person we mad at, they, we should be mad at all of them because they're all complicit in playing a part in, you know, the destruction of this strike and of the labor militancy that has been going on in this country. Like, it's not just, you know, it's not just one or the other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just really want to say something. I just really wanted to say that and also... Something else was that, you know, Ryan was right when he said that this should be a galvanizing moment. It Mm -hmm. should be. People should be excited. People should be wanting to move around this moment, but not for the reason that he said. The reason why people should be galvanized is because now more than ever, the Democratic Party has shown time and time again over the past two years, especially, that they do not give a single solitary flying fat fuck about us or about what we want, or, like, there's no such thing as pushing Biden, pushing Biden mm-hmm. left. So we should be galvanized around this moment because there are there is real labor militancy that is brewing within this country. What is a big part of the problem is that it's so decentralized mm-hmm. and that a lot of people are using the movement as a fucking branding exercise. Even, like, AOC and them. I The, the question I want the answer to is, why the fuck... If you knew you were going to vote against it, why even put out the tweets? Oh, my God, we have to fight for this person, fight for that mm-hmm. person. Do what Nancy and them do and say, fuck them, and then go vote mm-hmm. that way. At least be honest about it. But I just wanted, like, what was the thinking behind them, basically the whole squad coming out and saying that, and everybody but one person voting to break this strike? I just... I'm really I'm really trying to understand that. And I think that as we talk about accountability, I think a lot of people see accountability as like a punitive mm-hmm. thing. There's a lot of very angry people that are on the left right now and very rightfully so. We should be angry. But a lot of us are being led into either inaction, hopelessness, like but this this is the time for us to get more creative about our solutions. Instead of just saying, Oh shit, like well, there's nothing we can do about it now or just complaining about it on mm-hmm. the internet. Like, how the fuck can we get these people either out of office or what systems are we going to actually be serious about building outside of outside of the government? I can do all the trainings and shit that I want to do. Afini can't take down the whole fucking government by herself. And neither can any of the D.C. organizers that I work with um, out here every single fucking day. Like, it is going to take everyday people to support these strikes and something that has really bothered me, you know, even like especially like as you get outside of like the bubble that is the left, like there are a lot of working class people, people that I was in the military with, classmates of mine. I see them on Facebook and shit that are they are actively shitting on this strike. So why we're sitting why we're spending all of our time arguing amongst ourselves, the media the media class is doing what they do best and they're propagandizing all the people that are around us that could be standing in solidarity mm-hmm. with us, that could be allies in this movement. And instead of us focusing on that shit, we focus so much on cussing each other out. And the thing is, there's no wrong, there's nothing wrong with disagreements, but I feel like we have fundamentally forgot how to disagree in a respectful and productive way. Instead of just calling, instead of, you know, just automatically going to, oh, if you disagree with me in the slightest bit, then that means you're on the wrong fucking side. Let's start to actually get to understand why people feel the way that they do so we can meet them where they're at. Like, I'm just so tired of having unproductive-ass conversations where people are just 
like just cussing, yelling, and screaming at each other. Like we're not going to be able to get anywhere doing that. The, they're not doing that shit on the right. All these mil- all these right wing militia groups that is fucking meeting up every week, doing target <laughs> practice and getting and getting their fucking shit mm-hmm. together. I promise you, they are not moving the way we are moving mm-hmm. right now. And I I really would hate to be on the side that that ain't got enough guns and ain't got enough uh, marksmanship. Mm-hmm. I hate <laughs> that for us. I really do. So like I just I want to be able to have real substance of conversations. I also want to be able to acknowledge that I am a little disappointed in the rail workers for not fully preparing for a mm-hmm. strike. I don't give a fuck what the union leadership mm-hmm. says. I don't care if they're saying, oh, we're not actually going to have to strike. The Biden administration got us. We have learned from the bonus army, those on those soldiers that went and slept out on the fucking Capitol lawn after World War One. We learned then. We learned again during the Dodge Revolutionary Movement. We learned again during Blair, during the uh, Blair, uh, fight on mm-hmm. Blair Mountain. What happens when militant labor actually stands up? So you're expecting the same motherfuckers that are willing to violently crush labor movements to have your back now? Because all of a sudden, the same lying ass motherfucker that said that he was out there fucking protesting in the civil rights movement and all that other bullshit that he said, that same motherfucker is going to have your back now? That's the person that you're trusting? Please get the fuck out of here. We, like, as working class people, we, there's a certain point we have to start, stop feeding into the bullshit. We all knew. I'm sure the rail workers there, y'all been going through this shit for three years. Y'all knew that this was not going to be easy fight. So they should have been prepared for yeah. every single thing. And yeah, everyone point, who says we knew it wasn't going to happen. And then they also, they weren't prepared. Like that doesn't sit right. You know, Ryan said this. A lot of people have said, well, we knew the, the, the Chapo guy said this. Well, we knew we knew that Biden was going to be against it. We knew they were going to block a strike. OK, well, if you knew they were going to block a strike, that means you should have been double, triple prepared for that wildcat strike. Right. Otherwise, what are we doing? I'm just saying, you know, like I if 55 percent of the rail workers are the ones that rejected this deal like those four those four unions if they represent 55% of all rail labor why was not, that not the hard talking mm-hmm. point from the squad at a certain point people like Ryan Grimm like you know Ryan follows me on Twitter um I I've had dinner with some of Cory Bush's staffers I like I've clearly been in close community with a, a few of these people me and Connor McNutt uh, Ilhan, Imar's, Ilhan Omar's chief of staff. We have had meetings before as well. We, I, we know these motherfuckers are not going to do anything. There are, they have plenty of people in their ear telling them what to do, where to do it, how to do They don't give a fuck because they all, what, else, what they also have in front of them is their career prospects. So like we, at a certain point, at a certain point, if they're not actually using the language that we know could be powerful, then we have to stop putting all of like, what is even the point at this point of trying to put pressure on them? We've done that. We've done that. And clearly they're getting their money from somewhere else. Clearly they're getting their support from somewhere else. They're no longer looking to be accountable to us, period. So if they're not mutually accountable to us, how are we going to sit up here and say that we can fucking yell and scream and, and, and get them to do a goddamn thing? These are the same motherfuckers that lie about being on picket lines, that lie about, about what they actually want to support. Like, I just... At a certain point, it's like we have to do something else. We have to do something else. And I understand, like, we're all caught into this, like, two-party duopoly. 
And like, you know, so much of our political power gets funneled into that duopoly, which is the reason why you have these people that are pinging back and forth between either the far right fascists or the fucking fascists that have the smile on their face. I don't know. Like, I'm I'm just I, I'm just getting really fresh. I'm just really, really, really frustrated because every single time we fail to be proactive. Yeah. Even with the real work actually per not actually preparing to do a wildcat strike to do a legal t- to do a legal mm-hmm. strike you need a fucking strike mm-hmm. fund. you need a fucking strike fund so we like at what point are we going to start getting ahead of this shit like we have to like i'm t- i'm also tired of being reactive i'm also tired of ambulance chasing because that's what a lot of us especially black activists are doing we are ambulance chasing we're waiting for the next tragedy to happen and like that, that cannot be the place that we are organizing from. That cannot be the place that we are operating from because we are always going to be in react mode and scramble mode. We don't have anything set up. We don't have anything set up. So instead of arguing and fussing and fighting about these motherfuckers who have shown us time and time again that they are there for the pension, for the health care and for the security detail. Then maybe we can actually get somewhere. Maybe we can actually start having productive conversations about what it looks like to have a real challenge in in 2024, even if it means that we're just taking a bite out of their ass without actually getting any, without actually, you know, getting somebody into office. I mean, I don't really think any president's going to save us any fucking way, but yeah. You're invested. You think that we should have a left, a left presidential candidate for symbolic reasons and for messaging, you know, for you know, to, to change the discourse. I think we should use the platform. I, absolutely. I think we should use the platform because it's either, it's going to be, we open up a political lane for people to go to socialism, like how, like how Shama perfectly put it earlier. Either we open up that space for people to understand what, what we're actually about and have somebody that's going to be there and, and actually speak for the working class and not in platitudes, in actual specifics. Would you have any thoughts about who, about who that should be? Because we have had some contentious conversations on the pod, I'll tell you that much, going through all the possible names of folks, and it doesn't seem like anybody's good enough. And I don't necessarily disagree I mean, with that. Is, I'm just saying it's it's hard to come up with a name. I mean, there is this there is this woman who I'm who is her name is Jasmine Sherman, and she started like an online campaign. And I told her, I said, that's cool and all. But you got to do other shit. Like, you have to start getting outside. You have to start attaching yourself and talking to some of these local politicians that are, like, in different municipalities and start connecting to their communities that way. If you're actually going to try to seriously run a presidential campaign, you cannot run that shit on the fucking internet, especially for a goddamn nobody. No mm-hmm. offense, but, I mean, that's just the truth. So, I mean, there are people that are out there, but I think, again... Because we are stuck in the social media age of like everything has to be branded. Everything has to be for for the lights, for the cameras and for the action that people are not doing the organizing work that has been laid like the the shit that has been laid out in front of us. It'd be so different if you could not like open Google and just look at some of the different tactics that have been used. Like if we're talking about economic, we're talking about economic tactics. There are there's a whole list of one hundred and ninety eight non-violent and there are also some you know structurally violent things that are on this list of direct actions that can be done how many of us are actually talking about any of that but i bet i can promise you that people are talking about the fact that aoc sold us out again how many times are we going to talk about how disappointed and hurt we are 
We all know that we're fucking disappointed. I've told her to her face that she's that this this disappointing. What is going on? So it, it's I'm, I mean I don't know. Like I I I am I am tired of I'm tired of wasting my time. Honestly, I'm tired of wasting your sweet time. I'm tired of wasting Nick's time over at mm-hmm. RBN. We're talking into a blue in the goddamn face. Talking is not going to be enough at this point. And I think that for the people that are still, you know, squad lovers, for the people that still think that electoral politics is important, understand that accountability does not have to always be punitive. Accountability can be out of love. Mm-hmm. It can be out of transformation. We, but we have to have some fucking rigor. Yeah around how this shit is moving forward because people are dying today. 11.5 million children are starving in America right now. Like that's not like we don't have time to give a fuck about these literal personalities, these celebrities that have shown us that they're not real organizers. We like, they are not going to save us y'all. They are not going to save us. Yeah. Look, you're getting a lot of seconding in the, in the chat and I'm with it. I see people bringing up Matthew Ho, who I also really like and Zephyr teach out. Like maybe it's worth having mm-hmm. another conversation. I mean, last time I tried to have this conversation with the RBN folks the you know, before I could really get to a list of all of the broad expansive people who could be, you know, per- potential candidates, there was this focus in on Marianne and we couldn't get off of that for the conversation. So I'm going to maybe ban talking about, Marianne, Kamala, some of the bigger, Andrew Yang, I'm just going to ban mentioning those people. And so we can really have a conversation because like, you know, you don't have to be a politician or a president. You don't have to be like, I want to have a conversation Mm -hmm. where we really think about who we would want. Is it, you know, Chris Hedges types? Is it Cornell West types? Is it, you know, people who are spiritual leaders or people who are, you know, artists or people who you know, our healer, like there's like, we need to like be a little bit more thoughtful about what this movement looks like. Um, and I appreciate you kind of being open to that if you need, cause I do think there are people, I, like, I know that the electoralism stuff gets a bad rap, but I do think that there is a value to taking advantage of the systems that exist to spread your message. And so many people, including like Nick from RBN have said like, they were radicalized by their experiences on the Bernie campaign. And I don't think that we can discount that aspect of it, even if we don't think the revolution is going to be at the ballot box. So I'm so glad you held out, Ifini. Thank you for hanging in there. I'm glad we were, you took your notes because everything that you said was fire and we really appreciate you. Of course. And I also just really quickly want to say that words have meanings. These motherfuckers cannot call themselves socialists. I'm mm-hmm. sorry that we cannot let them co-opt yet another fucking mm-hmm. thing. Like these people are not socialists. You cannot be, you cannot say that you support worker co-op like democracy. You cannot say you support worker led democracy and then vote to fucking break a strike. That is not how that shit works. So thank you guys so much. Good night. I love you so much. Bree. I love you Hopefully too. We'll get dinner soon. Yeah, let's catch up soon. I know I missed some of your texts. I'm going to, I'm going to follow up. Okay. I hope to see you soon. It's okay. Keep the faith. Now, Chris, Oh, I'm so sorry. I already pressed Chris's thing. Um, sorry about that. If you need, um, Chris, I'm, I know that you just made a mulligan, so I want to give you a couple of minutes to say your piece because you got skipped over. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is like my fourth time trying to call in, and every time I end up having to go to bed. Oh, no. To- Poor Chris. And this time I was like, oh, no. Um, I finally got my son down to sleep, and I was like, oh, perfect. <laughs> um, so, 
Yes, huge fan. Uh, first time actually getting to talk to you, but have been on here like plenty of times. Um, and yeah, this this kind of sounds like what you were talking about last week on the show. I called in um, because I've, I, I guess like none of this, I, what's frustrating to me is just number one, how people are still acting surprised when this happens. Cause it's like how many decades in a row do they have to do the same shit to you before you wake the fuck up? And like, you know, what's going to happen. You knew, like, I don't know. And maybe it's just cause like I did. So, so I did union organizing for four years at uh, the airport under United airlines and we fell under the railway labor act. So I know how unions react to the railway labor act. Cause anytime, I mean, I, I organized mostly, it was like immigrant women. It was like 60%, it was like 80% people of color. Over half of them were like immigrant women from like the Micronesian islands because, because we did some nuclear bomb testing back in whatever it was, the forties or fifties, we give people from Micronesia this weird, um, immigration status where they can come here and work without a visa, but they don't get benefits and the airlines are capitalizing on that because United airlines is the only airline that flies to those islands. So they come work for like poverty wages at United just so they can use the flight benefit to bring family members over. And, um, they didn't have a union. They were the one part that didn't have a union. So we, we organized them. Um, and when, when we, when we unionized, they, um, tried to, they did all the illegal stuff that you see Amazon doing, um, they drug on contract negotiations for like three and a half yeah. years. And then right before we got our contract, they outsourced us to another company, which already had the same union. Yeah. So, you know, they've gotten their, they've gotten their pay raise and everything is good now, but they just lost their flight benefits, which was really awful. But, um, so I, I've seen all this. And when we mentioned striking or doing just a work stoppage or having one department have, a bunch of people call in sick one day, you know, all yeah. these things that unions do. Our union was like, you cannot do that. It's illegal because of the railway labor act. And if you do that, then they'd let us know that they would throw us under the bus and they would not have her back. And they would support the company, like, you know, terminating us if, if need be. And I just saw that from, and my union always was talking about how they're a militant fighting union and all mm-hmm. this stuff. And they were telling me that. And then when I would bring up, well, Cause the thing I would always bring up to them was, yeah, it was illegal for those people to go sit at those lunch counters back in the fifties too, but they did that okay. shit because if an unjust law exists, you have a moral obligation to resist that law. You guys are all these people that I was organizing with were all DSA members and these radical leftists who were trying to convince me that, you know, I wasn't left enough. And by watching, uh, you know, that show with, uh, rising when crystal and saga Ronit, they were calling them fascists and mm-hmm. <laughs> all this stuff. So I was like, that's the kind of people I was organizing with. But when it came time to like actually give the workers a voice or stand up for the workers, the union was like, I mean, they are really good at gaslighting workers, even gaslighting their own leftist organizers into gaslighting the workers. Um, yeah. it's, yeah, it's just all stuff I've seen. So it's like, and, and after I got burnt out with that and lost hope in unions, I turned to community organizing where I now organize with uh, a racial justice organization, progressive, all that stuff. And this it's kind of the same thing where it's like we go out and knock doors and try and get people like Joe Biden elected and then sit around and complain that we can't get progressive shit done. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, 
So I'm kind of just at this point now where, I mean, I share everybody's frustration, but I'm just like, at what point do we as on the left just have a good look in the mirror and acknowledge that like our strategy to try to push Democrats to the left or, you know, get a few people like the squad into the party and then think we're going to like take it over from the inside is not ever going to happen. And we have to come up with a different strategy because if we just continue every cycle, like letting them, you know, stab people in the back, like Bernie Sanders, whoever the next Bernie Sanders is, and then just go along with their Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden candidates. Like we, we know where that road ends, but we're so afraid to lose one election cycle that we just won't ever try a new strategy. Yeah, and I think that's that's I right, and they call that accelerationism. 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 I'm sorry, I just am so tired. Accelerationism at the no, uh, or I whatever, don't. but like the point is, I think you're right. You have to be able to take some kind of risks, and you have to be able to try something different. And I really appreciate hearing from you because people who say things like that are often dismissed as not really wanting to commit to organizing or not really know they don't really know what they're talking about and not been in a union. union. And someone like yourself who has been through it who has been through every stage of this and has seen firsthand the limitations of some of these avenues. It's not to say that I think that like no one should ever care about being a union or unionizing, but like, obviously, you know, the, the fact that those organizations existing, it seems like a, like a quicker route to success because it's already organized and mm -hmm. organizing from scratch. But then you're seeing like, they've done such a good job of capturing these institutions that, you know, it's a bummer. But it's and you know that's I think why this last week was so such a turning point for many people and it's something that we've been hinting at at the show and building to for a while where you know there is this way that we've seen how some of the energy around the George, George Floyd protests or Bernie or whatever when I talk to certain parts of the left they're like okay well you can't make any demands you just have to go into you know these funneled pre-worn paths now we're seeing that all of the organizations that they wanted us to rely on aren't necessarily themselves robust enough to get us over the finish line so i appreciate you calling in with your experience because it's, it's just enormously validating because i certainly can't make the big claims that you can make having been through what you've been through but that perspective is invaluable yeah the yeah um i, I have plenty of other things I want to talk about, but it's really late. So I just want to ask you one really quick question about rising sure. because I I'm curious if this is something you've noticed or if it's just all in my head, but over the past few months, maybe the past like two months, I don't remember how long, uh, what's her lady's name? Mm -hmm. Batia. I don't know when she got brought on. Um, but I feel like now, whereas before, I felt like they always kind of had like a co-host to whoever the right person was that was like not horrible. But now it's like if I look on there and you're not on there and I see Batya or I don't know the other new black lady they brought on recently a couple of times. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm those two, too, but yeah, they just kind of seem like um, it just kind of seems like when I, when that's happening, there's like two Republicans on. <laughs> I don't really feel like there's any voice for the progressive side of things. And I'm wondering, is that just like a conscious, is that like a decision they're going? Is that like a direction so they're I, going? I, I, or that's not having watched a ton of Amisha. Um, that's the other black woman. Sorry, I just came to me. Uh, so I, my yeah. understanding was that she's just kind of like more liberal. She's just kind of a liberal 
Is is, is that the impression mm, you get okay. or or no? She she kind of just seems like Batia to me. Like, I mean, they have they'll have like some mainstream democratic views, but it's always like the much more corporate side of the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Well, look, Batia's um, the, the other lady are kind of fascinating. What was the and you know, should go back and listen to the episode we did with her around this time last year if you haven't listened to it already. You know, she it, it's it's very just. I think her her politics are much more nuanced and interesting and kind of more difficult to pin yeah. down. I think that there is there are critiques of kind of elite capture and corporate greed that are good and left, but there is mm-hmm. also sometimes what I perceive to be a focus on the failures of liberal uh, liberals in the left. And that sometimes lets the right off the hook. And I found this when I was reading her book that there were some like really first seven chapters are all like solid historical analysis of like how the media has changed, who does the media, how they used to be more working class and now they're not and all of these things. And then the part of the book that's an analysis of current media trends and where the elites are now, it'll say, it'll take a chart that shows that like, you know, there were elites at all the institutions, you know, the, the Washington post or the financial times are more conservative leading major newspapers that have elitist elites as well as the New York times. And it's like, they're all elites. Everybody's elite. It's not like a right left thing. It's a top down thing. But sometimes I feel like her message gets skewed. And also she sometimes does this thing that I've critiqued on rising where I feel as though she uses working class people and like they're in their, you know, kind of speaks for them and says, like, this is their interest. They don't want student debt. They don't want X, Y, and Z in a way that is not really actually reflective and feels like a kind of a pantomime in order to advance an agenda that is not actually sincerely working class. And I find that to be frustrating, but I, you know, I should have her back on the podcast. It's something I would love to just talk to her more about because I, I, I'm not exactly sure sometimes where she's going to fall on stuff. And I think it makes it, interesting for viewers because i think a lot of the comments that people write are like i don't want to know what's going to come out of your mouth before you say it on everything and i think that's part of her appeal but also i sometimes get frustrated that she is being characterized as left and i don't know that that's always a good representative of what i would say is left um oh no she's definitely not left she's maybe center left at best on some issues (laughs) like she's not right wing but she usually falls like in the establishment view of things on every issue it's just sometimes skews a little right like the other day she um, two weeks ago or whenever it was when she had the thing on with the the police and she's like parroting right-wing talking points about like we need to hire more police because crime's high and more police equals you know i was just like what the <laughs> i was like why is brie not well, on what's here what's funny <laughs> is like robbie I and i have right such simpatico on that particular issue like Today, we interviewed Kevin Cirilli, and I adore Kevin Cirilli. We hang out sometimes in real life. But, like, I – we disagree on stuff. And Kevin was – started we – China came up, and he started talking about, like, communist China and, like, the threat that they posed to Taiwan. And Robbie and I looked at each other. We realized that we both disagreed with Robbie uh, – sorry, with Kevin for different reasons, but suddenly, like, we were united. Like, Robbie and I were like, wait yes, a minute. <laughs> Like, no, we're going to tag team about, like, not wanting to do World War Three with China and, and like, criticizing both parties for, like, their trade deals that sent jobs overseas and stuff. And we were laughing after the segment yeah. ended, like, what just happened? <laughs> like, 
like Robbie and I are realizing that like when we are exposed to the rest of the world, like we weirdly have all of this stuff in common. <laughs> so yeah, the, the show is fascinating yeah. because you know, politics are not these neat dividing lines that everybody thinks they are. Like Robbie and I, we, when we see a police segment, we're like, good. We don't have to argue. Like we just buckle down and we just sit there and trash <laughs> the police for eight minutes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. What, what's a, what, what was that other black lady's name that was on the show? Um, she had like an African uh, name. Alimi, I haven't Alimi. seen her on there. Yeah, she's terrific. I don't know why they haven't brought her back as a guest host. Yeah, because I like her. I like her a lot too. I see that she started a new podcast and you can check her out all over the place on the internet. You should follow her on, on, on uh, Twitter so you can find out what she's up to. Mm-hmm. I always love talking to her and hearing from her. I think she's an absolute riot and, you know, so compelling and smart. Yeah, she's great because I, I really – like I can't remember your exact background, but I I mean I you definitely didn't grow up like with a trust fund or anything like that. But I don't think you like grew up like poor or anything either. Fair assessment. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate um, you and uh, that other lady's name. I just – Alimi, I mm-hmm. think is what you said her name was because they – you actually sound like you've talked to working class people in your life, <laughs> whereas – like. I feel like Robbie doesn't really hide it. He kind of grew up with like a little, little mm-hmm. bougie. Um, I don't know. I if they went to school. You may say that. The private schools. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like him. And then like when they have Batia on, it's like, I just feel like neither one of them have a working class friend. And it kind of like, I don't know. It feels that way. So it's like, it's nice to have somebody on there who feels like they've at least talked to working class people and has any idea what working class people think. <laughs> Yeah, well, look, I appreciate that. And Robbie's been saying, I mean, we've been suffering a little bit in numbers-wise over on Rising, like the algorithm. We've been having some issues with YouTube. I won't get into it. But Robbie has observed that the comments have been very positive. And usually if the comments are good for him, they're bad for me and vice versa. But he's been noticing that, like, people seem to be really, like, getting into our dynamic and appreciating, you know, our vibe. And that's really nice to hear because I've been enjoying it. I have been enjoying it and I've been enjoying hanging out with Robbie and, and, and doing the thing. So thank you for listening, Chris. Thank you to everybody for calling in. Thank you for enduring this marathon. We're at the five King hour mark. I don't know how we did it. Oh, wait. Sorry. Sorry. That's chaotic. I listened to everything on double speed. So that was extremely chaotic. Let me try that again. (laughs) okay all right i appreciate all of you thank you chris sorry sylvester levi and everybody who's like right there in the back but we're gonna we're gonna shuffle off this mortal coil i'm gonna eat some dinner you guys are great keep the faith i'll see you on the flip side